We are back for another year with my brother Ryan attending the National Sports Card Convention this year. It is in uh, Chicago or in the... No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. It's in Rosemont, which is probably 45 minutes from anything cool in Uh, Chicago. That's too... Even like all the pizza and stuff? No, there's a good piece. Right next to me is Giordano's, which is, I'll put it to you like this. Pizza Plus is one. Dante's is two. Oh. And uh, anything in Chicago for me, I don't like stuffed crust. Um, that's too thick. It's like too heavy. I can eat like one slice and I'm done. So it's kind of like the humidity here. It's like too much. It makes you sweat like mm. too much. So, Yeah. Okay. Rosemont, Illinois, yeah, but it's a nice area. It's a it's a nice area, though. Well, that that probably beats some of the areas uh, I've seen in Chicago. But uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, so you're here for another uh, another year. How's it uh, How's it going at the show right now? Well, the show. I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of blown away. Um, usually, you know, it's like the crickets convention or or whatever a lot of people here today this is the mo and today is thursday it's not even like friday saturday yet um it's the most people i've ever seen at any uh, and this is my fourth straight year so this is our like fourth annual gathering a lot of people um mostly buying collectible stuff singles i mean if you had four tables of you know quarter 50 cent dollar high-end display case you might have you know a full row of people checking out your stuff all day long almost a lot of people here i can't i mean i probably didn't do it justice last year how it felt like it was like me and my five best friends were at the show whereas this year i mean this is how a big card show should feel um that it's busy i mean if dealers aren't making money they brought the wrong stuff, flat out. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, man, can can I buy a table right now? I'll just, like, go buy a whole bunch of stuff from a bunch of other people and flip it real quick. Um, definitely, you know, you could do well. And it could be a wide variety of stuff. Vintage. Um, so I'm really, it's a real, uh, you know, should be a positive vibe. Um for at least Thursday how I mean I'm if I'm surprised by it if I'm like like wow this is pretty cool then it might have been really cool <laughs> so um, I, I just thought there was a lot of people and I was thinking boy if I was a dealer like last year I was thinking boy thank god I wasn't a dealer this year I'm like god can I get a table can I get a, a half a table and you know hustle so I think there are pe- some people who who probably you're going to clean up pretty good this week. So uh, that's a good thing. I I can't say when you're walking around the blo- – I mean, you can easily get to the blowout and DA table. Um, not a whole lot of people buy it. And the prices, you should see the prices. I did a video at DA Car World's uh, table, and it was like $39 boxes, 39 Goodwin Champions, and, and Absolute, and all this stuff was like 39 bucks. And I'm like, wow, this stuff pre-sold at like $120. Um so a lot of that stuff has way gone out of price. Last year's football was, uh, you know, 
uh, if you, pre- it sounds like there's fireworks going off in the background here. I hope you can't hear that. No, no, really. Um, okay. Kind of messing me up. It's like reminding me back of Stockton. So, hmm. um, <laughs> if I close this, actually, we probably will stop here. Okay. Now we're good. Um, but anyways, what was I talking about the show? Yeah, well, um, what's, what do you think? So, I mean, you're, you're saying that the, the unopened box, uh, you know, doesn't look like it's attracting a lot of, you know, at least a oh. lot of people to the tables. But what are you attributing to the somewhat lively atmosphere um, on the first day, I guess, of the show? This is this is like. I mean, this has to be one of the hotbeds for sports collectibles. Second, they have a Sun Times. They call it the Sun Times show. And I want to say it's in November. A buddy who watches the show, his name is Matt, who I met. He lives in Wisconsin. And he he has come down for the Sun Times show. And he says it's basically the same show. Um, It's like the same dealers and whatnot. So, um you know, a lot of there's a lot of local dealers. There's some card shops. There's actually quite a few card shops. And I went to a couple last time the show was here. The show has been here every other year, I think, for a little while. Um, so this is a great, you know, it's a great uh, area for cards for dealers, um, and people are coming out. So, uh, or at least white people. But I hope that does. Uh, we're white, as we, both. Colin and I are white, so um, and there are pretty much all white people here. So I, you know, uh, it's a cool. I actually, we were talking before the show. It's actually like a almost like a, you know, like there we live in a real, you know, we live in California, which is very diverse, but we also live in an area that's got a lot of Mexican immigrants because of the uh, the vast farmland. So um, obviously, a lot of um, People from Mexico, they come up and they work in the farms in Turlock and Modesto and Stockton and Lodi and all up the Central Valley there. So there's probably, what, maybe uh, a million or more Mexican people living in the Central Valley. Right. Maybe if you count Fresno all the way oh, up, yeah. you know. So, you know, there's, uh, there's a, there are Mexican events. There are, like, Mexican cultural events. There are, like, black cultural events where, like, you go to a black church um, or something like that, you know. So this is almost like a white cultural event, as weird as that sounds. Um, it, it's, it's, there's, you know, the demographic here, which I don't think is bad to talk about, Um yeah. And it's not speaking about it in a negative way. It's not a negative that it's all white people. It's just I think it's worth pointing out um, that there's something inherent about collecting cards and putting them in holders and keeping them and grading them and showing them off and that that's all somehow, you know, a, a little bit of a white person thing, at least with sports collectibles. Um, and maybe with coins, too. I know when I went to the Long Beach Expo... That was a lot of white people. Um, Beanie Babies, I don't know. That had way more broad appeal than even sports cards, believe it or not. Beanie Babies, Beanie Babies at their peak were more popular than the entire sports card market. The entire sports card market. Baseball, basketball, football. In its peak in the 90s. 
Beanie Babies were hotter. But so I think they had a more broad reach. Um, but it might have been a white woman kind of thing. I know the Beanie Babies craze started here with some mommy bloggers um, who were kind of instrumental in starting the whole craze because they were they were doing checklists. They were price, they were putting up price guides, and this was back in the you know obviously the early to mid nineties. They were categorizing. They were. They said this is a first generation tag. You know, these mommy bloggers had a lot to do with the Beanie Babies explosion. So, um, you know, this is like, this sports car thing is like, it is like a white cultural event, a white gathering, um, if you will, minus the, you know, not in like a negative way, like it's a KKK rally, but, um, or that you're not allowed if you're not white, but. I don't know. I'm just. I, I don't know. I coach youth basketball. My entire team is black, except for we have one white kid. And we have um, some kids who I think are like mixed race, but um, you know, I don't. I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess well, the one thing it can speak to is there. There's an area to to be able to grow the hobby. People want to come up with a lot of ideas on how to grow the hobby, and it often revolves around a product or something like that. But quite honestly, one of the ways it sounds like uh, that it can be grown is if you're able to attract the female demographic and certainly maybe people of different races. Um, And I think there would be – there's something to be said about that, uh, that, you know, you – you could potentially grow the hobby if you were able to market and maybe attract um, other demographics other than kind of the white middle America male. Yeah, and I think you can look at what, like Panini, the Panini soccer stickers, the FIFA World Cup stickers. That's obviously like a global thing um, that people are collecting. They're actually buying them and they're sticking it in, in albums. They're maybe collecting them in a different way cards but it does kind of show that collecting isn't just an inherent like white person thing i guess or a predominantly white person thing that there are people around the world collecting you know sports related thing like the, the fifa world cup stickers which they probably sell billions of they're probably more i mean i think you've you've talked about some of the numbers they outsell. I mean, they've. I mean, God, they blow away the sales of sports cards. The what the soccer stickers are selling. So there's something, you know, and it it's expensive. I mean, is it like golf to where it's just it's an expensive kind of white person thing? I mean, I think even despite Tiger Woods and we we love Tiger Woods. I mean, you love Tiger Woods. I love Tiger Woods behind the San Francisco Giants. The Los Angeles Lakers, if Tiger Woods went on a run, like he was like, you know, one off the lead in a major, I would consider flying to wherever that was just so I could get in the crowd and like try to like pump him up a little bit or get him going or get myself going. So Tiger Woods, you know, really kind of exploded the game of golf, to be honest. I mean, Mike, the credit that guy doesn't get is sickening how much money he's put in so many people's pockets is insane we're talking about billions of dollars billions of dollars in a sport like golf um 
God, I could talk all day about how much money t- the Tiger Woods effect, how much money that guy has produced. Um, you know, but golf is still a predominantly white sport. Um, it's expensive. You got to buy clubs. It yeah. takes you know three four hours to play around. You got to practice. Um, it's well, it's having you. trouble now. It's at, like golf, uh, right. a really nice golf course by me. A five a four and a half star public golf course that was rated. Among the best public courses in the world is closed now because, and it was only open for you know maybe ten fifteen years because nobody plays golf. You know what I mean? Like right. it's just it's the the popularity has declined out of the game as almost as quickly as it came into the game, um, and a lot of it right. probably has to do with Tiger. You know, it being on TV. And people paying a lot of attention to it, and now nobody cares. Right. So I guess so I, I kind of worry, you know, like the same thing could happen to an industry that is all predominantly white. You can run into some, you know, you can struggle to maintain, you know, high sales or you, you can, the industry could struggle to maintain if you're just attracting one demographic. So I think it is. Well, and it's also, it's also just white men as well. So that's another worrisome that you're actually segmenting it. You're really segmenting it down. Now it's just white men who, you know, are likely or could be potentially likely to, um, collect cards. Um, so yeah, there are, and well, the, the the age of the dealers, um, the age of the people here, it's it, it actually could be an older white man hobby, which I know we've talked about. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, um, I think there was a year where we talked about, you know, it's an older white man kind of thing. And I'm comfortable. I don't know. I think some people are a little uncomfortable. I got some responses when I was talking about. What you know, the white people convention, um, and there was a John Rocker. Somebody was wearing a John Rocker jersey, um, and I mean, I remember the things the guy said. Maybe he's apologized since then. I'm sure he's just apologized just so he can save public face. But um, it sounded like he has some, you know, deep seated <laughs> resentment. Um, you know, in some of his comments that he made way back in the day. So, um, which there are a lot of people who, uh, who feel that way, who have those kind of feelings. So I, but I'm actually, I'm comfortable talking about race. You should hear this. So the kids I coach basketball, most of them are black. You should hear the racial jokes they tell each other. Oh my goodness. Like it is, I mean, these guys are just cracking on each other and it's usually about race or their hair, or whatever it is, or what they're wearing, 24 freaking 7. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm comfortable talking about race, because I think it can play. So look at, let's look at race in a positive factor. Look at Jackie Robinson. So here's what happened with Jackie Robinson. I think baseball kind of wants to make it like this big, this grandiose story that, oh, they did it to, you know, break racial lines, which probably was, uh, you know, a fairly you know, good, um, percentage of why they, they, uh, they decided to let black people in. But so the Dodgers sign Jackie Robinson 
and he goes to the minor leagues. And his first game, I think, was like forty or forty-three thousand people went to a minor league baseball game. Think about it. That happened today. If there was somewhere across the country where forty thousand people came to a minor league baseball game, so there, all these black people came out to see Jackie Robinson. And back in the day, they had the white people could sit right here and the black people could sit right here. Well, more black people showed up than white people so they had to let the black people start sitting where the white people and then it was like well wait a sec why are we even why are we even breaking this up at all why don't we just let anybody let let, you know let people in money is money interesting yeah i think uh you know i think that's part of the problem i mean not that we need to go too deep into a racial discussion but i think the the issue is that people don't talk about it. The issue is uh, when you try to talk about it, like Starbucks tried to put a message on their cups for like a week uh, to kind of open up the discussion, and they had to take it away because of backlash. So that's that's a problem. I think um, you know out here in California, we're more comfortable discussing it because, uh, well, at least where you live, I don't live in a very heavily diverse (laughs) town anymore, but I'm certainly comfortable, um, talking about it. And, um, you know, I think progress needs to be made. And I think for sports cards, it can be looked upon as a positive in the sense that there, there's a great way to realize where you can have some growth because if more women collected cards um god they women love to share stuff on facebook uh pinterest i think is gonna uh kill google one day if they don't at least for women uh, at least for the women demographic uh pinterest is is by far and away a better way to search for things than google is and they love to share stuff on there. It's a great way to get website traffic. Um, they love Facebook and, and other Instagram and things like that. They love to share their life with their friends more than most men I know. So there's just an awesome uh, opportunity to capitalize there. And um, I think that more could be done to, um, you know, attracting Mexican-Americans and African-Americans and Asians and stuff like that might be more than my pay grade pays for, but I certainly think you they could do more since women are watching sports and attending games quite a bit, it seems like, at least out here in California. There's a lot of San Francisco Giants fans that are women, and there's a lot of Laker fans that are women. I think that more can be done to market products towards that demographic or figure out ways to get them more involved since many of their husbands or many of the their sons maybe are involved in the hobby i think getting women into it might be beneficial at some point well and the same way you were comfortable talking about you know getting women involved i think it's it can be the same way with you know let's at least why is it at least I would want to know why is it like ninety five percent white men older? Is it the price? Is it like golf? I think I you know the parallel I make I keep coming back to golf. Um, so 
you know, it, like it, you know, it's not. It, like I said, it's not thinking about it in a negative sense that that this is like a, a KKK meeting or something. It's not like that. It's thinking about it in terms of a business perspective. Why is it that ninety five percent are white men? Can I? How can you know? Like golf, like golf is thinking about it right now. How can we attract these other people? Is it? You know, we had Tiger Woods. Does he need to start winning again? Does somebody else need to come along? Do we need to make it cheaper? Do we need to make it easier? Do we need to, you know, change the rules? Um, but, you know, we can move on from that discussion. Okay, let's um, let's discuss. I mean, there's only been, what, like one and a half day of the, the show. Let's talk about uh, our friends, the Group Breakers. Talk about... Uh, the pavilion, that always seems to be a topic that uh, is, is fairly well-received from people that listen to the show. Let's talk about uh, uh, last year it seemed like they were they were struggling a little bit. What's the vibe this year? Um, you know what? Well, here, I'll, I'll – uh, one of the things I think you – I'm sure you said it on the show. What the, the guy who's killing it is the guy who's running the event. The I think his name is Gelfman or something, and it's RippingWax.com. He does make money, or at least revenue is a – a pretty significant amount of revenue is coming into the guy. So he's making some dough. He's the, probably the one who's killing it the most. Um, but, you know, to be perfectly honest – Somehow, some way, those guys are making some dough. Um, you know, the people who are in it and doing it and the guys who are really doing it, you know, really successfully. So, um, um, you know, the, like I said, the guys kill, the guys running the event, it, the, the, the pavilion is killing it. Like, you know, he can, uh, he can just lock it up. Um, but there are people, there are people coming over there. Um, but it's a little off to the side, you know, we talked, we talked about that last year, how they're on the side. Um, it is kind of in a bad area, but there are a lot of people here, to be honest, this is, you know, cracking a little bit. So people are going over there and somehow, some way we can probably explore that maybe on another show, or maybe I can dig a little deeper and try to find out that it feels like a few of them, uh, there's money coming in. Um, how much profit there is? I think you you said it best. You can't turn off the faucet. Um, you know, I have the I have the world's most popular beanie baby site that I never have to work on. There's, you know, money coming in. Um, I sell. You know, I'm one of the top sellers on StubHub. I I've, I I didn't think about tickets all week. You know what I'm saying? So it's I can turn it off and uh, you know pick right back up when uh, some good games are happening or when I want to. So, um, that's the one pro that is still the biggest problem with group breaks. It's, it's very hard to scale. Like, are you going to be on 24 hours a day? Are you going to break 24 seven? Are you going to sort cards 24 seven? Can you make money? Yes. Are you going to make like, you know, life changing money? You know, it'd be, t- you're going to, like I said, you're never going to be able to turn it off. You're going to have to work, 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 work. It's probably going to take a team of people. A lot of these guys have, you know, several people, uh, you know, kind of working all together now. So it might not be that a lot of guys are making money, but that, you know, the three or four guys in a team can all make a little bit of money or maybe enough to pay their bills 
or whatever, maybe maybe decent money, that it's actually paying for three. It's not one guy kind of becoming a baller, a, a baller breaker. It's actually more he needs the help because it's you know it's hard to scale. You can't just break, pack, sort, ship. You know it's difficult to do that. Um, so, but. Again, it's not, it's hard to scale. It's hard to go from 50 people to a room to get to 500 people in your room. That's, you know, not happening or hasn't happened. Um, but if done right, and, and I think, I think there are a lot of people who kind of jump into the breaking thing. To be, it is, it's easy to do, it's easy to set up, but to be successful, the grind of it and the rhythm and to, you got to have customers and they ask all sorts of questions in these breaks, right? I mean, there's just probably question after question after question. What's about this? When's the break? What's this? When's my spot? Where are you going to randomize it? Is it double random? Is it snake eyes this? Is it blah, 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 blah? You know, there's questions, 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 questions that you've literally got to almost have a live customer support. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're in the chat box because while you're breaking, there's questions. So you either need to be... You almost need a live customer support. And I actually was watching a break that uh, we know Doug and Dan from Mojo Break. So Doug was breaking the cards, but they had another guy who was answering questions in the chat. And I was like, that's brilliant, actually, because then you can just break the cards. Um, yeah. And then you have somebody knowledgeable who can answer the questions in the chat. So I kind of liked how it was like, you, know, you do need to be a successful breaker you can't be a one-man show. So if you're going to do this, it might actually be there is a little bit of barrier of entry because it's going to take you four guys. You're going to have to roll four deep, you know, to, to make any money. And you're all going to make a little bit of money. You may, you're may you probably not all going to get rich, but you're all going to make a, a few grand a month probably. So, or more. I don't I don't know. I, I can't put enough. Like I said, I'm surprised by how many people are here. So I'm kind of, you know, some things are, the box aren't really checking for me, really. So now I'm, I'm kind of, you know, you put it in reverse and you're like, okay, well, cool. Well, let's, let's investigate what's going on. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So. Well, I think, you know, with the, the group breaking, I think, like you said, the, the DA, uh, and the blowout tables might've seemed a little, light on the traffic i think it's that a lot of the money that used to be spent there has mingled over to breaks i really don't think breaking in particular has brought a bunch of new money and newfound wealth into the industry it's simply transferred what was being spent or the majority of it used to be spent on unopened boxes is now simply a guy's instead of spending $120 on a box he's looking for Mets cards now he's just buying the Mets spots maybe he spends a little more or less uh you know that that could be a good uh something that might be worth investigating is you know maybe the fact that the guy can buy Mets spots makes them spend more per month, but I think it's simply transferring what used to be spent on boxes and packs is now uh, a lot of it is, is going to breakers. So, um, and, and that might be more uh, healthier for the industry because more people can participate in the group breaking economy. You know, there's right. 
you know, not only the breakers themselves, but it, the little guys that sort the cards and do the customer service are making money. That's part of the economy. And then a guy like Ripping Wax, who I think that's where the money is to be made. In the long run, I think the people that service the breakers, the people that provide maybe merchant processing for them or provide a website platform or pr- provide something for these guys, uh, maybe some software to help organize it or whatever might ultimately be the ones that uh, profit the the most in our, you know in terms of an ROI in terms of your time because I, I like you said it just seems like be a lot of work and maybe yeah you can get it going for three four five years but um, it just seems like a young man's thing I think as these guys get older yeah. maybe have a family they're gonna realize wow uh, it's it's you know, it's a lot of work for the kind of money that, that can be made. Exactly. Well, so we'll keep an eye on the group records. We'll see if they're, you know, if any of them are driving brand new Mercedes or not. But, uh, Don't you have a new Mercedes? Uh, yeah. Not yeah, brand well, new. I can't, aff- on the- I can't afford a brand new one, but, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, it's fairly new. Yeah, it has, you know, all the amenities that you uh, would expect uh, with a, a nice car like that. Definitely a nice car I've ever driven, for sure. Your car is definitely faster, but uh, not off the, off the gate, but uh, uh, my car, you can, very comfortable. We've, we've driven it quite a bit uh, to L.A., to Tahoe, to Sacramento, so wow. it's quite a... Uh, quite nice highly recommend people out there uh wouldn't buy a new mercedes but uh the kind of people that buy them can afford a brand new one and then afford a brand new one every other year i'm not quite there yet so i will certainly uh take one uh that is depreciated quite a bit so um, exactly depreciate it's amazing how quickly they depreciate in value over 50 percent in just two years basically wow. you get one basically for 50 percent off brand new price i mean not all the models the g wagons and the the amg ones are, are a little bit more expensive but uh you can get a base model e-class for 50 percent off or more than what it costs and actually the warranty not to go on too long but the warranty you get on a used one is actually far superior to a brand new one so um <laughs> it's probably if you're worried about you know a $1,200 headlight or you know a $1,500 blinker going out uh the warranties are pretty good so you might as well buy a used one but um yeah i don't see i don't see a whole lot uh i was going to tweet out today the mercedes i drove when we owned a card shop and then i couldn't even afford to put the gas in and uh, since then, since moving on from buying and selling boxes of cars, I can afford a little bit nicer one. So, um, oh, well, let's th- let, let's talk about that. That I think uh, I was thinking about this this week. I think the American idea, one of the kind of an, an inherent American idea, is like don't ever give up. You know, don't ever quit. Whatever you do, put your mind to, you can succeed, and just don't ever quit. When in reality, in bu- that's actually in business. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a good idea to quit. Right. Um, and maybe the people, you know, who are involved in these failed businesses, they're just not smart enough to be even running a business or you shouldn't even be running. They're just not even smart enough to realize that though, um, until they probably lose all their money. Right. And that happens, you know, 99% of the time. 
So, or more, 99, probably 90, over the course of history, 99.9% of businesses probably fail. You, 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 it ends up being zero. Um, so I think knowing when to pull the plug is a, is a, is a high, is a skill for, as an investor for myself, I'm always looking for, for that kind of discipline for a, a company to maybe invest in an idea, but then to admit either several quarters later or several years later that it was a bad investment and that it didn't work. Um, I actually respect that. Um, when I see management communicating that, it shows me that um, it's quite disciplined. I think in our own role, I explained it on the last podcast that, you know, uh, with websites for a while there, it was the golden era to promote eBay Partner Network. They were f- very generously compensating people that promoted that affiliate program. Far, far too generous, in my opinion. And it was it was awesome. But when they made the change, that was the cue. That was when they, you know, every affiliate program changes their terms and usually pays you less over time. That's the cue to move on. That, And I think, um, you know, we've experienced it, it over and over that sometimes you might have a good thing going. You might be making a little bit of money, but it's always you know, good to move forward. It's always good to look for your next idea yeah. and not necessarily yeah. think, Hey, I've got, I'm Almost like money. it's a music. It's like a music career. You're working on your next album. Like you're right. you, okay. You sold 10 million copies. Great. I'm, I can live off. I can live off that for a couple of years, but Holy shit. I need to be coming out with my next album. Cause eventually I, that's going to get old. My songs are going to get old. The new, the, the new kid's going to be on the block. You know, you better come up with something new. So that when you're involved in making money on your own and you don't want to sit behind a retail store, which is a really bad idea, which is like a historically bad idea, starting a restaurant, starting a retail storefront. Historically, I mean, some people, really smart people, um, what is it, got chocks? I mean, you could get Mervins, you could go on and on and on about, you know, fail, uh, fail department stores. So. If you're going to make money on your own, you're going to either sell websites, you're going to sell cards on eBay, you're going to sell cards on checkout cards, you're going to flip tickets on StubHub, you better be looking for your next home run. Trust me, I started selling Golden State Warrior tickets the second game of the season. I started selling Golden State Warriors tickets. I destroyed the Golden State Warrior season. People don't even want to know. I mean, these group breakers are making a couple bucks. People don't want to know how much I made selling Golden State Warriors tickets and the NBA Finals. Um, when you literally could just go straight to the team, and anytime you needed to reload on some parking passes or some tickets, you could just pull the lever. So, you know, but but here's the thing. Okay, wow, I had great success. I'm looking for my next home run already. I'm not like, oh, my God, next year I'm going to – I got it made. I can just check mark all the money I'm going to make selling tickets. What if something happens? What if the lawsuit between StubHub and Ticketmaster, something happens with that, and it becomes harder to get tickets on the resale market, or I can't sell them on StubHub, or something weird happens. Um, I'm looking for my next home run, and not even in a ticket environment, in something different, a website, an idea. I just partnered with, uh, I don't really want to talk about it too much, but I partnered with somebody who has some huge events in California, who I'm going to get... Like fifty percent of his website revenue, um, and he holds these events that get twenty five thousand people. So, um, 
I mean, that's like, you know, free money. So uh, I'm always looking for my next home run, uh, your next opportunity. So when you're in business, and even if you're doing breaks, you, you should be looking for something else. You should be doing something else. Get some money coming in. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, um, you got to be looking for your next, you know, I would look look at it like a musical career that you have your whole life to, you know, ahead of you, that you don't just get old and tired, that that, you know, in your music career, that usually happens. But think about it, that you're always thinking about your next album. What's my next album? And it takes a while to make an album. You know, you can't just write 12 songs and they're all perfect. You got to work at it, work at it, work at it. Every day, you got to chip away, chip away, chip away. Think about something new, do some research, do some reading, um, all kinds of things. Get out of your niche. Get out of cards. Get out of the, you know, and like I said, I had the world's most popular Beanie Baby site. So, and you, you know, and do you think I, I, I had to sit there and learn about, I mean, you think cards are expensive? Try to figure out Beanie Baby stacks. I mean, it makes cards seem like, you know, reading ABC, you know, reading the alphabet. That's how easy cards are. I mean, try to figure out Beanie Baby stacks. So, you know, I had to learn. Uh, you don't you don't get a real popular website by just being, duh, well, this is a princess beanie baby, duh, this is. No, you got to actually understand what you're doing. And again, you got to step outside your box. You think, oh, well, beanie babies is so dumb. Nobody collects. So that's a girl thing or that's dumb. I'm trying to make a do- I'm trying to make a dollar. If the Atlanta Hawks go on a deep playoff run, guess what? I'll sell Atlanta Hawks tickets. It just so happens that it was the Golden State Warriors and their then their arenas, you know, an hour from my house, and I and I'm you know I have season tickets now. So But anyways, that was a that was a, a little tangent that, you know, if you're gonna be a businessman, you gotta be looking for your you better be working on your next album because time's ticking. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I think that's a advice, as good advice. I've been looking on Flippa. I don't know if this, uh, if anybody was interested in this information, but I've been on Flippa. It's basically the eBay of uh, websites. I haven't. I've bid on many things. I haven't won a bid yet, but um, from everything that I've read and the advice I've gotten from people that are on there, you got to be on there checking. Uh, quite a bit, sometimes six months to a year before you actually find something that is worth bidding on. But it's kind of cool just to go on there and see a lot of the. I do it for a lot for ideas and kind of get an idea what kind of website people are attracting a lot of visitors to, and a lot get, that gets a lot of attention and stuff like that. So um, if anybody wants to kind of launch their website career without may, maybe uh, cutting some shortcuts, one way to do it is by buying a pre-existing. Uh, website. So you I got to know. Here's the thing about websites, though, and I think we we need to actually stress this: is that I've met maybe two people in my life that could pull off creating a website. Honest to God, I've met not very many people who could actually th- has the technical skills, and once they have the technical skills, the know how how to monetize it and monetize it effectively and drive traffic. There's websites are multi-layered. There's design, there's, you know, well, there's setup, there's design, there's domain choice, there's SEO, there's what platform are you using, what topic, obviously. I mean, there's so many variables. There are very, like you, uh, and I met a guy at ULP 
um, or he works, excuse me, he works there now, um, who actually set up, me and him have lunch uh, every few weeks, and he set up an MLB prospects blog that the day of the draft, he got 5,000 unique visitors, and the website had only been up three months. Yeah, nice. So, I mean, and he, but he was extremely smart. He took, he went home, and first of all, he works full time and has a wife and a kid, but he'd go home, he'd do research, he basically would do what I told him. I, I walked him through a lot of different things. Uh, he did a tremendous, he did a great job. Um, and he set up a really nice, and it, well, it really worked out for me because he led to the partnership with the guy who does these huge events. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's really worked out well. And he, you, and this other guy, um, who worked for minor, he worked at the Stockton Ports, minor league baseball. That's how I first met him. And then he got a job at University of the Pacific, which is an expensive private school, um, well respected, um, that I have a degree from, by the way. And <laughs> we got always on this podcast, we always just got to toot our own horn. Just keep that in mind. We're always just, we're just if nobody's going to toot, trust me, nobody's going to toot our horn. So we, we got to toot it ourselves here. So. Um, but anyways, so websites, I mean, we talk about it a lot, but you know, and maybe this is, I actually want to tangent number two, you got to have a lot of self-confidence if you're going to do this. You better not be like, Oh man, down in your luck. Like Joe Schmo, you better think you're the shit. If you're going to set up a website and make money, you better have a little bit of like, I can do this. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Uh, I'm going to grind on this. Um, you gotta have a little bit of patience, um, but you gotta be multi, there are very few people that I've met that are like multi-skilled that can do the setup, the design, the idea choice, the SEO perfect, you know, I mean, just like checkbox monetization, check, 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 drive traffic, check, 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 and then keep refreshing it and coming up with new ideas. Actually, there's something I got to show you for WordPress. That is, if you're doing some WordPress stuff, wow, that's like, that's like juicy so i gotta show you that uh, at some point i'll send you a link to that um actually when i go home i'm gonna play with it and then i can send you a link uh once i know that it's good but i previewed it and let's just say it was i think it was only like 150 for the whole year and it might be worth 150 a month what it does so um I'll, uh, I'll definitely be, but like I said, it's, there are very few people and that's not to knock people. I mean, I mean, it's not to, I mean, it's just the truth. This is the God honest truth. Um, there's not selling sports tickets is not cut out for everybody. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, I, there's a lot of jobs I couldn't do. Um, any kind of physical labor job? Oh hell no! You know, desk job. I had a desk job. Oh hell no! Hell no! Working in a card store. Hell no! I'd be horrible at those things. I was. Excuse me. I was horrible at the card store. I was pretty good at my desk job. I just hated it. Um, manual labor. I would be horrible at. Um, I can. I can understand. Yeah, I can. I can totally. And I actually had uh, one of the servers that I had like. 20 websites on got hacked and every single homepage <laughs> redirected to some guy some guy did it for you know like these guys they don't really hack you to be real super malicious they hack it to get on these like top hackers lists that's what i found out and this guy like and he literally changed the homepage to just i don't know something with a facebook link and it like played a rap song when you went to it 
So, I mean, if you had no idea what you were doing. You'd be fucked. You'd be screwed. I literally was able to fix it and close kind of the hole that he went through within, you know, about 30, you know, it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I had to go through each website and change something and then kind of close off where he got in. But if you had no idea, you'd be sitting there with downtime. You would have been gone for – I know oh. some sports card websites that that's happened to them and they never come back because they get hit, they get attacked, and that's Over. it. So, um, you know, stuff happens, and I, I can only imagine that it's going to keep continuing to happen. And so you've always got to – if you don't have comfort – you know, on the back end of the website, kind of the C panel oh, and file structure of it all, and you don't understand that, then um, you know that you're can done. cost you a lot of money. That can cost you a lot of time and money if you're not sure what you're doing. But yeah, my I have like twenty websites. Like a guy, <laughs> I have a, like another guy that I set up. I set up his website for him, and I hosted it on my uh, my server. Oh, boy. And he texts me. He said, "Oh, I think uh, something's wrong with the website." And I was like, "Oh crap!" So I had to go in there. Up? Yeah, yeah. He thought it was him, and I was like, "No, nah, dude, don't worry. I had some old software on there that was probably ten years under updated or whatever. So it was my own <laughs> fault. But uh, it was a, it wasn't that hard to it wasn't that hard to fix it, but." Uh, you know, I mean, for somebody that had no idea, it would have it would have crum- it would have crumbled their whole operation. So I can certainly see, wow. how, um, you know, being a diverse skill set is probably um, required. But um, you know, you could teach it there. I didn't go to school for this stuff. I didn't go to school and learn computers and all that stuff. I mean, you end up figuring it out on your own. But um, let's see. I mean, you've only been to the show for one day, so that you know we can t- tangent on race and other things. I know that you uh, went to uh, the summer league in Las Vegas. I talked a little bit about oh, that on a, maybe a podcast or two ago, but you were actually there, so maybe talk to us a little bit about uh, Las Vegas and the summer league. Wow, that was uh, that was amazing experience. It was like it was forty bucks to get in. They play three games, um, and it's over on the UNLV campus, which is like literally like a mile from the MGM from the Strip. Um, so they're playing at the Thomas and Mac Center, which is a nice gym. You know, there's some money flowing in there, um, and you can literally—it's general admission seating, so you can literally go except for courtside. So around courtside, it's like a couple hundred bucks, and all and well, it turns out it's like it's like NBA row. You know, it's like. Uh, uh, NBA players and executive and coaches get to sit courtside, but you can go sit right behind them. And the first game I got to see Willie Colley Stein, who's a, uh, what was he, the sixth pick of the Kings? Yeah, Fourth. No. Sixth? Yeah. Um, first round pick of the Kings. Uh, and he's a seven footer, rim protector, athletic. Um, not gonna be like, I wouldn't definitely don't go rush out and buy his cards because he's never gonna be like a 20 point a game scorer. But he is going to be a very effective player in the Tyson. I think as people have compared him, and it's a good comparison, in the Tyson Chandler mold. He's very good next to Cousins because um, Cousins isn't a rim protector. Cousins is actually a decent defender, but he's not a rim protector. And it would be better for Cousins to you know not have to take so much uh, wear and tear on defense. So um, he may not start like – 
you know, Collins Stein may not be Pennsylvania. He may come off the bench for, you know, a little while, but uh, going to be a good player. So that was the first game, and then they were playing Toronto. I don't think Toronto had somebody that I was too familiar with. But the second, or the last game, was Carl Anthony Towns, the number one pick versus uh, the Lakers, who we're a fan of. They have Julius Randle and the number two pick, um, D'Angelo Russell, and then also Jordan Clarkson, who was a first-team all-rookie last year as a second-round pick. So that was just an amazing experience. And so I get to go sit right behind Jim Buss, who owns the Lakers, and Rick Fox, who's a, a, a former Laker and champion, by the way. Um, I get to go sit behind, and literally uh, Damian Lillard walked right by me. So I'm, I'm like literally like courtside, so Damian Lillard walks by me. James Harden does, Joel Embiid, uh, Reggie Miller, Grant Hill, Allen Houston, uh, NBA executives, Mitch Kupchak, Byron Scott, uh, Ben McLemore was there. Um and you're literally like, it, to me, it reminded me the Arizona Fall League meets the NBA. I mean, it's, you're literally just, you know, right there amongst uh, GMs, coaches, players, stars. I mean, LeBron showed up a few days later. Michael Carter Williams was there. I mean, it was like, you know, if LeBron is coming, to, and first of all, it's in Vegas, so you know kind of why some of these guys are showing up. But these guys are rolling in. They've got their nice clothes on, and I mean, you know, boy, if I could. If I, you know, could be James Harden for one day or be, you know, one of these guys, be LeBron, you know, it'd be great. So, but to, but to be able to, you know, watch these guys, first of all, Carl Anthony Towns, just to give you a little scouting report on his game, he's got a little ways to go. He wasn't as big as I thought. Um, the Lakers, that's the thing, and the, during the game, the Lakers double-teamed him like he was, you know, Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. Every time he touched the ball, he sent a double over. And I thought he... I thought he reacted well to it. I thought he maybe should have been a little more aggressive. Like he always looked to pass out of it. He immediately looked, 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 and then tried to make the correct pass to the open guy. Whereas I think he could have just powered through it or did a move and then maybe passed out of it. Um, so, I, you know, he's he's going to have to develop his body. He's going to have to be very physical. It's going to take him a little bit of time. He's not like Wiggins where you can come into the league and be athletic and just jump over the top of people and bash. Um, he's not, I mean, he's not Shaq. He's not, you know, one of these like dominant centers that comes in Anthony Davis. I mean, Anthony Davis to me is one of the top two or three players in the league. Um, I mean, he's not even calling towns to me is not even in the same world. Well, and then DeMarcus cousins to me, you know, the two I'm thinking off the top of my head, the two best centers in the league, I think Anthony Davis and then freaking DeMarcus cousins, is number two. Uh, I mean, I remember being at a Clippers game and, the, and there was like 5,000 5, people there and DeMarcus Cousins was like wanting to fight people the whole game. He's that <laughs> intense. He's that just ferocious. And I remember when the Lakers were trying to trade for him, I was like, uh, yeah, if they want to trade him, trade it for the number two pick, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, even if they wanted to trade him right now for D'Angelo Russell, be like, see ya, kid. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> DeMarcus, you know, welcome to the team. Because at the time they could do that because of the cap room. Now they obviously couldn't. You know, the NBA is much more complicated. They couldn't just send over Russell for uh, Cousins now that they, the Lakers are over the cap. So I don't want to make like that's even something that could happen. The NBA is complicated like that. Um, 
Oh, so Towns, it's going to take him a little while, I think. I, he has a nice little sweet stroke, but um, it's going to take him a little while. Again, I don't think people are going to be double-teaming him like the Lakers did the whole game. Um, but he I, eventually he's going to be a good player. I just don't know. I don't think he's like an MVP caliber center. I don't think he's on the level of Cousins or Anthony Davis, to me, could win MVP next year. Um if that team plays well that he's on, which is always a, a gamble. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, obviously I am a Lakers fan, so could be a little biased, but first his legs were way skinnier than I thought he's got. To, he's got to do a lot of work in the gym on his calves, on his thighs. I mean, his entire lower body needs like a lot of work, uh, over a year's worth of work, literally pounding, you know, having a leg routine, because he's going to get hurt, um, and he's not expl- he's not as as explosive as he could be because he hasn't developed the legs, the the muscles in his legs. Um, he's taller than I thought he would be. He's more six four, six five. He's very silky smooth. He's not a Russell Westbrook where he comes down the lane and cocks and bashes on you. A Derrick Rose, a John Wall. These like super athletic. You know, point guards think about like a like a. It's hard to compare a guy to a two-time MVP, but like a Steve Nash who played below the rim, an MVP this year, Steph Curry who plays below the rim. I thought Chris Paul. When I saw him at times, I you know I wasn't reminded yeah. of Chris Paul, but his passing know. ability seemed like it could get his, pa- uh, his passing. Well, here's the thing: his passing is a Paul to me. Paul to me is a little different because Paul's shorter. Paul's more in the six range, and Paul's a little more like like a Kobe. Be like a mini Kobe. Uh, I see uh, minus the the aggressive shooting. His, per, his Chris Paul's personality is a mini Kobe on the court. He he's done great marketing off the court with the State Farm, and he's you know the, a great guy. On uh, I mean, look at what happened with DeAndre Jordan. He almost split because you know he hates you know he quote hated Chris Paul, and Chris <laughs> Paul kind of had to fly to Houston to make it all good or whatever. Um, but I really think. I don't see Chris Paul. I see, again, it's hard to compare it. I do a one in MVP and it's an, an all-time historic shooter like Steph Curry. He's a poor, D'Angelo Russell is a poor, poor, poor man's Steph Curry where he has a nice stroke. He plays below the rim. He's going to be good in pick and roll. He might be a better passer than Curry. Curry maybe uh, gambles. Well, no, Curry's pretty, I mean, Again, I don't want to knock Curry's game. I I think you can vouch for this. I invented Steph Curry. Yeah. Like I've been, like I've been on the Steph Curry bandwagon since it was since it was uh what was it Tay when when Tay was there Tay and Jay, well that was when he was with Brandon Jennings but when, even when Kerr, uh, Ellis was playing with oh that no because Ellis got traded Ellis that was the year I had them both I had Ellis and Curry and then they traded Ellis and it screwed me like I I lost games uh, Ellis obviously took a while to get going Curry was always hurt you guys were killing me about his ankles like you guys would destroy old Steph's weak his ankles and I was like dude the guy's a straight baller look at him but you have to watch you have to understand basketball you have to watch basketball again Steph Curry is not a guy who's going to come down the lane like Russell Westbrook and just ah, cock back you know and a prime Kobe boom a prime T-Mac boom just come down and that's not going to happen that's not their game look at James Harden when's the last time you've seen James Harden ducking a game 
never really. He's a, he's a below-the-rim player, gets an unbelievable amount of foul calls. It's not even funny, but even like Damian Lillard is way more athletic than, uh, than uh, D'Angelo Russell. So I was a little... I kind of knew that when I was watching his tapes. I was trying to figure out why he was, why everybody was so high on him. Cause I was like, he's not that explosive. When I think modern day point guard, I think Westbrook, a uh, wall, uh, Rose, Rose is a horrible, I, Rose's jump shot is broke. If Rose ever fixed his jump shot, I mean, God, he is super athletic. Obviously he gotten hurt too. Um, pre-injury Rose, Derek Rose is about as athletic as you, you can get. Um, but look at so so you got to think about D'Angelo Russell more like Chris Paul, more like uh, Steph Curry, more like James Harden is a bigger guy, more of a two guard three three type player. So um, we could talk about the NBA all day long because I mean I'm super excited. I I don't even watch the NFL anymore really. So to me the NBA is really getting good. Uh, the fact, like a team like the Warriors, um, one, I think is, you know, I think it's great for the league. Um, and then the fact that the Cavs next year, I mean, are locked and loaded, ready to go. You've got a. Pro- I think everybody should also enjoy the fact that this LeBron. We've already maybe seen it to a degree. I mean, he's not coming down the lane cocking it and bashing it on people anymore. So he's starting to lose a step. We remember when Kobe lost a little step, Shaquille loses a little step. So just enjoy these next two or three years of LeBron because when that got, when, when that's gone, everybody's going to be thinking, well, when's the next LeBron? Is it this Thon Maker who's like a junior seven foot three Durant, uh, uh, Durant Garnett, you know, uh, double or something, you know what I mean? So enjoy, even if you don't like LeBron, enjoy the fact, I mean, I remember watching Michael Jordan, and it felt like Michael Jordan never missed. So for me, when when people talk about greatest player of all time, it's like Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all all time because I never remember him having a bad game. I never remember him missing. And wait a second, during his prime, he went and hit two twenty in minor league in Double A baseball. People don't even understand how hard that is. To hit 220 in minor league, I think he hit. I think he hit around 200, which was like, oh my god, that's so bad. If if I went and played minor league baseball, I wouldn't get a hit the entire season. <laughs> well, you're not Michael Jordan either. Well, that shows you that the, that the fact that he and he was playing double A. It wasn't like he was playing rookie ball. He was playing double A, and I think he hit. I think he hit like 340 in the fall league. Before they went on strike, like he hit that he was going to come back and play the next year, and then something happened. They went on strike, and then he went back to the Bulls. I was watching something. I think I think if you look up his fall, or he was hit, he hit a really respectable number in the Arizona Fall League, and it was like holy sh! I, and that was during his prime basketball years. There is nobody even close in my eyes to Michael Jordan. When, when even when they say Kobe, I love Kobe. Kobe's amazing. He's not. Jordan was six and zero in the NBA Finals, and again in two years of in his prime, he went and hit two twenty in, in minor league baseball. That's like that's the second coming of Jesus Christ to me. It's like I mean, my God, like there's no athlete. I mean, if I ever get to see another athlete 
do what he did, 6-0 and in the NBA Finals, and then two years during his absolute prime, literally the two years that were probably his prime, prime, prime years, he goes hits 220 in Major League in baseball. So Michael Jordan, to me, there's, there's not even any, except for, except for a prime Shaquille O'Neal. The year Shaquille O'Neal, I know, won MVP. I, I mean, nobody could stop him. Nobody. No, I, you could reincarnate Bill Russell. You could reincarnate Will Champ. You could reincarnate anybody. Kareem. And I think the year Shaquille won MVP, he was seven feet, 300 pounds, and could bounce off the floor like Derrick Rose, almost. He could back you down and then just turn and dunk over the top of you. And he would just do that routinely. Just boom, 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 hit you, dunk. Didn't matter how big you were. He was so, he, I mean, that guy was a freak. Like, people don't give Shaquille and the bad free throws and hack-a-shack and out. You go watch the year he won MVP. First of all, he was in incredible shape, and he was motivated. And it was the first year of Phil Jackson. And, oh, I mean... <sighs> I would take I I would I would consider taking Shaquille and four scrubs and you can have Prime Jordan and four scrubs and I'm feeling pretty good because first of all Shaquille's going to foul out every single big guy on on the other team and it's going to be a free throw shooting contest and it's going to be a slow triangle Phil Jackson game dump it in the post Shaq does his same move but you can't stop it because he's so big and so athletic and just so I love basketball I look at basketball. Like on a way, I'm really looking at the play. When I'm not just watching a game, I'm watching D'Angelo Russell. I'm watching what Carl Anthony Towns is doing. What are the Lakers doing to, to defend him? Uh, you know, all these different, what are their skill sets? What are the, I mean, I'm looking at their body. Like I said, D'Angelo Russell needs a two-year weight program on his legs. Like, I mean, in the NBA, you got to have like calves the size of, you know, your Mercedes to, and thighs the size of your Mercedes play 82 games and withstand that the whole year. So he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, wow. But, you know, uh, summer league was to wrap. I mean, the summer league was amazing. So for me, if you love basketball, clearly like I do, you should come to the summer league because it's like, oh my God, like, wow. Like, I'm looking over yeah. at my wife now since I uh, since I asked her if I could go to Vegas for the summer league, and I got kind of a not the response I was looking for, basically. So maybe next year, <laughs> maybe next year. But um, well, I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of people look at your Twitter account and think that you're there, kind of bent out of shape. But they can go over to YouTube. And uh, likely do just a search for 2015 NSCC or something like that and see that you have a lot of videos up. So maybe talk about some of the videos uh, that you've shot. I'm waiting on a – I did a 30-minute one today. And my camera that I got got a Samsung S6, it can shoot in like Ultra HD. Oh, nice. But it it limits the video to five minutes. So I had to tone it down to like a step above HD and then it doesn't give me a time limit. So I went around today and it should be, I don't know, we're still, we're still plugging along. 
on the Wi-Fi here and getting this thing uploaded. Um, it'll be up. I've got. I did DA today. There's maybe five or six on there now, and then so today I did like a 30 minute one where I just kind of walked through the whole, almost the whole, sh- not the whole show, but just sections of the show. There's a 10 minute DA one I got to upload, and then there was one other one I did. I thought, let me think. Uh, what was it? I don't remember. It'll be up on YouTube. Um, and I did five or six ones, different ones. And I, every year I try to do, I, I'm trying to do at least 20 from inside the show. Like it's not me ranting and rating, you know, blah, you know, it's just me showing you the show, showing you cards, you know, just kind of show how much, this, how much it is. And since this is my fourth or fifth year doing it, I know I got to walk slow. I know that, you know, I've got to make sure the camera's focused. I try to make them at least, you know, it's not professional quality by any stretch of the imaginations, but I am thinking about quality while I'm doing it. Um, I know some of these videos that people do like live and they just move the camera way too fast and you're getting dizzy and you got vertigo. I just suffered through some vertigo of a couple months ago. So I'm not trying to make anybody dizzy to be perfectly honest. But you could go over there. Yeah, I think it's like Sports Card Radio YouTube or something. And then uh, throughout the week, um, they'll be up there. I think we should talk like briefly about the apps. Maybe. Okay. You want to yeah. talk about the apps? Sure. You have time to talk about that? Yeah. I think, uh, um, I think I probably both of, I, well, I can speak for myself. I was skeptical when Tops has, um, started these digital apps, and I think it started with Bunt, base, the baseball one, um, where you can buy, maybe a lot of people maybe don't know, really know about it. Um, you can basically buy like virtual cards, um, fake, essentially fake cards. Um, you buy packs like you normally would. Most people play for free or they use the app for free. They use the app for free and then, um, you get coins every day if you log in and stuff, they kind of reward you. And then what is that honky noise? Oh, sorry. That? It's my phone. I'm getting like, Oh, or I was like, what the heck is Foghorn or something? <laughs> Investments. Um, uh, it's, it's a big earnings season, so my phone's going off a lot, actually. Jesus, at what time is it? It's, eight, well, it's eight, 8.40 where you're yeah, at. Guys, guys, do, guys listen to the call, and they do the analysis, and I get, like, notifications oh. or whatever. Um, anyway, so, oh, so they have Bunt, they have Kick, they have Star Wars... They have huddle, so the football, um, and believe it or not, and this is going to blow people's minds. There are people. There are like there are like uh, app. There are like the tops app whales, um, and they're typically not card collectors. Um, I know some guys who are spending like thousands per month on the Star Wars app because you can buy like almost, I think, a million credits for a hundred dollars or something. So then you could open a ton of packs for a million credits. Um, but there's, they're, they're dropping money every day on fake. They're literally, there's nothing tangible about them. There's, you can't pull them in the app and then get a real card. You can't, you know what I'm saying? Now, people try to set, people actually do, there, there is a little bit of a market for, you know, the digital card. I mean, it's weird. I don't understand it, but I don't care because 
there are a hundred thousand unique um excuse me there are 100,000 active users on each app per day so that is a lot um, um, that's really good and I would imagine actually the Star Wars is a lot and I actually knew this because I have the Star I don't know anything about Star Wars except for Darth Vader and I have the I log in Every day to the Star Wars, just to check it out. And if you go to, they have something called the fan feed. It every second, there's like ten people making comments. Trade me this. Trade. It's just like it's like, if you think Twitter refreshes fast, go to the uh, the fan feed on uh, the Star Wars app. There are hundreds of thousands of people using that. Maybe more because you think about how many people are using smartphones. Smartphones. It's this is gonna. This has the potential. It has the potential to go bust. I want. I mean, this is not a. Oh my God, Google moment, Uber moment. Oh my God, I'm gonna invest in Uber and be rich, which you might be able to do someday. Because um, God, that is the maybe one of the top five greatest things that'll ever be invented. To be honest, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> the apps. Oh my God, I always, I always like lose what I was saying the because <laughs> i start t- trying to talk about something else i that's why i don't that's why you do the show and i don't do the show <laughs> because i have no clue i have no sometimes i start talking and i have no clue what's about to come out so um well the, i think the apps are the apps are a really nice attempt i don't exactly know uh you know what the roi on i mean to me Makes me want to go buy more shares of Apple because they get thirty percent of every dollar that goes through that app. So talk well, about yeah, it. if you're playing it, if you're playing it like a trade, then yeah, you just invest in Apple because they're getting thirty percent and uh, of tops doing all the work essentially. So and then well, you know, Apple's providing the phones and the service and all that. But um, that's how you know Apple <laughs> Apple didn't get rich by giving stuff away for free. So yeah. That's a th- uh, that's what I was saying. That it has the potential to go to zero. That it has actually the potential to potentially bankrupt the company. Um, uh, wouldn't happen like that. It would just bankrupt bankrupt the digital division of the company. But it could go to zero. The digital apps could go to zero um, if you know it just it you know the fad runs out. People don't like it. They can't come up with. Uh, with exciting content or keep people engaged with the Star Wars app. They got the, I guess there's a, you know, a new Star Wars movie coming out. That's going to re-explode the app. Uh, it has the potential to go to zero, but it has the potential to be really big. And it actually probably has the potential and nobody, I don't think is really thinking about it. It has the potential, the effect of transaction with the company because now there's something of value. Um, eyeballs. And I, was, I mean, yeah, they have all hundred thousand eyeballs and that is, um, you know that's tangible to, to a gaming uh, company yeah. or somebody trying to get into that the app space um, that maybe wants to also play around with cards. Maybe they split it up because they are going down to Orlando. They're opening a studio in Orlando, um, and you know I I have done some research and I read an entire book about uh, the person who owns twenty five percent of the company, Michael Eisner, and this is a guy who. 
And it wasn't just a book. It was a book written by a Pulitzer Prize winner who had, like, inside access to Disney for, like, years and years and years. So this was, you know, not just like a, oh, here's Michael Eisner. No, this was, like, you know, a lot of actually negative portrayal about the guy. But I keep reading it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy keeps hitting home run after home run after home run. In 1992, he made $200 million. That's a, that's a lot of money today, let alone in 1992. That's like Ty Warner, the guy uh, who owns uh, the Beanie Babies. That's like he made more than that, to be honest. Um, people don't want to know how much money that guy's got. But Michael Eisner made $200 million. Um you know what he did? He had $191 million in stock options for Disney's, and he exercised it and sold it all because he knew Euro Disney was going to go broke. <laughs> <laughs> Gangster! So, yeah, he made over $200 million in one year because of Beauty and the Beast. They were just, like, killing it on these movies. Um, they still do. But, uh, well, yeah, obviously. Um, but they have the Star Wars rights. So... You know, Michael Eisner is a really kind of, in my eyes, I'm like, wow, he has all these connections. He has connections to, like, even some of the gaming companies, I believe, like EA Sports and stuff like that. There's, there's like, he has ties, like, because he worked, I think, at, like, Paramount. I mean, he's, a, like, a, a legend in the entertainment world. And that's exactly what Topps is trying to get into. They're trying to get into all these different types of apps. And it has the potential to be a big thing because there are... You know, Zynga is like a, an example of like kind of a disaster, but these are the, there are these examples of these games where these guys become fucking multi-millionaires on fucking Candy Crush or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So it, and there are a lot of people, a hundred thousand people is quite, and well, that was just what the number they threw at me. I think on the Star Wars, it's more than that. I, I'm one of them and I don't even know anything about Star Wars. And I'm not on there geeking out, collecting the cards. I actually trade any of the good ones I get to somebody who is, who does enjoy the game. That's one. It's just to kind of help out a friend too. Um, he kind of tells me, "Hey, go buy these packs because they're spitting out these insert cards or whatever." It, but honestly, it is fun when you open. I I actually encourage everyone, whatever one you want to download, it is kind of fun to press a button and open a fucking fake pack of cards, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and geek out over it and collect them and hoard them and, oh, I got this one. Um, but there are people that do, and that's fine. If you do that, I think that's, you do whatever the hell you want. Um, but it, there is a, it, it, there is like a parallel to when you open a pack of cards. You're trying to pull, I guess, these kind of rare cards in these in these apps. So there is a little bit of excitement when you hit the little, I don't know, you know, these weird Star Wars things that pop out at you. And I'm like, oh, cool. And you could flip it over and it tells you how many they have. It tells you, oh, there's 2,000 of these. Or, you know, and some, like some of the print runs are like up to a million on these cards. So you know they're... Now, now here's the thing. They're, they're, you can pay to play, but probably literally less than 1% of the people who are using it are paying. I'm, I would bet a lot of money that it's like 0.5% um, is physically playing, but 0.5% of 100,000 is still something. Yeah. Um, 
So, and then times that by five different apps. So, and it might be more for Star Wars. It might be less for certain apps. And, you know, I, I don't know. They wouldn't tell me. Trust me. I tried to talk, I, I talked and talked and talked to these app guys. And at one point they kind of looked at me and was like, who the heck are you? Kind of in a positive way. Like, dude, how are you asking me? Uh, how are you asking? How do you know about all this? I knew about the studio in Orlando. I saw about that. And they both like looked at me like, how do you know about this? I'm like, dude, I just, I follow. I follow this a little bit. I'm interested in it. Um, And then when we do this podcast, I can talk about it. So I encourage people to actually download the app and check it out because um, it could be something that uh, is really big, like for them, that could give them a catalyst to, and to be honest, they are spending more money on the cards here. They have a bigger space here. They brought in, I mean, think about two or three years ago, the thought of Tops bringing anybody to sign autographs here. We would have laughed at that. Like, that would not have happened because they were spending all the money building the apps. That's what was going on at that time. And that took a lot of money. I don't care what anybody says because Michael Eisner would want to buy. He'd want advisors. He's want consultants. He mm. wants, he's got to build out a team. That costs multi, multi, multi millions of dollars. He hired somebody from EA. He, he's hired some board guy. I mean, you go look at the corporate structure of the company. It's like gaming guy, gaming executive, gaming executive. So he's had to. It costs a shitload, and people don't see that. They don't see, like, you know, what some of these guys are getting paid, and then obviously just developing the the apps and, yeah, and Apple. You know. Right, and then what do you got to pay Star Wars? And what do you got to pay yeah, the MLB? Yeah. And what do you got to pay the NFL? And what do you got to pay uh, the, the soccer, whoever the soccer one is? Um, so it's, you know, there's a big investment. But that's one thing about Michael Eisner, too, that I've been researching. He's a tightwad. But when he ha- when there's a really good idea, a really good movie idea, or potentially maybe maybe that happened with these apps, he'll go all in. Or Euro Disney, he actually went all in on. He was all about Euro Disney, and then it, it totally like flopped. There's a good example. There's here's Euro Disney to jump back to the kind of the white cultural event. Disneyland is huge out here. Disneyland is really profitable, um, and Disney World too. But in Euro Disney, it's just not the same. They didn't want, they didn't spend the same amount of money as Americans. They didn't enjoy the park as much as Americans. They didn't. Uh, it wasn't as well received as American people. They liked Disney movies. They they thought it was a good idea. People, some people still came, but it just wasn't as. It, the Disney theme park didn't translate um, over to Europe when they tried it um, back in the nineties. So there's just kind of an example of, you know, American culture versus something that's not American culture. Um, but it, the apps, I mean, I think, I mean, like I said, it, they could go to zero, but if you were, if you were investing, like if you could just invest in the, you cut everything out and you could just invest in top digital, it'd be risky as hell. But you'd be getting in at a cheap price right now, and especially if it was like six, you know, six months or a year ago before they got the Star Wars. I mean, literally, if it was like a stock, and the day they announced they got the Star Wars, shit would have doubled. Maybe you know, it would have popped. You know, depending how many shares they have or what price it was or whatever it was. The Star Wars is a big deal because I think the Star Wars is their most popular one. And then when this movie comes out, it's gonna be like literally like a relaunch of the app because they're gonna have all this new you know, packs and content, mm-hmm. you know, and you think I've got a dorking out. I'm dorking out really on the business side of it. Um, again, they're fake cards and I don't understand it. I, I 
really don't understand it. You know, how people would pay for fake cards, you know, let alone like treasure them. And, you know, th- this one's really rare. And oh, if you put it on eBay, you get $400 for it. I totally don't get that. I, t- you know, it's on your phone. What if your phone goes down the toilet? You know, I guess you get a new one, you reinstall the app, and oh, my Han Solo card is back or whatever. You know, I totally don't understand that way of thinking, but I don't have to because you look at like the role playing games and even like video games in general, it's all fake. It's all fake. It's just like an escape, you know, whatever it is. It's still fake. GTA is fake. NBA 2K is fake. But people like sweat over it like their lives depended on it. You know, Madden games. You know, our buddy broke his hand in a Madden football game. So it's like, you know, it's the same idea. It was a fake football game. Why are you getting so mad? Well, it's a fake card. You know, I, yeah, I, I can I can see. Did you see that a Panini is uh, likely going to uh, make their way into the digital card market as well? Yeah, and I just I just they're going to partner with somebody and da, da, da. it's going to be disaster. It's yeah. going to be a it's going to be an absolute disaster. I I I don't to me. See, here's the thing, and I keep coming back to Michael Eisner. Because this is exactly his wheelhouse. The, he needs these little properties, these entertainment properties, and to have those connections to get there's. I mean, Star Wars is with Disney. Marvel, I think, is owned by Disney, right? I don't. Yeah, I think I so. Think. So, guess what? Could be a you know. What if there was a Spider-Man app? What if there was a you know any of the uh, you know? What if he just all of Marvel, the Marvel app? And you could get Wonder Woman, and you could get whoever, you know, all the Marvel properties. Panini's not going to be able to get that. You know? So, and the infrastructure there, Panini doesn't, you know, who are they going to hire that has those connections? Or who do they have in that company right now that has those connections? Okay, great. A FIFA app would be sick. But here's the other thing about the Tops apps. They're well done. And this is coming from a guy who I make a predominant, a lot of my money from the internet and from websites and stuff, not apps, but it's, you know, it's a similar idea. They're trying to get a conversion rate. They're trying to draw traffic to the app or get downloads. The apps are pretty well done. And um, like I said, I have to log in every day to the Star Wars to get these credits. Um, So I'm logging in every day and it's working and I'm, I'm like looking at stuff, and then, like I said, you could go to the fan feed, and there are clearly tens of tens of thousands of people on that app, um, and I think that's I think that's amazing. I kind of uh, I'm surprised by that. I'm, you know, I'm surprised that there's there are some positive things to talk about. Usually, it is like negative, like oh man, it sucks. Um, but I think it took a little while for these things to materialize. Obviously, they made a clear pivot. They, you know, stopped concentrating so much on cards and the licenses to get cards. They obviously they lost NBA. They tops did. They lost NHL and then they just lost the NFLPA um, one. So they're just making baseball pretty much and some soccer, I guess. But uh, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting development that they're. I mean, what if we thought, you know, four or five years ago, holy shit, they're going to have these apps, these four or five apps that all get 100,000 eyeballs a day each. So they're getting, 
a half million fresh eyeballs every day onto one of their products, um, an app and a digital product, um, that's pretty significant. There's not a half million people looking at cards every day, the physical cards every day. I can guarantee you that. Um, or buying or participating in some way. Um, I don't think there's a half million people participating every day. That doesn't, doesn't sound possible. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's, it's potentially exciting. I think it's risky, but, uh, it, reading what I know about Michael, I reading the entire book and it took me forever. Cause this guy, this Pulitzer prize get winner just went on and on and on. And it was kind of dry, but I was like, I was, I stayed interested in it. Cause I was like, this guy keeps hitting home run after home run. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, fucking, I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. Uh, was it Lion King? Bang, bang. I mean, it was like year after year after year. This guy's hitting home run, like, you know, half billion dollar movies. So, I, I personally think there's a shot that he pulls this off. And um, it ends up being a, a, a driver for the business. And, it, and I think it will spill over a little bit to the cards. And they've hired some key employees over at the card side. I think they've done a little better job. People seem a little more motivated on the card side. Uh, maybe some fresh ideas coming in over there. Um, just a little more renewed energy. Because I've, I've talked to some people, they like the baseball products this year. The stadium club, the museum. Aside from the little recall incident they had, which I'm surprised there's not more recalls. I mean, just type in recalls, and there were probably like 1,500 recalls today yeah. on stuff. I mean, there's recalls on meat. I mean, there's, I mean, food, food gets recalled like every five seconds. So I don't, you know, people made, I remember people made a big deal about that. I was like, I can't believe there's, they don't have to, you know, it just totally doesn't go to shit, you know, a lot. So, I mean, you put, you're putting coating, you're, you, you know, this UV coating and then you're using a certain type of pen. To me, that's like, you know, it's like when you paint a car you got to do it exactly right or your paint's going to turn out bubbly or it's cracked or whatever it is. So it's, you know, it's a, to me, I'm surprised that it doesn't, especially with the autograph where you're mixing ink with this foreign substance, um, you know, glossy, you know, and in any, everybody's like open, like old nineties packs or like when it, when they first started to use like Chrome, and the cards are all stuck together, like almost like practically ruined. Right. You know, like you open like a Bowman Chrome pack and it's like all the cards are stuck together. And you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have bought this box. Like these cards are like ruined practically. Right. So um, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more to me. Or there aren't more. I know they have some condition problems, but when you think about it, by and large, it's really... You know, it only affects like a very small percentage of the total print run of cards. There might be, you know, half a percent or, you know, three quarters of one percent that are messed up or chipped or dinged or, you know, something happened in the process of packing out the cards. So I'm surprised more stuff doesn't happen um, in that whole process. So, but I think, you know, I think going forward, it's... uh, 
you know, I think if this was like an investment, I think if we were to treat this like an investment, I think it would be safe to put a little, you could, you could dabble your toe into tops if you were out, if you, you know, didn't have any money into it. You could actually kind of, I think, dabble your toe because you've got a potential driver that could zoop, rocket this thing up to the, to the moon in the uh, digital apps. So that's something they haven't had. You know, when we were talking about tops, you know, two or three years ago, this, you know, was, I'm sure that they, uh, they were obviously planning it on their horizon, but you couldn't really see it. You sh- couldn't really see the clear path. You're like, well, they have these cards. Who knows how much they make on these gum products? They keep losing these licenses. They're having trouble with customer service. They have these idiot employees working there. There's, you know, all this kind of stuff. They have all this debt. Well, you know, now you can see a little bit clearer. Oh, they've hired, they've hired some smart people. Oh, they've, you know, spent some money on these digital apps. Oh, a hundred thousand people per day are using them each app. Oh, wow. I've actually used some of the apps are really good. So you can kind of see the driver, the revenue growth, the, you know, the, ooh, you know, kind of the positive vibes, um, for tops. Whereas you think about Panini for, you know, first of all, are they even making money? Second of all, what's the, what's the big growth thing? You know, they're pay, they're having to pay double for the, you know, the NFL. Is it really? Is that really going to pay off? Is Tops going to be able to, you know, still make football cards in some kind of way? Maybe like a legend set or even some of these pre-draft products. Um, you know, how much is that really going to help? That you, I think, an exclusive in baseball is really valuable because you come to a show like this and it's every table has, you know, it's all baseball cards. Right. Yeah. You know, where you know people don't collect football cards. The same way, even I, I think football cards are like the worst, you know, potential investment because aside from quarterbacks, who really holds their value? Uh, you know, I saw a DeMarco Murray card today for $1,000. I was like, who in their right mind would buy a DeMarco Murray card for $1,000? I don't care what, I mean, unless it had, you know, an ounce of gold uh, on it. I mean, there's just... Why would you buy a Marco Murray card for a thousand dollars? Tom Brady, sure. Aaron Rodgers, sure. Joe Montana, sure. You know, I could see you know any of the legendary quarterbacks, but Demarco Murray, any receiver, any running back who one hit and they're done. It's over. Career's over. One hit and they're done. In the NFL. So quarterbacks don't get hit anymore. I mean, they, or they. You know, it's hard to get hit now. So the quarterbacks can have that extended career like you can in baseball. They have an extended career in basketball, even basketball cards. I'd rather have, you know, I'd be rather be selling basketball cards or investing in basketball cards than I would be football cards because one hit and you're out of the league and you're done. Whereas the NBA, you could have a 12-year career. In Major League Baseball, obviously, you could. You, the, the great thing about baseball cards, you have a pre-career. They have the Bowman years. They have the minor league years. They have the, oh, my God, Corey Seager is going to be the second coming of Cal Ripken. You know? Look at, oh, here's a great point I want to make. A, you know, first time I ever seen Byron Buxton play. And, you know, this is a guy's number one prospect and, and all this stuff. And, boy, future, you know, MVP kind of guy. He struck out four times. Literally, first time I ever seen. And this is, you know, he's number one, I think, number one baseball America prospect. Struck out four times. And I'm like, wow, I, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know what happened. So, you know, his cards are blowing up, and then he gets called up, and he plays for like two or three games, and then he gets hurt, and the value of his cards have tanked. You look at Chris Bryant. Today I asked the guy, I was like, how much is this Chris Bryant card? And he was like, 
He's like, oh, that's it's uh, fifteen hundred. I was like, okay, and he was like, yeah, you should have seen them a few months ago. They were forty five hundred, three thousand. A green fractor, a green fractor number out of uh, seventy five. You know, so you you have those you have those like pre. You know, baseball cards has those pre-Bowman years where you're like, hype, 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 hype. Chris Bryant, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Byron Buxton, oh my God, oh my God. Right now it's happening with Corey Seager. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, and then they hit the majors and it's like, Nobody eh. cares. <laughs> you know, people forget how hard baseball is. Yeah. You know, I went I, I went to minor league games for like two, three years, and now I only go to the fall league now usually because it's just too much of a grind. But I was like, man, this is really hard. Baseball is really hard it's like golf in a way um it's a very difficult sport to become really really good um it just takes a lot of practice and and it's a grind it ends up being a grind you're going from you know stockton to bakersfield to modesto to san jose you're not making any money uh you're banging some hot chicks but you still you know you're not you haven't made it yet you know if you don't make it maybe she leaves so (laughs) It's not a glamorous lifestyle. It's hard. Um, you're, you're. Tw- I couldn't imagine being 20 years old and getting on a bus and going six hours to go to Bakersfield and stay in a Roach Coach motel. And you know you're going to go play in front of you know 200 or your closest friends in some shitty little you know a ball yard. So it's it's. I think people. I think people who prospect, I don't think they take they, – all they're looking at is stats and, oh, my God, he's 6'5", and he could have muscles, and he runs, the, he runs you know, the, down the baseline in 3.9 seconds when you're not actually thinking about these kids and how old are they, uh, how's their life going to affect them, uh, what are they going to – how's their body going to mature, what – and here's the fact, what defensive position are they going to play? There are so many guys – who I've seen, who are like, wow, they can maybe hit a little bit, but my God, where are you going to play them? Shortstop, catcher, center field are some of the hardest, I think, I think catcher, shortstop, center field in that order are the three hardest defensive positions to play. Uh, if you will get exposed and your team will get exposed if your catcher, shortstop, and center field are scrubs. You you will clear even though even the most casual baseball fan will notice when your catcher, shortstop, and center fielder are playing like shit. So and people don't understand that to play those positions you've got to be elite. You've got to be elite elite level to play catcher, shortstop, center field. So if you can't play those positions, now you got to play all the other positions. And there's a lot of competition to be stuck in right field or left field where you're not getting much action. Stuck on first base, which is like a kill. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt is one of the best players I've seen in the last 30 years, and you could get his autograph for 10 bucks, I bet, or 20 bucks. I mean, literally, Paul Goldschmidt is. I've never seen him take a bad swing. I've never seen him off balance. I don't know if I've ever seen him strike out. And. He's got one of the best swings I've ever seen, but he plays first base and he plays in Arizona. And he signed a ton of autographs. He's he's you know done tons of deals. Right. So these guys prospect, prospect, prospect. Byron Buxton, or oh oh my god, oh my god. When you really should go to the fall league, you should go. I mean, here's the thing, Carlos Correa. 
I've seen a guy play. So the, with the day he got called up, I snap bought six of his autographs for $29 each. Now they're selling for about 40 or 45 each. So I did, I've done okay. I think they're actually going to go more because guess what? I went to Iowa and I saw him play for three days and I dorked out just watching him every single event. What he, he made, here's the thing. Carlos Correa made one of the greatest plays I've ever seen on a baseball field. And he might actually might have got an error on the play. There was a runner on third, less than two outs. Uh, he's playing shortstop. Ball gets hit to left field. And I swear to God, I don't know if a left fielder was, was thinking about his girl or he's smoking a cigarette or something. He doesn't, like, even move. Carlos Correa sprints out from shortstop. Dead sprint. Doesn't, doesn't even look at the ball. Turns up, looks at the ball, catches the ball on the like a dead run. The guy at third base, of course, is tagging. Carlos Correa plants one foot in the ground, throws a freaking one-hopped, perfect strike. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't even lay the ball. I mean, the throw was the the whole play was spectacular. The throw might have been the most spectacular thing because he's running straight back, catches it, plants, throws perfect one hopper. And the catcher just whiffs. I mean, this is what I'm saying, how difficult catcher is. The, and, and the guy, the guy would have been out by 20 feet at, at home. It was the most, I, I remember like that play, like frame by frame being like, holy shit, why isn't the left fielder moving? And I'm like, wow, look at how fast Carlos Correa is. Holy shit, he caught it. Holy shit, he threw it. Holy shit, he one hopped it. Perfect. It like bounced right up. Like, just, I mean, and the guy, if all the catcher had to do was catch, he could have, like, blocked it, picked it up, fumbled it around, and still tagged the guy out. He had that much time. But he totally whiffs it. It goes to the backstop, and the guy scores. And I quick look at Carlos Correa, and he just, his shoulders just shrugged for, like, like a, like an end. You know, he didn't want to outwardly display that he was, like, oh, my God, did you really just miss that perfect throw? I mean, sports center-esque play. I mean, did you really? And he, he just kind of, you know, shrugged. I was like, oh, my God, did that really just have? Did he fucking whiff that ball? But anyways, so for three days, I'm observing this number one prospect play baseball. And I was like, oh, check mark. He needs to get way stronger. God, he needs to get in the weight room. He was like D'Angelo Russell. Like his arms, though. His, his, but I, I got his one of the few players I've ever gotten their autograph at a baseball game. And when he signed my cards, I was like, God, this guy looks like an NBA small forward. He's huge. His hands were like, you know, I, he looked like Ray Allen. He looked like a 6'5", like, just like small forward. And I was like, holy shit, this guy could play in the NBA. And, he, you know, he was playing great shortstop, has a huge arm. So what does he do? He gets called up. I don't know what he, I think he's tearing it up. I think he's playing really pretty, pretty dang well for being how young he is. So there's another example. All these people, there's even somebody doing a prospect seminar. This is how you make money prospecting. You want to know how you make money prospecting? Go to the fucking games and watch it. That's how you make money prospecting. And then for you, to me, to be able to watch a play, I never played baseball in my life, granted. And so for me to be able to watch a play happen and just one snapshot in time in Iowa, Carlos Correa literally made the best defensive play. I mean, this was this was two years ago, and I can see the play. And I was like, "Well, I don't know if I'll ever see a shortstop make a play like that in my life." And I had a perfect day. I was for some reason standing in left field, so I had a perfect angle at the whole play. And literally, they, the, I don't know, this tour might have given an error on the throw. He might have actually got an error on that play, but it was maybe one of the greatest baseball plays I've ever seen. 
So that's how you make money prospecting. And then same thing with Corey Seager. The first time I saw he's currently the number one prospect. He plays for the Dodgers. I'm a Giants fan, so it kind of hurts to be saying this. First time I see him play, he walks three times, and it was the greatest. And literally, I thought, I, I mean, I don't know how he was taking the pitches he was taking because I thought they were strikes, but they were like, must have been, you know, two inches outside. And he just, if it wasn't a strike, he didn't swing. And he walked three times. In a folly game where you're usually up there hacking, it's really light atmosphere. It's not like an intense game. There's like, you know, 50 people in the stands. And, you know, he's a big stud. He didn't have to worry about really playing well. But he literally just like, if it wasn't a strike, he didn't swing. And how many players at 20 years old, yeah, I mean, people don't even understand it. They're, they think, oh, he just strikes out a lot, or that happens a lot, or, boy, you know, boy, that's the game today. They can just strike out. Now, I'll take a guy like Corey Seager, who is up there. He's First of all, he's got a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. And, to, you know, like I said, you've got to, to be successful, I think, at prospecting or if you want to be – you know, anything like that. If you really want to get on a deep level with these Bowman cards, you better go. And I've had, I've actually had success. I'll check out my cards doing this exact same thing. I seen the guy play. Holy shit. He's going to be great. You know, and, 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 uh, it ends. Who was Jorge Soler was the first guy who I started making money on. Cause I saw him in the fall. Like I was like, why wow, he's got a good swing. He's not like, a uh, he's not hacking away, you know, at it he's he's strong he's big he's physical um so that's the type of you know and this is the type of work that if you're ever going to become a successful businessman you got to understand what you're looking at you got to understand the game of basketball you got to understand baseball you got to understand whatever you're trying to get into you know so boy i just went on a huge tangent but i think that's i think that gives some insight into i don't think people think that far enough with i think what we were talking about was like that baseball collectors have this whole minor league experience and and you don't get that with basketball or football you can't sell the college stuff so i think with baseball that's why it is so interesting because i can go see carlos correa and there's five people there you know but i can totally observe them for three days and be like oh my god if he hits the weight room and if he has any kind of work ethic Jesus, uh, what I would give to be six foot five and have his legs and body and hands and then, you know, put me into him and oh my God, like it was, you know, you know, it's one of those things where you see a guy that's so, and even like Corey, Corey Seager's a big guy, physical guy. Uh, I don't, I, I haven't observed his defense as much as, like I said, the three walk, the three at bat, three walk game ranks to me and i've seen probably several hundred minor league games in the last few years that that game like ranks very high aside from the billy hamilton we don't have to talk about billy i love billy hamilton like like uh well there's an example of a guy that you know super hyped super when he came up super everybody's super anticipated and i think he's still in the league and he's hitting and he's stealing bases but nobody cares and I think right. that's what when I read prospecting stuff on blow up forums and whatnot, the I mean, it's always sell 
when he gets called up. Period. Right. There's never even a, before. I think. I even think even before. the wetness before. Right. Yeah. You could you can sell into that kind of strength too. I think a lot of there's just this kind of built-in, you know, and it's, it just ends up coming down to a supply and demand thing. There's kind of a surge of demand when kind of the mainstream people realize that hey, he's finally up there, and it kind of triggers all the people that were buying his cards not to hold them but to sell them. Triggers all them to sell, and then all of a sudden you have a much greater supply. Then he starts getting all the autograph cards out there. You know, there's all this stuff that ends up tops end up producing 20 million of his cards. Uh, in his rookie year and so it kind of floods the market so i think you know if anything i think they have league pass for uh minor league baseball i'm pretty sure you can buy like some version of league pass for minor league baseball you you know honestly honestly i i've watched a few minor league games on tv the thing is you gotta go and you gotta plan to yourself i actually like to observe the whoever I'm watching, and usually I go, I only go to a game, and actually the, the number one pick of the Arizona Diamondbacks is going to come into Stockton, I think, next week when I get back. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to go to those games, and I'm going to observe him the entire game, and you have to pay attention because you want to see when a ball's hit to him at shortstop, you want to see him, what, it, you know, uh, what's his technique? What's his transfer? You can watch somebody like, well, we watch Brandon Crawford a lot for the San Francisco Giants. You watch Brandon Crawford, and first of all, not again, we got to toot our own horn on this. On this, uh, didn't I invent? Remember when he hit that grand? Didn't we have some kind of contest or uh, bet going? Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. invented that. So, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, well, and the reason, the reason why I did this, this was Crawford was coming up, uh, A ball during the times I was going to all my minor league games. And he, so Crawford, it just, he, he had some wrist problems. This is before he hit the Giants. So this was several years ago. Um, and again, he made an all-star team this year. So let me keep talking. Um, he, so he's rehabbing an A ball. And I, oh my God, there was a double play he made that, you know, again, I talk about defensive, I talk about defensive plays because that's where you're going to make your money. Where are you going to play defensively? And, Brandon Crawford, watching Brandon Crawford play uh, shortstop in the minor leagues, I was like, because the ports, at the, the Stockton ports, the team I was watching, they had this guy, Dusty Coleman, you can look up his stats, I don't think he's ever made it, he was such a shitty shortstop, and where else could he play? Maybe he could play second base, he didn't, uh, third base probably wasn't an option, he was too erratic, but he was such a shitty shortstop, and then Brandon Crawford comes in for like four or five days and play, and play, uh, is on the Giants, and I'm just watching Brandon Crawford out there, and he looks like he's a fucking just a fucking Mercedes, just a, the best Mercedes you can buy. That's how he looks at shortstop when I'm watching him. That's the type of level that, if you're really thinking about prospects, that's the type of level you gotta you gotta be watching. This. So when Dansby Swanson comes in for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I don't know much about him, I've seen a little bit of stuff about him. I don't know how big he is. I don't know, you know, I know what he looks like, but I, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna observe him right when he walks out what does he do does he sign autographs is he that kind of guy is is his girlfriend there is his family there what's where does he go let me watch him warm up is he choking around is he like billy hamilton and so you know he's waving at me you know what's going on and then i'm gonna watch the entire game and i'm probably gonna actually videotape all of his at bats and then when he's playing defense i'm gonna be basically any time a ball goes i hope every single ball goes to shortstop 
because I want to see him react on the ball going in. I want to see him do pop ups. I want to see him do a double play. I want you know, I want to see all. I want to see him around the base. How he reacts. What's his transfer? Because if he's a good defensive player, then it's like okay, check. Let me just watch offense. Okay, well he's a major league defensive player. Great. That's great. That's check one. Now what is he doing at the plate? Is he striking out? Is he lunging? Is he you know, baseball is like a technical game, a lot like golf. When you're, you know, a lot of people can dissect a golf swing. Oh, his elbows, like, you know, I can't. I can't talk about golf in that. You know, I can't watch Tiger. I just watched Tiger Woods. I'm like, well, you know, where'd the ball go? I can't really say, oh, well, boy, he dipped his head or, God, he, you know, he flipped his wrist. I don't know all those things. If you really want to become serious about watching sports, basketball, they go and watch one person. And why, well, and I always like to watch the, why is one person better than the other person? Uh, why is Kobe Bryant, be, you know, so good? You know, you can really, why is Steph Curry good? I think a better example is why is Steph Curry so good? He's not like what Russell Westbrook and can come down and bash. Well, one, he's a historic shooter. He's a great dribbler. He's uh, a little more athletic than you think. And, uh, He's really worked on his shot, you know, so you really have to think about the game, and especially with these baseball players. So I'm really excited about Dansby Swanson coming in again. He's the number one, literally the number one pick. So, um, and I'm going to go watch from the time he steps out onto that field. I'm going to watch him all the way through. And again, when you're prospecting, guys, defense, 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 defense. The premium positions are catcher, shortstop, center field. Everywhere, well, uh, third base, third base is a tricky position. You've got to have a skill set to play third um, and second, but less than short. Shortstop, to me, is the second most difficult defensive position behind catcher. And that's why somebody like Buster Posey is, well, I mean, you could look at what the Florida State coach said about Buster Posey before he came out in the draft, that Buster Posey was uh, – the most important player to ever come through Florida State. And I think the coach at the time was like a 20-year coach at Florida State. All these players had come through. And I remember researching when the Giants were in that draft and they had the fifth pick and it looked like maybe we'd get Buster Posey. And I remember when I read that quote, I was like, wait a minute, this coach has been here for 20 years. And he said the most impactful player he ever had was Buster Posey and it wasn't even close. So I knew when we got him that it was – you know, I didn't know, but I thought, wow, he could, he could be a really good player. I didn't know that he was going to be almost like a Derek Jeter type player to where I think he brings uh, real calmness. And again, he do not l- l- watch Yadier Molina, watch Buster Posey. Um, trying to think of some other good, really good defensive catch. Even like, well, Yadier Molina, I think to me is the best. If you're just watching him play defense. Just the way he frames pitch it. I mean, that's a t- that's that's a brutal, tough position. Again, I've seen a lot of minor league games with a lot of catchers that didn't have a, hundred, a tenth of the talent of Buster Posey and Yadier Molina. So you could imagine what's happening in these games. A lot of balls are getting by. They're not blocking anything. Runners are stealing bases. I mean, it's a disaster. I mean, it looks sloppy. It's like, wow, damn, man, it's hot. These guys look like, you know, crap, and they're catching gear. It's just they don't look like a major league player. You can clearly tell they're not they're not ever going to play catcher in the major leagues. That's a, I mean, that's a skill set. So whenever you're like, oh, the big prospect, he's a catcher, 
uh, you better go sweat them about five, you know, a homestand, a three games, four games, and watch every – how many balls got through? You know, how many balls did he block? Did he block them the correct way? Uh, you know, how, just how does he look out there? Does he look stiff? Is, you know – and uh, you can compare that when you watch somebody like Buster Posey or somebody like uh, Benji or uh, Yadier uh, Molina. Benji Molina was a great catcher, a great defensive uh, catcher. His offense was so-so. Uh, he was kind of slow, so he's a base clogger. But um, base to me, baseball. I mean, you know, you're never going to get me to talk about football in this regard. But if you love football, you should be looking at. W- what makes a great offensive lineman? What makes a great quarterback? What makes a great running back? What makes to me wide receiver would be the most fun position because they're running these routes. There's a little bit of deception. Um, it would be fun to actually just watch a wide receiver in a corner go at it the whole game. Um, would to me would be fun to watch like a lot if you're watching. A, you can't do that. I, I hate watching football on TV because you can't see the whole game. I hate like it's with baseball. You don't need to see the whole action because right when they hit it to Brandon Crawford, you get to see him come in. You get, you know, you get to see the whole play with football. The receivers are downfield and you can't even see them. So I, I still don't, you know, I guess, you know, us Americans, again, that's a cultural American cultural thing. Cause football isn't popular anywhere else, but here. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I love, I'm more, and I'm sure there's people who geek out about soccer. Well, you can look at the technique in soccer, I, I, maybe I'll watch more soccer because there's a lot of technique. People think, oh, soccer's so boring. It's like, no. I think it's pretty exciting when the best player in the world is coming down. You know, he's running toward the net and somebody's trying to stop him. And they kind of zoom. Like, I remember that, like, Ronaldo, I guess, or whatever, is supposed to be, like, one of the best players. And I was like, oh, whatever. And I just remember they kind of zoomed the camera in on him. And he did this juke move that just totally like ankle broke the guy trying to you know and i was like oh that's why he's so good you know he like clicked in like oh my god oh my god that's why he can move faster and he's stronger and he's bigger than everybody else that's when it like clicked in like oh shit this is a really cool sport they don't have to score for it to be exciting like i don't even think he scored on the play it was just like oh my god that quick twitch so I encourage people, if you really love sports, don't just watch the team and you're, oh, come on, score. Really get into it. Watch the technique. Why is Brandon Crawford and, and the, the, oh, my God, the kid for the Braves shortstop is unbelievable. I mean, he's a, he could be a, he's like a, he won't get into the Hall of Fame, but his, his shortstop defense is um, practically Hall of Fame worthy. Um you know, watch these players. Why are they better than, and this is why it's good to go to minor league games because you can see the difference. You can watch a really shitty uh, catcher in the minor leagues, watch a really shitty shortstop. You can watch a shitty center fielder. Again, those are the three keepers. That's where you can really screw up your baseball team. Um, and you, and actually it's an insight into why the San Francisco Giants have won uh, three, of the, out of the, three out of the last five World Series because you have maybe the best catcher in the I think no they have the best catcher in the entire league they probably have the second best defensive shortstop uh in the league and he's he's a damn good uh hitter and in center field they have Pagan and uh Blanco who are 
very, very capable defensive center fielders and can hit a little bit. Um, that's why that's a big part why we've won, guys. Center, uh, catcher, shortstop, center field. Fuck these stupid, fat, steroid idiots in right field, left field, first base. You know, and sometimes they try to stick them over a third. That's a disaster. Like Miguel Cabrera at third at, at this age. I mean, when he was younger, he could play third. But, I mean, you know, you got to put him at DH or first. I don't want those guys. I don't, I, I don't want those type of players. Those type of players don't have value. Catcher, shortstop, center field. Um, to me, those are the premium positions. They may not be the premium prospect. Oh, well, look at Chris Bryant. I saw Chris Bryant play before he broke in. I saw him play in college. Um, and, oh, well, wait, we got we to toot our horn. Another great uh, player I want to point out is Nolan Arenado on the Colorado Rockies. That kid, I remember, and here's the thing, don't believe everything you read in Baseball America or these fucking stupid books and shit, because I remember I kept reading how, oh, boy, his defensive third is really questionable, but he can hit. Yeah, to me, when I saw him, first time I saw him swing, I was like, check mark that, looks like Ryan Braun swing, and to me, Ryan Braun has like one of the best swings in all baseball. But then there were two defensive plays that he made, like, you know when somebody does like a slow dribbler, to third, and the, and the third baseman's got to run in barehanded and throw to first. There were like two plays in this game, and only major league caliber players can make that play. Like when a, it's a slow roller to third, third baseman's got to run in barehanded and throw to first. That may, only major league caliber players can do that. And Nolan Arenado, and again, I kept reading how his defense, you could probably go back and find these articles, how his defense at third is questionable. And I'm like, okay. And he literally made these two plays, and I'm like, Perfect. They look like a the best, uh, you know. And these are an A ball. This is an A ball game. This was before he did anything. Um, he made these two defensive plays, and I was like, "There ain't nothing wrong with his defense." And I think he damn near is going to win a Gold Glove. So don't believe. Again, that's why these books and these. Oh my God, you know Byron Buxton. Again, first time I saw Byron Buxton struck out four times, I was like, "Eh, he might be as good as Adam Jones someday." So you can look up Adam Jones cards and. And tell me what those are selling for and see if you want to be spending the kind of money. That, again, Adam Jones is a good player, but he's not, you know, the, the type of money that's, you know, the Buxton was was getting. So you really got to, if you really want to prospect, if you really want to say you know baseball, if you really want to say, you got to go to games. So, and the cheapest way to do that is go to minor league games. And that way you see that, you actually see bad players. To me, that is... And I actually go to college games to see even worse players. Like you, it would it would make the minor league players look like uh, Hall of Famers. Go to a college game, you know. Go to a major league game, then go to a minor league game, then go to a college game. And you, sh- if you're watching the game correctly, you should be able to see the talent discrepancy the same way you would watching a high school basketball game, a college basketball game, and an NBA game. So I encourage everybody out there to. Just to me, it's. I mean, people wonder why, you know, me and you don't, like, geek out over cards. Well, because I'm geeking out over, you know, prospects and watching D'Angelo Russell and really watching sports because that, to me, that's my movies, that's my Netflix, that's my YouTube, that's my that's my Star Wars, that, you know, that everything, that's my video games, everything everybody else does for entertainment. I'm, I'm totally, my entertainment is watching 
athletes do what they do, why are they good? Why are they good? Why did Chris? Why did Corey Seager walk those three times? What What is he doing? That's different. Why doesn't he strike out a lot? You know, why did why 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 did they say Nolan Arenado wasn't good, but he just made two of the best plays I've ever seen at third? Like maybe the people watching him. You know, maybe he's improved. Maybe he's getting better. Maybe the people who were watching were full of shit. So, and we're, they're having to crank out articles. They're having to watch all these different players and they got to do a 150 word snippet. You know, boom, boom, there's a deadline. When really, right. you should go and just, and watch it and, 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 uh, you know, go to summer league, go to fall league, go to, you know, minor league baseball games. If you really want to geek out on it um and to me that's it's really it becomes rewarding because you start to it's easier for me to notice a guy you know is going to be good um you know i when i watched Corey seager i think he wasn't he might have been in the top 20 prospects but he wasn't number one everybody was talking about buxton at the time and then when i saw Corey seager i was like no, I'll take Corey Seager because, wow, he's going to be a 12-year player, at least. Um, I mean, at least, I, I think. I mean, well, and the funny thing was, so I, I go to spring training. I, well, I see the fall league, and then I go to spring training, and it's Giants-Dodgers, and I'm sitting next to a Dodger fan, and I'm like, hey, do you know if Corey Seager's playing today? Um, and he's like... He didn't know who he was. He was a casual Dodger fan, so he didn't know who he was. So I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden, Corey Seager comes up. And uh, so I t- so we've been talking the whole game. I'm like, hey, this kid, Corey Seager's really good. He da-da-da-da-da. And uh, uh, Santiago Casilla, who's our closer for the San Francisco Giants, was in and, and can blow 95. Uh, Corey Seager, like on the second pitch, like ropes a uh, one hop double into the gap, and you should have seen the look on the Dodgers fan's face when he looked at me, and I was like, "I told you he was good." I was like, "That's our best reliever." He just fucking yacked for a double. And mind you, Corey Seager had been on the bench the whole game. I didn't even know he was in uniform. Then they say, "Oh, Corey Seager's coming out." I'm like, "Oh, well, watch this guy. This guy's gonna be a fucking stud." And sure enough, he hits a double, and I'm like, "Yep, see, told you." I mean, the guy looked at me like, "Oh my god!" Like, how did you know that? I was like, "Dude, this guy's a freaking." Stud. Of course, it's not really saying much. He's the number one prospect in baseball now. But um, like I said, this was this was almost a year ago that I ha- I saw the three walk game when I saw him walk three times, and I was like, you know, I thought about it the rest of the day. So you know, that's what I'm geeking out over. Some people geek out about this convention that's going on down the hall. I'm interested in the you know the business side of it i'm certainly interested in the athletes um but i'm much more concerned it's much more rewarding to just watch it's much more reward now when i watch a baseball game i at least understand a little more what is happening you know basketball i i played a little bit and i coach now so i can see when the Lakers, you know, you could look at the stat line on the game Carl Anthony. I saw Carl Anthony Towns play, and you'd be like, "Oh wow, he's a he's a scrub." No, the Lakers were double teaming him the entire game, like he was, you know, Will Chamberlain. So you've got to be able to, and then that's why you need to see a guy multiple times. You can't just watch it on TV. You got to go in person because trust me, these guys look a lot different in person than they do on TV 
way different. You can see the size. You know, you can see a guy. You can just see a guy's size or or the lack of size, like somebody like a D'Angelo Russell and his legs. Um, I don't know. You're, you're basically an uh, amateur talent evaluator. And I think all that can help with cards. All that, all that has helped me. I check out my cards. I bought, you know, I, I, bought, I was buying Correa. Last year when Correa, Carlos Correa, got hurt, he hurt his ankle. Last year, um, I started buying his cards. Because again, that was, he got hurt after I had seen him make that, make a, that amazing play in Iowa. So it was like, I knew he was going to recover and he was going to be back. And so I started buying his cards. They were selling, and I buy the low end shit. I, I actually don't buy a lot of autograph shit. I buy the low end shit. They were selling for like twenty five cents. Now they're like a dollar, dollar fifty, two dollars all day. So you may snicker at that, but I have over, you know, one hundred fifty, two hundred of those cards. So all of a sudden that turns into a few hundred dollars um, on just knowing that he was going to get better. He was going to return. God, he had a great chance of you know. He's an M1 pick, so you're going to get every opportunity. Um, that's the type of, you know, I love people talking prospects and this, and I read the Baseball America book and these stats and these numbers, and I know baseball has really gone analytical, but the only time I really learned about the game was you walk straight down to the person you want to see, and you literally, like, rail him the whole game. You, you're watching him. And you're really every single thing he does from the a lot. Maybe a lot of people they only want to watch at bats, or they only want to you know they that's all they want to. You need to focus on what he's doing defensively. And the the sad part is, one I can't evaluate pitchers. That's why I don't even prospect pitchers. Is because I'm not skilled enough. To me, that's like a, almost a whole separate skill is to evaluate a pitcher that mechanics of a pitcher or, or, you know, aside from a radar gun reading, you know, he throws 98 miles an hour, what makes a really good pitcher, the t- you know, all these different things. I'm not good at that, so I totally don't even I, – I totally stay away from that because I'm not uh, – I'm not on that level. Um, I enjoy listening to people watch – I excuse me, I enjoy listening people talk about pitching because I don't – I can't – process it so i have to let other people kind of uh talk about a guy's mechanics but you could easily learn a guy's defense and you can easily learn it match just his balance watch a miguel watch watch barry bonds how first of all there's nobody i've even seen that he could even touch barry bonds uh especially on steroids um barry bonds on steroids is maybe the greatest player of all time. Uh, and, I mean, it's easy to say that, but uh, he was, re- I mean, he was Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame not on steroids. And keep in mind, there are a ton of people on steroids. That, there, that, that was the, it wasn't like he was the only guy on steroids. So him on steroids, so I think in the era of steroids, him being, you know, the best player, um, I think he already was the best player. But Barry Bonds, that's why, I mean, they have to outlaw steroids, because Barry Bonds on steroids, I mean, that's like a wet dream. I would I would go back and watch that. I would I would snap, go back and watch that season over and his at-bats over. And you could probably, 
I mean, he'd probably go three games and not even see a strike, and then he'd see a strike and hit a home run. Like, that's how good. I don't think people I, – I've never even seen anybody close. I don't know if you have, but I've never yeah. even – there's not even – there's not even – Maybe when I'm playing like MLB 2K and I've got my yeah. ratings up to 100, then it's like watching Barry Bonds. And you Bonds got it play. on easy. Yeah, you're yeah. playing an A ball. Yeah, and, he's, and it like it, you you guess the pitch and it, it shows you where it's going to be and yeah. when it's going to come. So that's the only time you're as good as Barry Bonds. Like Miguel Cabrera is an unbelievable hitter. Mike Trout is Mike Trout is very good. He's very good defensively. He's obviously very physical and huge and a good hit, but he's not even. Mike Trout is unbelievable, and is probably going to be first ballot Hall of Famer. He's not even in the same universe as Barry Bonds as a hitter. Derek Jeter is a historic player, and you know an all-time Yankee, which is saying a lot. He's not even half the player Barry Bonds is. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. had some injuries. Ken Griffey Jr. is an amazing hitter. I just still Barry Barry Bonds to me Barry Bonds to me is almost like Michael Jordan where he didn't miss. I never uh, first of all, I never seen Barry Bonds take a bad swing. I mean, on steroids. Wow! I remember when he was uh, not on steroids and he was a low well, just younger though. Low three hundred hitter. Yeah, but he was a little younger, and as you get older, I think his balance. I mean. Obviously, when he was on steroids, his balance and his uh, like play discipline and his awareness, like he literally saw the ball before you threw it, almost. Like it, he was that. He was, and I don't know if that's they they say that steroids improves your eye or whatever. I don't. He he had an uncanny knack of, or just hand eye core or something physical about him. Or obviously his traits were really good. I mean, Willie, Willie Mays is his godfather, and Bobby Bonds, who was a, a, a very good player in his own right, was his father. So he had certainly the bloodlines, but to me, Barry Bonds, and people, I hate when people, the steroids, and the, the everybody was on steroids. I knew guys in college were uh, all were all on steroids. I mean, I, I was taking creatine. I mean, everybody was juicing back then. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't. And he was. It wasn't like he was a scrub to begin with. He wasn't a scrub. He was. He was a Hall of Famer, anyways. And he just took juice and became. I mean, he was the second coming of you know Christ on a baseball field. At that, I mean, it was. You know, we could talk, we could talk for three hours about Barry Bonds because. He just—that's the, you know, to me, that's the pinnacle. I mean, if if you, you know, if I ever see anybody that can hit like Barry Bonds, uh, wow. I mean, these guys today aren't even close. Giancarlo Stanton, not even, couldn't even, couldn't even sniff Barry Bonds' jockstrap. I'm trying to some of these power hitters that get a lot of attention and get, uh, certainly getting a lot of money. Um, the only one, I mean, I, Paul Goldschmidt is first baseman of Arizona Diamondbacks is, you know, unbelievable. Um, Cabrera, obviously, he's won a triple crown. Trout um, is a great player to watch. Um, i trying to think of just some other, just people that pe- people should watch play baseball. 
I think we were focused too much on the home run, too much on the, you know, oh my God. When really, I get, like I said, I went on for, you know, two hours about Carlos Correa making a great defensive play. To me, that is, I like watching that more than a guy just cranked a home run because a guy threw a bad pitch or whatever. So, or he guessed right. Um, there's a lot of things to baseball more than just home runs and a radar gun and, uh, I don't know when you, baseball is you know is a lot of fun to watch. You're watching sequence of pitches. What is the pitcher throwing? What you know? Once you really start to get into it, and you can sit at a game and not identify what pitch the guy's throwing, but you really just need to identify: did he throw a fastball or did he throw a curve or change? Or you know, his off speed offering. Usually in the minor leagues, they've literally only got like two or three. They've got a fastball and maybe one maybe two other pitches so you're really just watching for that fastball and then off speed fastball off speed and then how does the guy you're you're you know whoever hitter you're watching is he getting off balance on the on the off speed stuff is he squaring up the fastball you know where what is the pitcher trying to do to him how's he trying to get him out there's a lot of complexities of baseball that is um it's one of the reasons why it's you know been uh, around for so long and for a while I'm sure 40,000 people went to Jackie Robinson you know minor league baseball game that's how popular baseball was back in the 1950s 40s 50s 60s there so um, baseball's a you know great game it's going to be going on forever and thankfully you know we've won you know we got Tudor on horn here we've won three out of the last five world series and those have meant you know the world to me honestly because I love baseball and then the Giants winning is like, uh, it's better than the Lakers winning, to be honest. I've become more of a Giants. The Giants winning means more than the, uh, the, the maybe because the Lakers have done it so much and the Giants, ne- have, you know, really never done it. Um, but the Giants have some really fun players to watch and, and some very likable guys, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell. I mean, you can list their whole team. And it's, you know, likable guy after likable guy. Um, so it's just been, I mean, baseball, we could talk about, we could, we, you know, we could do this, we could do this podcast all the time where we just talk about, where maybe I just talk about. <laughs> there you go. You <laughs> baseball can, uh... players. Well, we only do this once a year. So yeah. we might, you know, you might as well just talk and talk and talk. Cause guess what? I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm going to come back, uh, Next, but it, I think it gives a lot of people come up to me and they say, "Oh, well, you take this so seriously, or you, boy, you, you, you know, you this and that." And it's like, no, I really don't. I take watching Corey Seager seriously. I take watching, you know, watching sporting events seriously. Uh, my business money, you know, I take you know Pearl Jam's music way more seriously than you know Pearl Jam is way more important than cards. You know, so, I mean, so it's like, I think I'm, you know, I'm smart enough and I've been around the business enough to be able to come to an event like this and be able to digest it all very quickly and be able to, to, you know, and the other thing, here's the thing with Twitter, guys, it's 140 characters, you better hit somebody in the mouth or go home. Yeah, this isn't Facebook. Care, right. Go go write a Facebook post. Uh, you know, my YouTube videos are much more like, hey, this is what's going on, and check this out, and oh, look at this. You know, you can be much more free-flowing on YouTube. I can go on and on 
you know, or on this podcast, I can go on it. On Twitter, you got 140 characters to sock somebody in the face. You get, or to get an, a, 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 the, the way I heard it described is to get an emotional reaction. And it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. You just want, when you're tweeting, you want, you either want your picture or your text or whatever to, to have, to have an emotional reaction to the person reading it, either to like it or hate it. I mean, that's really what you're, right. It's the same thing. You're just trying to get an emotional reaction. So I, I, and that's what Twitter to me, to me at least is for. It's not to promote, you know, Write a Swilicky, you know, write a fucking five five paragraph essay on Facebook or your website. Don't just tweet all day long, like for your, you know, the rest of your life. When you're at an event like this, hey, here's the thing: if you really want to get followers and you really want to get known on Twitter, come to this thing and start tweeting. You know, like I do, or you know what I mean, or or be negative. People wonder why we have a little bit of a following or whatever. People sometimes pay attention to us. It's because we're we're willing to step out and say something. Well, we come to the you know come to these events and at least do a podcast, and I'm here and I'll, I'm willing to say something. And then I'm going to go home and geek out about Pearl Jam and basketball and baseball. I mean, the NBA season's coming up. I mean, the NBA season's almost year. I mean, the whole Deion. I don't know if you followed the free agency yeah, and DeAndre yeah. Jordan. Yeah. I mean, that was like. You know, a lot of fun, and the lake. I mean, the people were like, you know, riding the Lakers' grave because we didn't get stuck with the, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge for twenty million in the back half of his career for four years. I mean, I was like, when he didn't, when he was, he didn't want to come. I was like, thank God, because first of all, we're not going to win he, even if he was here, and second, he's a twenty million dollar player on the back half of his career. He's a great player. He's a he's a great player, and he's great. He's, I mean, then uh, next year is going to be. You basketball haters can suck it because, first of all, this year what I thought was really good. It was, um, a good year. A, it was a good year. He had a very compelling playoffs. I mean, the Spurs Clipper series was excellent. That first round series was a great series. Um, and the Warriors, I, obviously, I'm railing the Warriors the whole year because I'm destroying selling tickets for them. I'm getting about 40 VIP parking passes. Uh, you know, every game I'm getting some valets and I'm getting tickets. Actually, the the most money I made on the Warriors was an Indiana Pacers. It was like halfway the, during the season. An Indiana Pacers game, I got a bunch of tickets. People were, I guess, nobody wanted to go, but uh, or the season ticket holders didn't want to go, and I just you know bought a bunch of tickets. That was like the aside from the playoffs, I killed. Oh my god, wow! Because what I did, you see. You know, tickets are kind of like the websites. You gotta, you gotta, you can't just go on there and be like, "Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just buy some tickets and resell them." Now you gotta know what you're doing. Um, so I hope over the course of this podcast, me talking about baseball players, I maybe I didn't sound intelligent, but it, I mean, I feel like I have at least an understanding of baseball and, and basketball and what makes a good player. I, I know what I, I understand what I'm doing. And I've thought about it, and I've spent the time. I spent two years going to baseball. I didn't play. Neither of us ever played little league. Never played. I never played. Uh, I couldn't tell you anything. I mean, I could tell you about baseball because I watched it, but I, I never physically played it. So for two years, because I wanted to prospect cards, I, I needed something to do at night. I was. 
And for two years, I went to minor league baseball game and learned the game. I, I knew I needed to learn. I needed, I, knew, I needed to watch it the whole time. Watch it. Why is this guy really good? What happened here? What's this situation? What are they, why'd they do this? Why'd he throw that pitch? Why'd he swing at that? Boy, he, that guy never hits a curveball in his life. He's never going to make it to the major leagues. You should be able to easily tell the guys who are never going to make it. That's what I did. That's what you got to do. If you want to be successful in life, you know, you got to learn what you don't just, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a card store owner. I want to be this. Figure out how to do it. Watch the people that are the best at it. Watch Buster Posey. Watch Yadier Molina. Watch, you know, Michael Eisner in a sense. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever you're trying to do, who is doing it the best and why are they the best? And hopefully you're sm- a lot of people aren't smart enough to even figure that out. That's the problem is you're not even you're, you, you, you're so caught up in the money and the hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Let me get to this. And you, you forget about the process. And that you gotta go to 200 minor league games before you can speak intelligently about Corey Seager and, and Carlos Correa and, and buy their cards and Byron Buxton. Yeah, first time I've seen Byron Buxton, he strikes out four times in a game. How many minor league, um, how many major league players have struck out four times in a game this year? Probably very few. I bet there's been maybe, well, they struck out a lot nowadays, but I bet there's been less than 10 in the entire major league season this year of guys who have struck out four times in a game. So that told me clearly this guy's not, this guy's not even close. And his cards were selling for like 200 bucks. And I'm like, Oh my God, people have no idea what they're buying. They're literally just buying off of baseball America. Oh my God, he's toolsy. He's fast. He's black. He's whatever. You know, they're like, they're just, you know, it's the, the, the write-up is always the, oh, at the max potential, he's this. He's Hall of Fame, whatever. When in reality, and, and a lot, and on Nolan Arenado's, again, they said he was questionable at third base, and I was like, God, this guy's ready to play third base in the major leagues. But you don't, you can't get to that point if you don't understand the game, if you haven't done the research. So if you're trying to get into business or you're trying to do anything, if you don't understand it, you haven't spent the time. Dan, you got to spend the time. I went to Summer League. I watched Colin. I've watched these guys. Now I only have to see them a couple times to get a scouting report. Then it's easier to watch the games on TV because you've seen the guy in person. You know the size of his hands. You know the size of his legs. You know how tall he is compared to this guy. That's why when Willie Cauley Stein came out on the court, I was like, holy shit, that guy's big. You know, Julius Randle. Holy shit, that guy's big and he has a really quick first step. And people bounce off Julius yeah, Randle. Yeah. I mean, people, he's got, he's got a, but he's a worker too. He's, he's a, he's a, you gotta listen to their interviews. You gotta see, you know what I'm saying? There's more to just the playing side. This guy's a worker. He's lost some weight. People bounce off that kid. He's got a, he's got a, oh my God. Well, look at somebody like Blake Griffin. Who isn't, who's way more athletic. Um, well, who is like, Blake Griffin is like a top 5% athletic kind of guy. But Blake Griffin really worked on his outside shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you saw that too. I mean, yeah. he is now, you know, I, I remember when he came in the league, everybody was like, well, he's got to work on his jump shot to be like Carl Malone. Well, he has. So let's give the guy some credit because he now is a guy who, 
and he's working on his free throw shooting. Um, you know, he doesn't, you know, I think everybody thinks, oh, he, you know, he's high. And to me, Blake Griffin's one of the top. I enjoy, I love watching Blake Griffin. Not and not him dunking. I love his little post moves. He gets off these like weird angle shots. You know that he he like spins in the lane, and then he kind of gets these weird angle shots, but he makes them all the time. Yeah, like it's the weirdest. He takes these like weird. I don't know, but and then he then he like the elbow jump shot is just money, like money in the bank. Like uh, oh, and Anthony Davis. If people want to know, I mean Anthony Davis to me, uh, if they have like betting lines in Vegas. I'd probably bet him to win it. Uh, he could win MVP. He's an MVP transcendent. Hopefully, he comes to the Lakers. Kind of. Oh wait, no, he no, he just signed a contract. So unless he has an opt, out. Uh, yeah. Well, he's with our boy uh, Dell Demps. Yeah. Um. So we can't feel can't be uh, too disappointed. But and to me, Anthony Davis, uh, another guy who's who's worked on his game. Um. And who to me is going to extend his range out to three point? Um, he can handle the ball a little bit. Obviously, he's a tremendous rim. Per- I mean, he's a complete player. Um, he has the potential to, you know, Tim Duncan is a great player. He uh, to me, he has the potential to be better than a Tim Duncan, who's often compared to. To me, I'm like, wow, he's way more athletic than Tim Duncan yeah, ever was. Ever was. Ever was in his life better defender that way. Well, I mean, times ten. Let alone that the range could extend out to three, and he's a he's a more fluid athlete. I mean, he's. I mean, to me, Anthony Davis, and that's why the West. And that's why the West is so crazy because he could become. He could easily become an MVP type player, and that totally changes that team. Um, and they could literally vault up, similar to how you saw Oklahoma City vault up, you know, almost out of nowhere, you know, once Durant and Westbrook, who are two of my favorite, I love. I mean, I know both me and you, Russell Westbrook is. I invented uh, Westbrook. Well. I was, I, you remember, I was saying that Kevin Durant was even think, the best player on the team. I don't think I was team. saying Durant was better. I don't think I was one who was saying Durant was better, to be honest. But the the overwhelming perception was Durant was great and Westbrook was somebody that nobody even realized was on the team. And the whole time I was saying he's probably the best player on the team by far. And I still think that's true. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. His, oh, my God. His mid-range is, like, again, another thing where I remember, oh, he's not a very good shooter. That's what they were saying. Every time he come down to the court, he knocked down that seventeen footer like it was like nothing, like a layup to him. So again, another guy that he for some reason he gets like hated on. That's what's weird. He gets hated on, and it's like he's the one of the most athletic guys in the league. First of all, second of all, his mid range is knocked down. His three point is sucks. I mean, he's he's got one well, that doesn't suck, but it uh, he could get way better at that. But his mid range is unbelievable. And when he's coming down on the break, you don't know if he's going to pull up for that or he's going to keep coming down the lane and bash up on you. So you've got to, that's why he gets that shot up so many times because guys are backing up, backing up, backing up. So he just boom, quick pulls up to that little 17 footer and hits it. And he is, and he's got, he's, he's, he's like Kobe. He's got the Kobe, yeah, uh, Chris Paul, yeah. uh, attitude. 
um, that alpha, they call it, the Lakers uh, crowd calls it the alpha dog, uh, the alpha male kind of thing. Um, they're always looking for that alpha. You know, LeBron is, you know, alpha male kind of that, that uh, just the guy. You're the man. When you think of LeBron, he's the man. When you think of Kobe, he's the man. When you think of Magic Johnson, he's the man. Obviously, when you think of Michael Jordan, he's like, you know, God. Right. So it's like those are the type of players. That's why when you see one of those type of players that has that mentality, it's really special. And that's why I hate when people like hate on him and criticize him. It's like, dude, exactly this guy's what? Yeah, it's like, dude, if you want to come to L.A., well, he's going to be a free agent, so fingers crossed on that one. Like, come home to come home to L.A., buddy. We'll take you in your prime, that's for sure. Like, or Durant. Durant's going to be a free agent this year. So, I mean, you know, we're we're uh, we got some money, and uh, Durant. I mean, Durant is unbelievable, but Durant is a little well. Durant's like a freakazoid because he's like seven foot and can shoot and. Um, yeah, he's good. I ain't saying he's not good, but I think just ability-wise, I think I've always – I mean, I was saying this about Westbrook years ago. I mean, now it's, yeah, it's you far have more been. apparent, but, I mean, I was winning fantasy titles with him long before anybody even realized who he was. Well, let's talk about – well, here, an interesting player is Zach Levine, who I saw who was playing with in that summer. I, I should have talked about him because he is – well, he went to UCLA, and then he's he's – Uber athletic. I mean, this guy's like a freaking pogo stick. He is like, people compare him to Westbrook. I don't really see that. I see more of a poor man's T-Mac. He's got similar, very similar build, uh, same athleticism, uh, same like no fear, ready to pull up. Levine has to continue to really work on his jump shot. And then, I don't, he's a weird player because he's not a point guard, but you, you, can't really he'll disappear if you don't if he's not the point guard you know what i'm saying yeah. if he is the two or the three he's not a he like he's not like a curry or a clay top like oh my god the clay thompson and curry are like the perfect combo because you can just run thompson off the screens or curry off the screens and the other guy can have the ball or facilitate levine is not like that at all he's not a you know he's not clay thompson you're gonna set a screen for him he's gonna catch and pull up jump shot ray allen style He's not that way at all. So he's a weird, like, he has to be a point guard. and he, So he's not he's not Westbrook to me. He's more of a – and T-Mac was like that with the Rockets. T-Mac was like the point forward, the Kobe. Right. You know, the – well, I mean, first of all, T-Mac wasn't even close to Kobe, and Levine shouldn't even – I shouldn't even be mentioned in the same sentence as Kobe Bryant. But, uh, I mean, let's be – perfectly clear here to me kobe bryant is you know top 10 for all time uh in terms of skills um and what he's done so levine is an i'm sure that's another guy people are going to watch and i know you're kind of on the wiggins bandwagon and maybe i gotta watch him oh, more wiggins. I, I don't know well, i question his dribbling to me his uh, he can he's only 19 years old he can, he can figure out how to dribble i don't think curry was that well, good to dribble either but who? he worked on it curry yeah. No, Curry was a point guard, dude. No, 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 no. But a guy can work on his handles. It's all about footwork. Uh, if you have the athletic ability to – what I like about Wiggins is he plays with a balance that shows me that 
he's going to develop into a, a very, very fine player because that's what separates someone like Curry is that he can he does all the fancy dribbling and he looks like he's out of control, but when he shoots the ball, he's often very much on balance for his type of shot. I see that's I don't I don't compare Wiggins to uh, to Curry, but Wiggins has that same ability to kind of look semi out of control, but then all of a sudden, when he's ready to shoot, he can gather his legs under him and put up an effective, you know, a lot like Kobe, who could, especially in his younger day, could look a little bit out of control, but then square himself up to shoot. Wiggins is, Wiggins was a top 10 fantasy basketball player the second half of his rookie season. I know he wasn't playing with anybody on his team, but he was a top 10 fantasy player, and he's he's like 19 years old, and he was a rookie. So he, to me, he's a complete. I'll give you that he's a complete because he should end up being a good defender, a very good defender potentially, like a lot, almost maybe a lockdown. I see um, him as be becoming a superstar in the NBA, being one of those guys like. Wow. Who de- is he going to be like LeBron? Is he going to be up there with Kevin Durant? No. I don't know, but I think he could certainly be on that second tier. I know Anthony Davis wasn't considered an MVP uh, or uh, like this amazing player until. Really, wow. the, his second wow. year. So I gotta watch this guy way yeah, more than I had guys. I had fantasy guy. I had Shabazz Muhammad. I had some other guys on the Minnesota team that I had on my fantasy team. So I saw plenty of Minnesota games. He Wiggins wow. is an excellent, excellent. He's an excellent. He's a one of the best athletes probably in the NBA. But he. Oh well, yeah. He can use that athlete. He is able to gather himself and shoot on the run, which I think is an underrated talent in the NBA. Anybody can shoot the ball in the NBA. Everybody can make an open jumper. It's can you make it when you're, you know, you make a move or two and you have that split second where you're open. Can you gather yourself and shoot? you know, square yourself up and shoot, which gives you a high percentage. He's just a very good player. I just think he has a tremendous athletic ability, still only 19 years old. I see him as being an MVP candidate. Wow. I mean, he's, I mean, maybe when he's 22, 20, kind of like Anthony Davis, when he hits 22, 23, I think people will fully appreciate his ability. Um, similar to Westbrook. Nobody gave a crap about Westbrook a few years ago, but I always felt like his his ability was was far better than what people gave him credit for. I think Wiggins. I mean, Wiggins' number one pick. He's going to be. There's going to be a lot of attention on him, but I don't think you you need to review. Okay. Wiggins' game. Well, you know what I liked, and maybe maybe you can speak to this. One thing I liked, and I haven't seen him that much. I'll admit that I have not seen him that much. Um, I like, to me, I think his weakness, I mean, he's, like, think, think about Kobe, T-Mac. Uh, you can just ISO those guys on the wing, and they can get to the rim. Harden, uh, and obviously point guards, but I'm thinking, like, bigger guys like Wiggins, athletic guys. Whereas I see Wiggins more like, I mean, you remember James Worthy's game? Yeah. To where James Worthy wasn't a dribbler at all. He was, uh, Wiggins is way more athletic than Worthy. Uh, Worthy was a number one pick. Uh, but Worthy would have, Worthy had this, 
you threw it to him on the post, and he had he had the maybe like the best spin move of all time, uh, and he could spin off you and get and get layups and get little scoops and dunks. And I, when I see Wiggins, I'm impressed that he's comfortable. Very, very few. This is why I actually, I am going to revisit it because there's very few young players that come into the league at his age and can and look comfortable. I mean, think about how long it took LeBron to look comfortable in the post. Still, uh, still, and even there. it took Kobe. It took Kobe a while. Right. It took Kobe a while to have the foot. Whereas Wiggins, when I saw him, he go to the post like a worthy. And I was like, wow, he looks nasty. That looks like where he's supposed to be. Not out ISO, shake and bake, and one mixtape, cock and dunk. Like Kobe, T-Mac, Levine, you know, those type of athletes, Westbrook, uh, those type of guys. Whereas, I, and I think we can include Westbrook in that Kobe, Kobe, T-Mac, Levine, Westbrook, Wiggins, because to me, they're all that 6'5", rangy, you know, cock back dunk kind of guys. Um, you know, hybrid guard. You know, they they have the ball in their hands. Wiggins isn't. Wiggins to me is a is is a is more of a James Worthy player. Which the guy to me, the guys who win MVP are LeBron, James Harden, Steph Curry, me, Westbrook, Durant. Derrick Rose, the guys have the ball in their hand all the time. That's why I, I, I think he, I, I think he'll be an, I, I, I would bet a lot of money he'll be an All Star because he's going to be a two way player. He's going to be able to score because he's super athletic. But the to why I would stop short of the MVP. Well, again, Anthony Davis. It, why I would stop short of the MVP because he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time. He's not a post-up center like Shaq or Anthony Davis or somebody Wilt or somebody like that. So he's more of a worthy player. Hall, you know, Hall of Fame, great player, unbelievable, retires jersey. You know, if they get some other pieces around him, maybe they win a championship. And he's a huge part. Uh, but I just don't see the, you know, is he Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard's a very no. good player. A lot. No, he's better than Kawhi. He's got, yeah, he's got more game good. than Kawhi. He's uh, got more. He's more he's Kawhi more gets kind of shut down because he's in the system and he's got all those players around well, maybe, him. Yeah, that ends up they – they have the Anthony Towns guy. They have Levine. They have, uh, right. you know, Kevin well, Durant. Yeah, exactly. The pro, that, there's your problem. Is The reason why he won't it, win MVP is because Zach Levine is chucking out 15, 20 oh, snaps a game. <laughs> That's a weird team. That's a weird team to me because you have Levine. He's so exciting. You can see the potential. I'd love to have him on my team, but it's like he's a weird person because if you if you bring in another point guard, you play Levine off the ball. That's not his game. Um, and he's almost like redundant with Wiggins at that point. Him and Wiggins. If you don't, if Levine's not your point guard, him and Wiggins are like the exact same player. Almost, they're doing the same. You know, they're almost having the same role. Um, I don't you know. That's, I think it's, you know, that's what is great about this podcast is that we're talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So you can tell that's why, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, what, you know, people who think we're just sitting here, you know, refreshing Twitter and grinding over sports cards the whole day. Uh, I hope this proves that. You know, literally, we could do, we could probably do a four-hour show each week on just talking about this exact thing on basketball players oh, or college football. You think, 
Well, college football is a lot of fun to watch. I'm, as you know, I'm not the greatest college football evaluator um, of at least uh, talent. So I'm, and I'm also at my football game back uh, probably ten years ago. I I could tell you a thing or two about football players, but now um, college football is a lot of fun to watch. I mean, college football is it's all day. I mean, that's the greatest thing about college football and, and and you could see almost any game you want whereas the NFL you have to have direct TV and you got to pay this money and da, 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 and all this stuff down the line so it's uh yeah well maybe you know if you ever want to talk if you ever want to do a college football you know one day you want to talk college football you should and I think we should I think we should really talk about because there's that really because I'm all the time, I'm looking for like NBA podcasts and, you know, people, talk, there's not a lot of intelligent people talking about basketball, you know. And, right, and they'll, really, talk, they'll talk about the Lakers and the Knicks because that's right. where all your hits and, 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 and they, they'll just in. They'll just go, oh, they suck or they, oh, God, they haven't won. It's like, uh, can we just be patient and chill out and actually have a, you know, a legitimate discussion about what's going on there and, and I think what the Knicks did, I kind of like. I thought maybe they overpaid on uh, Lopez, the center. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like throwing. I know the cap is going to go up huge next year. The business of basketball is, to me, is. Uh, the, I love the games, but the free agency and the trade debt, or the uh, the draft and the and the DeAndre Jordan thing. I mean, that that's the only time I'm on Twitter. Is during those the NBA, you know, those NBA times like that's like so much fun to follow and watch. And oh my god, what are the Lakers going to do? Or oh my god, the meeting with Aldridge was a disaster. And you know, you're feeling like all bad and shit, and people making fun of the Lakers all the time. So uh, it's uh, the NBA is just to me, yeah, the NBA and, and major league, minor league, and major league baseball to me is like the two uh and college football i think we're you know the nfl i think we'll see and i think you even predicted it i think we'll see the steady decline of the nfl over the next 10 to 15 20 years to where you're going to see a reversal and i think you're actually the big opportunity and actually to tie this into business if you want to start getting into tickets i'd start looking at soccer uh i actually made one of my biggest hits for the year was the uh Manchester United game played at Levi Stadium. I I sold seventy five parking passes, um, and some of them I made over fifty bucks each on. So you can start adding that up. So I mean, that was like a you know two three thousand dollar game for me. Um, and if you're looking if you're looking to sell tickets, those are the exactly the type of games you want. The the ones where the ticket scalpers and the other people are competing again aren't thinking about. They're thinking. Oh, nobody's going to go to this. Oh, yeah, nope. I fucking was able to run through 70 tickets real quick. Um, I think soccer could be a huge opportunity for people who are, you know, looking to get into business or that type of thing. Like soccer, uh, soccer could grow and we could see the steady decline of the NFL as more parents don't let their kids play, as it becomes more of like a, a real thuggish uh, kind of thing. I think we're going to. The, the, the head injury sports, the UFCs, I would be, I'd be short selling the UFC right now. I'd be short selling the NFL. These head injury, these meathead guys who go, 
you know, there, and I was watching something on TV the other day, the disproportionate of these guys who go beat their wives and girlfriends is like staggering compared to the general population. Right. These guys are just overly aggressive. They're just trained. Like, I don't, again, I geek out over athletes. So I don't like when these guys are being put in a position to where something about the sport or the training or the steroids or whatever they're doing. And God, okay. This is what bothers me. You mentioned Barry Bonds anywhere outside of San Francisco, and it's like the guy's O.J. Simpson. And every single fucking NFL player, minus the punters, the kickers, and the quarterbacks, were are fucking all on steroids. Are you kidding me? We worked, or I worked. You, did you work at the Niner camp? Uh, briefly, yeah. I, I did it for a couple years. Every single one of those players was on steroids. The off, the entire, I mean, these, you can't get that big without steroids. The entire NFL is probably still on steroids. And we, oh my God, Barry Bonds is like fucking Hitler and shit. Anywhere else but San Francisco, Barry Bonds is the freaking devil. And, and yeah, we cheer every single NFL player. Yeah, I was, I was hearing that on the radio. Like somebody was talking about how Antonio Gates will probably still make the NFL Hall of yeah. Fame, and he just got busted for steroids, and no one cares. No one cares no one if cares. he does. But if a baseball player does steroids, oh my oh, god! Shit, he's th- throw him in jail. They almost threw Barry Bonds in jail. <laughs> Are you kidding me? God, no wonder. That, 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 why is he so prickly? Why is he such a jerk to the media? God, I'm surprised he didn't kick some of these media people and some of these fans in the face. He'd have been justified. Every single NFL, literally every single NFL player is on steroids. Every single University of the Pacific baseball player back when we were going to school was on steroids, and they didn't win a damn game. And Barry Bonds is already a first ballot Hall of Famers. He, so... He does. He he goes to the All Star game and see Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire get all this attention. And I'll tell you one fucking thing: for watching all the baseball I watch, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire are not even one fifth the fucking player Barry Bonds ever was. So if I was, here's the thing too: ask yourself this: if you're Barry Bonds and you're Matt, I hope you guys were alive when Mark McGuire. And Sammy Sosa, two motherfuckers. First of all, Mark McGuire, all he can do is hit. He's a DH first baseman. So he's, he does nothing else but hit. Sammy Sosa is a strikeout artist if he doesn't take steroids. Sammy Sosa probably strikes himself out of the league if he doesn't take steroids. Barry Bonds sees these guys basically become fucking national heroes. And they're not even one-tenth as good as Barry Bonds. And go look at the year, go look at the season Barry Bonds had the year those guys put it. Barry Bonds, that was pre-juice. Because trust me, you can, you can, if you read Conseco's book and you read uh, Game of Shadows, which is one of, to me, one of the greatest books I've ever read is Game of Shadows. Um, again, do some research, guys. Don't just fucking talk like you know base. Don't act like you want to know baseball. Don't act like you want to know this shit. Go actually read some books by some very well-respected people and read up on it, and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, two players who fucking doesn't have fucking one lick of the talent Barry Bonds ever had, get all this national attention, making all this money, 
And you can't look me square in the face and tell me your ego wouldn't get the best for you and you wouldn't want to jam a needle in your ass when you see what these guys want, the attention they're getting, the money they're making, and the success they're having. And they're cheating. And you can't tell me that you wouldn't want to cheat too? It's fucking full of shit. I would have fucking jacked myself full of steroids to make to play in the major leagues. I'd do it right now if I could. I would instantly take steroids, especially during that time when they weren't even testing for it. Again, we vilify Barry Bonds, and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa didn't have fucking one lick of the talent he had. So of course he's going to go take some drugs. And oh, by golly, the year he hit fucking 73 home runs. By the way, I think he also hit like 350 or something. And if they would have thrown to him, he would have easily won a triple crown if they would have fucking thrown him a pitch to hit so he could drive in some more runs. I think he broke the all-time record for walks that year. Broke Babe's roots. You could see all the records he broke. He can blame fucking Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Who's, who are, uh, Mark McGuire is coaching right now. He's still in the game. He can go walk around. I saw him in spring training. He can go walk around. Barry Bonds walked down. Oh, the heckle of Barry steroids. The motherfuckers don't have half the fucking talent as Barry fucking Bonds. So if you're listening to this and you're one of these fucking haters, <laughs> you don't know shit about baseball. You just hate because that's what you've been told. Have you been told Barry Bonds a cheater and steroids? You don't go read Game of Shadows, read Conseco's book Juiced, which, believe it or not, is one of the best books I've ever read. Juiced and Game of Shadows are probably my top ten. Um, Juiced is an unbelievably great book, um, and you know it turns out what he said was true. So read, read about it. And Barry Bonds was supposed to be this bigger man. Oh, all these guys are taking steroids, but I'm not. I'm the greatest player in the game, and all these guys are juicing, and I'm not supposed to. And Barry Bonds took steroids late. He wasn't on juice. He took them later. He just happened to be fucking better than all these motherfuckers. It really irks the fuck out of me when people talk shit on Barry Bonds, when all of these motherfuckers are juicing, the entire NFL is juiced. So when you're cheering for your little football team this year and you can't wait till Sunday in your fantasy game, they're fucking juiced. So I better not hear nobody talk shit on Barry Bonds unless you're going to fucking point fingers at all your fucking glorious little NFL players and your little UFC athletes who beat their fucking girlfriends. Go fucking read that uh, HBO report that just came out. The disproportionate and the UFC athletes that then go beat their girlfriends. So when you go pay $60 for your pay-per-view for these fucking little cage fights, and that's not sport. That's not sport. Guys getting concussions and Junior Seau blowing his head off, blowing uh, committing suicide, that's not sport. That's not... I, I get kicks out of watching Corey Steger walk three times in a game. Not guys, get concu- not, not guys get concussions and go commit suicide when they're 40 years old and millionaires and have kids. That's not sports. So I, I would bet anything we see the continued decline of the NF, these, these animalistic sports that are really only popular in the United States. Um, those are going to be, in, you know, it could end up like boxing, to be honest. The pop, you know, niche just these niche sports, these, you know, who, what parent in their right mind is eventually going to let their kid play football or be a UFC fighter? These are going to be these whacked out people. 
And that's probably why they, they go beat their girlfriends or they, you know, there's a disproportionate per- percentage of these guys who are, who are, you know, committing crimes and committing violence. It's, well, they'll blow their hand off with a firework. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when we have two NFL guys basically threaten their career because they're so stupid to hold a firework They're on hand. steroids. They're on juice. They're on drugs. They're being drugged. They're drugged up. Honest to God, they're drugged. They have, they're on some, or they're on painkillers or they're on some kind of pills. It's too physical a game. These guys are too big, too strong. It's too much force. Like, And when you're throwing in drugs and and money and, you know, this, I mean, um, you know, Friday night high school football is huge. Imagine an NFL game, the pressure these guys feel and the texts they're getting and the family and the hangers on the groupies and the girls. And I saw the other day, what Colin Kaepernick and Alden Smith were like banging the same girl. I mean, the girl was freaking gorgeous. I don't know. One of those gossip websites had a picture of the girl. I was like, well, I, you know, I don't blame them, but, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot, going on these guys are kind of uh meathead uh you know athletes i mean football to me is like the least glorious least beautiful least interesting you know like it's football it's you know it do you have a good quarterback if you don't have a good quarterback good night <laughs> you know who in who in the world would have thought the golden state warriors would have won this year they're probably you know like 30 to 1 20 you know 15 30 to 1 to win a championship they ended up, you know, it ended up coming together for them. They didn't need that star quarterback. You know, is are the, are the Bengals, could the Bengals win the Super Bowl next year? I hope so. Oh. <laughs> there's just, but you figure with you know your boy there. I mean, there's there's no chance. He's not a he's not even in the top fifteen quarterbacks. When is the last time a team won that didn't have a top fifteen quarterback, or the guy didn't become a top? 15 quarterback afterwards you know and not in top 15 more like top 10 usually i mean you think about the last russell wilson could you know end up hall of fame uh tom brady obvious uh who are the last few i just was thinking about the last uh oh uh, eli manning has won two recently he's uh obviously hall of fame type player peyton manning has won recently uh a few years ago drew Brees has won the saints have won recently joe flacco that year with the Niners, I mean, you could argue that Joe Flacco, but I, uh, would you take Joe Flacco over Andy Dalton? Hell yeah, you would. So, I mean, when you think about the NFL, it's gotten to the point where it is kind of a weird league where if you don't have a quarterback, you're done. That's why somebody like Marcus Mariota, I mean, maybe I'm, again, I don't know that much about NFL, but when I watch him, I'm like, I don't see it. Uh, when I see Jameis Winston, I see it because I'm like, wow, the guy fucking throws rockets. And he played in more like a and he played a pro style right, and people are going to be drawn to him. He is that kind of alpha male right. quarterback. Exactly. And he's elite. Well, and he's a baseball player, so you watch, I don't know, you go back and watch his throw. Some of his, he throws, he throws like John Elway rockets. Like, like I mean, just like bullets. That translates to the NFL. Whereas I watch Marcus Mariota, I was like, "Well, he played in gimmicky offense. He's not. He doesn't have like a huge arm. He doesn't. I mean, he's somewhat athletic, but he's not like Michael Vick, or he's not like he's, even he's like sne- I he is. I would say that's his best trait. Is he's um, you is know, he Colin Kaepernick though? Uh, I mean, is maybe that a, running ability. I would say you know they're but different. Colin, Kaepernick, different builds. Here's the thing. 
But... Kaepernick has a freaking gun. Kaepernick has a yeah, rifle. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't compare him to Kaepernick. I would compare him running wise. He is very. He's a very good uh, runner. I would say that Marcus Mariota. But how does that translate to the NFL? How many guys I don't run in the NFL? Exactly. I don't think it does because you got, you you're gonna get cracked if you run. You're gonna uh, get destroyed because that linebacker, all the linebackers on steroids. That's yeah. the thing. They're all juice guys. They're all juice. That's why I don't even like talking about football because they're all juice. It's all cheating. So we talk about oh Barry Bonds and the point the finger at your football team. Before I know there's probably a lot of people out there who hate Barry Bonds who probably maybe listen or end up here and fuck you and fucking go watch. <laughs> <laughs> your whole NFL, your favorite little football team, they're all on juice. I worked for the 49ers. I saw the size of these, and this was during the steroid era when everybody was paying attention to baseball and, and the football players were still on it. Uh, you, These guys were so big. I mean, I, I it's uh, these guys were so Big and on a side note, I've never seen two the two hardest workers I've ever seen was Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens. I mean, yeah. they talk about they talk about work the work ethic, the Jerry Rice's work ethic that wasn't bullshit. I remember coming out to training camp. It was, in Stockton gets like a hundred degrees, and I remember getting the, I had to get to camp like two hours before practice, and I remember the only person out on that UOP football field was Jerry Rice and he was like in a full body like like wetsuit and it was a it was like a hundred degrees and he was fucking running sprints. <laughs> Nobody else was out there. And this was at the back half of his career, obviously. This was like when I was this was like two thousand. This was like this almost some of his last years with the Niners. And I just remember standing there watching him and so uh, and uh, I no, this was the time I think I had VIP or something. He he worked out pregame before anybody else. He went through a full practice, and then he signed autographs for like thirty minutes to an hour after the game for all the VIP people dripping sweat and taking pictures and being nice and being Jerry Rice. Yeah. I mean that's the and you know Terrell Owens wasn't the the same type of person or the same type of guy, but Terrell Owens worked his ass off. When the times I saw him practice, I got to see these guys practice. And I'll take Terrell Owens on my team any day of the week. I, again, another guy that gets hated on consistently. And I'm like, remember the workout he did when his house, when he was like, uh, our son, <laughs> he was with the Eagles, and he's working out. That's the type of guy he is. He's always, he's always doing crunches. He's, he probably still, he probably could take his shirt off right now and look like a Greek god right now. <laughs> like he get, I mean, Terrell Owens and his work ethic. Like, he would literally run a route to, you know, NFL game speed and then talk shit to the cornerback all the way back down. This is practice. Training game. He talks shit the whole time to him. Running back down. Like, I got you. I got you. Boom. Running, 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 running. He runs out. I mean, the guy w was a phenomenal worker. And he, I think he learned a little, a little bit or a lot of that from Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice, again. It was two hours before anybody was even on the field, and he's in a full-body wetsuit in a 100-degree temperature running, goes through a full practice, and then signs autographs after the game. So I don't want to hear anybody ever talk shit on Jerry Rice either. So, because it's hard to talk shit on. I don't think many people are, but 
you know, just in case you thought about it or you make fun of his dance moves on Dancing with the Stars or something. But, hey, you probably worked hella hard at that, too, to get good at that. Sure, the yeah. guy's a, a worker. So, uh, well, that's that Jerry Rice is a perfect example of what I was saying about how he had to learn what you're doing. Learn what you're doing and work at it. And when nobody's watching, you got to be working at it. And when you're not tweeting, you got to be working at it. Jerry Rice... At the peak of his career, when he's making $10 million a year, and he has an F6, a sick-ass S600 Mercedes sitting in the parking lot. Trust me, I got to see all these guys' cars, and Jerry Rice had one of the ones. He's fucking working, and he's working at his craft, and he's getting better. Jerry Rice wasn't Randy Moss. He wasn't even as gifted as Terrell Owens, not even close. Like, Terrell Owens is a way better athlete, stronger, bigger, everything. Everything than Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice worked his ass off. He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the strongest. He had great hands. He ran perfect routes. Perfect routes. And it's something like Tory Holt or a Chris Carter or, you know, these guys who run just amazing footwork and in and out of breaks. And Jerry Rice worked at it. Jerry Rice worked and worked. And when nobody was looking, he was working at it. That's what you got to do. If you're in business and you want to be successful, you got to work at it. Work at it like Corey Seager. Work at it like Cora Carlos Gray. Work at it like Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, Barry Bonds. You think Barry Bonds woke up out of bed and took steroids and hit 70 home runs? Here's the thing about Barry Bonds. So he takes steroids, and he's working out. And the steroids he was taking were so good that he tore the ligament in his elbow. So a normal man, when you tear a ligament in your elbow, you're done. The steroids were so good, he was so strong, he didn't feel it. And he didn't even notice it until after the season. He had an exam done. So, and he just worked and worked and worked and worked and got his, he, Barry Bonds, so Barry Bonds was so motivated when he saw Mark, again, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, who don't have one-tenth of the fucking talent as Barry Bonds did, he saw what they did, and in an off season, he put on like 22 pounds of muscle and came back looking like an NFL linebacker and hit 370 and hit 73 home runs. Barry Bonds worked at it. Yeah, he cheated, but fucking hey, he worked at it. And I guarantee you, if he didn't take the steroids and just put in the work, he probably would have hit 55 home runs and, and had an MVP season anyways, to be honest. So look yourself in the when you want to talk shit on the uh, in Barry Bonds, look yourself in the mirror and realize that even if he didn't take steroids, he would have won MVP. So take that. He already was the MVP. He took steroids and turned into you know better than Babe Ruth, basically. He had the greatest season of all time. And again, nobody wants to talk about it. Oh my God, Hank Aaron's still the home run king. And oh, Mark McGuire, you can still have a job. And oh, Sammy still doesn't speak English. And oh, Rafael Primero doesn't speak English all of a sudden. And oh my God, Jose Canseco, who told the truth and was one of the few people who had the balls to say something. He's a villain. He's blackballed. He sucks. He's dumb. Don't listen to what the media is telling you. Don't listen to what Baseball America is telling you about Byron Buxton and Aaron Otto's defense. Make, learn what you're doing. Actually learn. Watch Jerry Rice practice. Watch Terrell Owens practice. Watch Benjamin Molina catch a game. And watch Brandon Crawford play shortstop the entire game. Watch Andrew, uh, uh, what Andrew, Adrielton, 
I don't know, Simmons for the Braves is spectacular. And he doesn't even have, like, the strongest armor. I mean, he's just, he's spectacular. So, if you really want to learn something, if you really want to learn how to do something, you have to take the steps. The guy uh, who I'm working with the websites on, he took the time. He went home every day, and he took the time, and then he came back to me and said, hey, what about this, this, and this? And I'd help him. It's nice to have, you know, somebody with you, but you you can, a lot of times you can just do it on your own. You gotta work at it. Nothing, there's no get rich quick. There's no steroids you can take a lot of the times, unless you're already gifted. But you gotta work at it. You gotta put in the work. Barry Bonds, before he took steroids, was already a Hall of Famer. He already put in the work. He's already won MVP how many times? Put in the work. Jerry Rice was already a fucking Hall of Famer when I saw him working out. He was trying to get better. He was trying to come out with his next album in a sense, worked hard. I've studied Pearl Jam. Those guys didn't just wake up out of bed to learn how to fucking play guitar and play music and, 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 and can play good live and can, you know, just spit out a song and play it. Those guys work every single day of their life at music. That's why they're so good. Uh, Dre, Dr. Dre comes out with an album like every two decades because he's working at it the entire time. He's a perfectionist. He's, you know, he's just working, working, working at, at, at you know, his album. Usually he's working on other people's stuff, so he doesn't have time really probably for his stuff. But when he does, when he wants to come out with an album, Chronic or Chronic 2, uh, go listen to those albums. Turn, if you don't like the, the what they're saying, turn off the vocals and just listen to the beats and how good, how clean it sounds and how good it sounds. Don't listen to what they're fucking saying or whatever if you don't like that shit. Just listen to how clean... Like it sounds, because he worked at it. He worked at it. He's the best. Benzley, uh, Yadier Molina is the best, the catcher. Go watch him. But Brandon Crawford, go watch him. Jerry Rice. If you really want to become the best at something, you got to work at it. That's what you got to do. you got to become a semi-expert at it. So that you know when maybe you have to quit, or maybe you have to pivot, or maybe you have to come out with your next album, or maybe you got to do something else. You gotta, you gotta be smart. You gotta learn. You gotta do these things. Well, hopefully, people have learned uh, some things over the last three hours. Probably wow, the longest. You're have to break this up. Maybe we'll see. I, I've got decent internet now. I should be able to cram it all into one. But. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I know I do a lot of stock investments and stuff, and I, I get emails and tweets about this stock and that stock. But quite honestly, if you're not willing to do the work, if you're not putting in the time reading the documents, listening to the calls, doing the background research, you know, unless you're buying Disney and Apple and some of these names that we're all familiar with, you know, I do a lot of writing on penny stocks, but I don't recommend anybody going out there and dipping and diving in them unless you know what you're doing. And I think, uh, you know, always look to 
learn something new, always feel like you can learn uh, something, always challenge yourself, I think is, is a good good plan. I think we see that a little bit in the in industry, in the sports card industry, but I think people, like you said, are always kind of looking for that shortcut or that quick, the quick flip or the quick right. way to make money. I just don't uh it doesn't typically happen like that it you know it takes some time it takes a little you know obviously you got to get lucky you got to have some good fortune but i think good fortune and good luck happens by you know preparing yourself well and by um putting yourself in the right position to make it happen you know like i said three four five years ago it was like the golden age to promote ebay affiliate network but Hey, if you didn't know how to set up a website, if you didn't know how to, you know, write, put up the right content, if you didn't know how to market that content, if you didn't know how to monetize that content, you wouldn't have made any money. And you'd have been sitting here, you know, like a lot of guys are with the with the, their same blog or they're working for Beckett or they're working for some other website because they never could figure it out on their own. Um, so, you know... Being able to take advantage when you see a good opportunity, kind of like you talked about with Michael Eisner, when you see a good opportunity, being able to take advantage of it, but at the same time, know when you got to move on. I think prospecting is the same way. Hey, you might have hit it with Chris Bryant, but once you sell all your Chris Bryant cards, it's over, and you gotta you gotta, you, yeah. know, you gotta move on and find your next guy. Uh, so I think that is kind of the grind with and and knowing when to get out. Like one key thing with like a lot of people ask you about stocks. A lot of people ask me about tickets. You got to know when to get out. So you got to know when to cut your losses. You got to know when to cut your losses on your Chris Bryant cards. You got to know when you have a bunch of tickets and it's three hours before the game. You're like, well, hopefully you notice way before. Hopefully you notice the night before. You know that you literally got to run things out on a loss. Um, for me, I've gotten really good to where it doesn't happen anymore. But, uh, again, I know the market. I know what I'm doing. I, you see what I'm saying? I know exactly what, uh, I know when I'm stuck. I'm like, oh shit, I better unload or I'm really going to be down. You know, I might as well just only lose a few bucks instead of lose a few hundred bucks potentially, or maybe more than that. So you gotta, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to talk about because again, there are very few people. And I think I even mentioned something like this today. Everybody's got an idea. Everybody's got a great idea. How are you going to execute it? How are you going to pull it off? You know, every single person has an idea. Everybody's got a business idea. Everybody's got, well, I could do this. And how are you going to pull it off? How are you going to do it? How, who, who, you know, what are you trying to do? Who's doing it now? And how, how do they do it? You know, are you just going to copycat them? You're just going to copy them? Or are you going to come up with something on your own and something unique or take a better angle and make more money or, you know, do so, you know, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? And are you going to put in the time and work or you just want the money? You want the lifestyle. You want the, you want to be able to just whenever you want, go to the summer league, go to a fall league, go on tour with Pearl Jam. These are all the things I wanted to do. Again, you know, you kind of get a snippet of my, you know, my life every year or so. At least, at least you do a podcast every couple of months to where you do kind of cue people in. Hey, if you want to have this kind of lifestyle, you better be, you know, all about that work. You know, and again, I'm reading books. I'm reading books on Michael Eisner. I don't give a shit about Disney. I don't give a fuck about Disney. 
I'm reading books on Michael Eisner so I can learn about Tops because he owns it. So I'm putting in the time, guys, so that when the three days out of the year when I'm tweeting, I can sound at least like I know what I'm talking about because I've done some research because I fucking read a book on the guy who owns Tops. I put in the time. I talk to people. I actually do have a few friends, and guess what? They oh, trust me. People free flow with information. <laughs> we could have talked a lot more about uh, boy some of the free flow of information that people are willing to talk talk to me about, and uh, rumors, and this may happen, and this you know it's all kind of very interesting to me because they know I'll be able to digest it and understand it because I understand the business and the players and the this and this and this. It's interesting to me. It's it's the same way it's interesting to go watch Corey Seager or my home game. It's it. All it is is interesting, guys. The same way I would criticize Andrew Wiggins, I'm not going to blast him on Twitter, but uh, you, you can kind of get the idea that once you understand something, you have the right to share your opinion. And sometimes that's, you know, an okay, and it's okay. I think about three or four times today I said how wrong I was. I was like, wow, this isn't the, guys, this isn't the crickets convention anymore. This is, you know borderline, you know, a mid-tier Comic-Con convention with the type of people that are coming. So I'm willing to admit when I'm pivot and, oh, I'm wrong. Oh, shit, this is happening. Well, now I got to look at that. This is making me want to look into things more. Well, it doesn't, these products aren't flying off the shelf because you can take a look at the DA Card World video I'm going to upload and it's, it's like, wow, these products have all tanked. But wait a second, there's all these people interested in memorabilia. There's a lot of people here for the autograph guest. There are people buying singles. There's a lot of people here buying vintage. There's people at the grading, you know, getting stuff graded. I know PSA makes money. You can listen to them every month. You know, this is like the 19th straight quarter that the sports card grading thing has improved or whatever. They'll freely tell you that. I think they even break it down if you... They don't do it on a call, but you got to go into it, and you could break down how many cards they graded, yep. how many, the dollar amount of that, they, for some reason, count um, some other metrics in there that they break down because they're obviously PSA does coins. They're huge in coins. Um, that's kind of their biggest business, but uh, the cards is, is good, too, and it's profitable. That's what's cool. It's, they make money off of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can... You know, there's, there's interest here. And so, to me, I'm going to dive in further. I'm actually, when I think Collector's Universe, they do a call, like, in the end of August. Yep. Um, so, it'll be interesting. They may even talk about the National. I don't know. Maybe it wrapped up before that. But maybe the tail end of their quarters includes this week. And they'll talk about it. And so, these are the type of things, guys. You can do research. That's why. I feel like if I need to blast off or we need to do a four-hour podcast or I need to get off on Twitter or YouTube, I feel like I can because I've put in the time. i put in the time doing it. So it is kind of disrespectful. That's why I think people, it's like when people like question what we're doing or they, they kind of like, oh, you're doing it for attention. It's like, no, I've worked hard. This would be like this would be like Jerry Rice going out and working out for hours, 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 hours. Does a full practice, signs autographs afterwards, and then I go up to him like, "Ah, you're a scrub. You dropped that fucking. You fucking dropped that one, Steve Young threw to you. And well, you looked a little stiff. Well, your hips look a little stiff. Boy, look at Terrell Owens. He's way better than you, bro. Look at Terrell Owens. He's a huge. And Jerry Rice has just busted his ass for four hours. I just read a book that was so long by some real kind of the guy won a Pulitzer. 
And it was great writing, incredible research. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I mean, God, the time this guy took to write this book on Disney was, I mean, God, I couldn't imagine it. Um, he's obviously really good, and it probably didn't take him that long, but I was, I, I read cover to cover, and I don't give a fuck about Beauty and the Beast. I don't give a fuck about Disney. I want to learn about Michael Eisner. So I put in the time and the work. The same way Jerry Rice probably didn't want to be out there. He has already has millions of make, has an S600. He didn't want to be out in the middle of Stockton, California, running fucking gassers in a wetsuit. It's the last thing he probably wanted to do. But he knew he had to put in the work. So that's why it's a little kind of disrespectful when it's kind of stopped. Let you get emails and you get fucking Twitter. Cut blast. It's like, bitch, I put in the fucking work. Fuck you. What work have you put in? So I'll say whatever the fuck I want. So it's clear that I've, it's not that I've only put in time in cards. It's clear that I have a little bit of understanding of the NBA basketball. It's clear that I have a little understanding of, of some of these prospects in baseball and how the game is played a little bit or the technique, really more of the technique on some of these plays. I've put in the work. And I wasn't there sitting there taking selfies and tweeting about myself and jerking myself off and go to here. Do you ever hear from me when it's not the national? You know, do, you do a podcast, what, once every couple months? Once a month at yeah. least right now. Yeah, hey, once a month. Because you've got a lot of other stuff going on. You know, which, you know, the could you just, throw, you know, back in the day when we first started doing the stocks, you could just throw a dart at the board and triple your money because, you know, it tanks so <laughs> low. Nice. But nowadays, it's much, I mean, I'm down. I'm down. I'm, I think last year I talked a lot about Twitter. And I think, right, I don't know what, I haven't checked all week. I don't know what it's, it, when I was home, it was like at 35, 37. I'm in at about 40. So I'm down, I'm down, you know, over 10%. Um, on it right now. I think I was close to 20% down at one point um, on it, and I'm still down on it, unless it's for some reason shot up. Um, and I think even for the year, like, I've had some, I invested, I don't know, a few thousand, not a lot, a few thousand in some, uh, what are they called? Emerging, yeah, this is maybe why I'm down, but in some emerging market oh, stuff, I'm down, I'm good. down. Not huge, but I'm down. I'm down on my investment in oil, but I I would have to look because I actually bought and sold and then rebought, so I'd have to look and see if I'm still down on that. Silver, I'm probably still up on because I kind of flipped a few, but I'm down now. If I sold now, I'd be down. Um, uh, All my mutual funds I'm up on. Um, But for the year... If you told it everything, I'm probably down on my investments by like three or four percent. So, you know, it's it's uh, if, as if I had just have it in cash. Like if it was just cash. Thankfully, I I don't need the money, so I can just wait. <laughs> right. right. Um, or if it becomes a bad investment, I mean, the perfect example is that fantasy sports stock I bought. That was like four dollars. Hmm. Um, oh my god, that was four dollars and fifty cents. I sold it at a dollar. So I lost a lot of money, obviously, and then it was now it's like at forty cents. So mm-hmm. I actually, whew, that's why you got to know. I mean, I, I wish I would have gotten out, obviously, way sooner. But uh, I don't know if I was ever up on it. Like I literally like bought it like at the worst <laughs> time. Like, that's the thing. Don't trust people that aren't willing to 
tell you the negatives and you know we're very open about running a card store and the failure that was i mean we're very open about that i will freely talk to people about that i think i've written articles about that and i'm sure you've talked about that failure is a big thing and learning learning that's about where you're going to learn a lot you know you're right gonna, well you're some people are going to learn recover. and some people will just beat their head against the wall look at some yeah. of these guys still trying to promote ebay partner network right. i mean it's like guys It'd be like going to a job and you're making a hundred thousand, and then they come in one day, like, "Oh, we're only gonna pay you ten thousand," <laughs> and you still sit there and grind. You're a fucking idiot. Quit. Quit. Go do something else. Go get another job, or go, you know, start something else. Like it's, it, there's some people who, again, it's. I think it's sort of American culture. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Kind of thing where it's like. No, there are times where you really should give up. Either you're forced to or you just don't have a very good idea. And again, if you don't have a very good idea, you're probably not smart enough to figure out that you don't have an idea. You know what I mean? It's like a snowball that you're just not smart enough. And how do you realize when you're just not smart enough? I mean, it's a weird kind of dynamic to think about that you're – some people – and they'll just tr- there's no helping them because they'll still try thinking they are smart enough to succeed and they just you can't tell them that they're not and they just do it it's a weird kind of thing so but so that's why i think we're doing this podcast because we're trying to tell you put in the work put in the time re again i spend hours reading a book that i would have really no other interest in but i knew i needed one i wanted to learn about michael eisner and the only way to really do that, you sure as hell ain't going to talk to me on the phone, so I better try to find somebody, a Pulitzer Prize winner, who spent a shitload of time with him and let him tell me the story. <laughs> so, and again, if you want to learn about steroids, we read Canseco's book and read Game of, uh, Game of Shadows. Um, if you want more of a, you know, a, a, an intelligent read read Game of Shadow, if you want a page turner, that's like, haha, kind of like, wow, this is crazy, read Juiced. Um, so if you really want to learn about steroids and the baseball era, instead of just what the media is telling you, what your buddy at the bar is telling you, what you think you should think about Barry Bonds, those two books, and tell me if you, tell me if you wouldn't have done, I mean, I'd take steroids right now if it would get me to the major leagues. Right, and right now. If you knew you weren't going to get caught, I would snap take steroids right now to play any professional sports. Snap take steroids. The type of money, the type of, uh, you know, really financially, I mean, the type of women you'd get, I mean, you're set for life. (laughs) So, (laughs) I would, and just the competitive nature. People here at the fucking card show are hella competitive. Super competitive. The people at Panini and Tops hate each other. The distributors hate each other. Each other. Uh, some group breakers don't like each other. You know, they're, they're, it's competitive in this business. So when Barry Bonds sees Jose Canseco, uh, not, I mean, uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, two guys he's competing against, take steroids, what do you think he's going to do? If there was a group breaker here who could, like, take steroids and all his breaks would sell out, <laughs> don't you think all the other group breakers would take it too? Ask yourself that. If there are all these dealers, one dealer was taking steroids and all the people were drawn to his booth because he was taking steroids, don't you think all the other dealers would take it too? Yes, they would, guys. And, oh, 
baseball wasn't testing for it. So why don't you look at your boy Bud Selig and baseball and the owners? They were the guys that let it. They those were the guys that let it happen. Don't rely on the athletes to make the moral smart choice. When I would snap take steroids right now, if I couldn't get caught to play major league, major league, minor league players, you should see. I can walk into a minor league stadium and I can look around the stadium and be like, "That girl's dating a player. That girl's dating a player. Everybody else this year is just watching it." These girls stand out, especially in Stockton, like a sore thumb. I, I went to a game for the first time, like almost all year the other day and there was this blonde girl sitting down there and I, I told my buddy I was like who's she dating because I knew immediately she wasn't from Stockton and she was way too gorgeous to be just watching a game by herself and of course she's a player's you know player's uh, girlfriend these guys land these girls who were like on another level of gorgeous so of course I would snap take steroids to go play Major League Baseball like, because you'd instantly land yourself a 9 or a 10. If you could <laughs> land yourself a 9 or a 10 for, for potentially the rest of your life, wouldn't you take steroids? If you landed yourself, and not only, I actually talked to one girl who was dating a player who wasn't very good, which which made me think I had a chance. She actually emailed me uh, one time. So, there again, you got two children. Anyway, this girl was like not only gorgeous but she was also smart and could talk so you're you know you're not marrying like you know you wouldn't end up with like bimbo she's just hot no you could land like a nine or a ten by just taking steroids wouldn't you do that so again i always hear crap being talked about barry bonds and oh my god he's like fucking the devil and he's like you know the second coming of fucking oj simpson and shit Everybody would take steroids if it meant either A, getting an $80 million, $100 million contract, or B, knowing that you'd get a 9 or a 10 as a wife for the rest of your life. I think all of us would do that. I would snap do that. Just jam a needle on your ass and you fucking end up with a 10 and $100 million. You wouldn't do that? So I hope people ask themselves these questions. So a lot of times, again, the media and some of these people, you know, ESPN, and they're going to tell you one thing. Baseball America, they're going to tell you one thing. You really need to take it with all a grain of salt. And again, do your own work, do your own research. So again, I read a book about Michael Eisner that I really didn't want to read. I really didn't. Wouldn't be, I'd rather read Game of Shadows over. I'd rather read Game of Shadows again. I read that a long time ago. I'd rather read it again than read Eisner's book, but I knew I had to become educated on who is, you know, has a controlling interest of tops. And if there was a book on Madison Dearborn Partners, or if there was, I'd read that too. Just so I could become more familiar with what's going on. So if you want to be successful, you got to put in the work when nobody's watching and don't expect anybody to give you any attention for it or to give you any love or to pat you on the back or to retweet you or like you or to stroke you. Don't expect any of that. What defines success in business is if you make money, not if you have a thousand likes or if you have 5,000 Facebook friends or 10,000 Twitter followers. That defines nothing. What defines success in business is how much money you make. 
period. There are a lot of companies who probably don't have very good customer service or they don't do this well, they don't do that well, but holy shit, they make some money. That's what defines success at the end of the day. And the only way you're going to get there is if you really think about it and you really work at it and you really research it. I can't, I mean, on and on and on, you could just play this over on a loop, just over and over of what you need to do to be successful. Got to put in the work. You think Buster Posey walked out of the bed and became a potential Hall of Fame catcher? You think Barry Bonds just took steroids and hit 73 home runs? You, you don't know what you're talking about. You think I just get out of bed and just, oh, start tweeting about cards and, oh, this, 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 this. You think I just get out of bed and that happens. I don't even get out of bed most days, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to get out of bed most days. (laughs) You know the best beds um, are the ones in the Palms Place um, uh, condos over there in Vegas. That's what I wanted. I was kind of mad that they bumped me over to the other room because I was like, I wanted to know what beds because it's like softer it's like uh oh, get a Tempur-Pedic. I got a Tempur-Pedic. That's like life-changing type purchase in my life at least. I don't know. Maybe they're not for everybody, but I know when I go, we've been traveling a little bit the last couple of days. Last couple of weeks actually. And we've stayed, you know, some nice nice some hotels have nice beds, some don't. And it's you miss your uh miss the Tempur-Pedic. Wow. Time. I mean, it doesn't have to be t- any of the foam mattresses. I think they're all fairly similar. Uh, trust me, it's. It, I tell people it's like going from the cassette tape to the MP3. It's like you skip the CD. It's like you go all the way to the MP3. It's quite wow. a. Uh, quite. I wouldn't give it up. I mean, I'm probably still paying for it. So I mean, they're not cheap, but it's totally worth it. Uh, wow. In my opinion, I'm totally on the Tempur-Pedic foam mattress type bandwagon. Wow. Super, su- so much a bit different than having a spring. I mean, if you have a really nice pillow top spring mattress, yeah, you're probably going to pay two, $3,000 for it. Um, but still, I think I'd rather have the Tempur-Pedic for the money and for the value and just super, super, super comfortable. Wow, that's good to know. Then I might have to make a make a investment in a. Oh yeah, I mean you can go bed. in there and get a. I mean if you want a twin size or a double size, they're not. You know you don't have to get temper. Temper Pedic's kind of like the Apple. It's a little more expensive. What do those matches run? Uh, you know, three thousand for a for a nice oh. one. You're looking at three to four thousand and up. Um, but I think okay. you can get one for, you know, a thousand. I think you can get kind of one of the smaller oh. ones um, for a thousand, fifteen hundred. Like a double? Cheap. Could you get a double for a thousand? You 000? probably could. Maybe not one of the brand new models. Maybe not a. T- I think there's like Eye Comfort, or there's some other brands that make it, and I think they're probably as as comfortable as the Tempur Pedic is. But um, yeah, they're not cheap. But I I I don't regret. 
that purchase whatsoever. Um, wow. Super, super, super comfortable. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm never sleeping. I'm like a a mattress snob now. When I go to like a hotel, I'm like, God, this sucks. Because wow. it's not even, you know, even when there's a nice, we had, we had one, uh, kind of a bed and breakfast that had a really nice bed and it wasn't even, I slept good, but it wasn't like, wasn't like Tempur-Pedic. I've slept the deepest and I've had the most deep and in, I mean, the deeper you sleep, the more deep your dreams get. And I noticed that, uh, not that people want really insight into my sleeping time, but... Hey, you know, this is quality uh, of life kind of thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like going from a Honda to a Mercedes. It's really like a huge <laughs> jump in kind of quality and kind of... Uh, you know, you don't, once you, it's kind of like, once I drive a Mercedes, my wife's going to start looking for a new car, and it's like, well, you're going to have to, you yeah. can't go back to the Honda, no. you can't go back to the Toyota after you you drive the Mercedes, and it's kind of similar with the Tempur-Pedic. Once you sleep right. on the Tempur-Pedic, it's hard to go totally. back unless it's, you know, a four or $5,000 pillow top, which are, you know, they don't put those in hotel rooms. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm a complete... My wife kind of thinks I'm kind of a snob because I, it's like I won't stay in a really cheap motel or, you know... Yeah, if I won't I have either. To, I won't either. You know, and I, I won't drive cheap cars anymore. I'm not going to, you know, sleep on a cheap mattress anymore. Uh, I like when we go out to eat, it's always the, you know, five-star Yelp... 500 review type place. Yeah, but here's the thing. You could start a website for five bucks. You know, yeah. I, read a, I read an article about a guy, you know, he was bragging about starting his website for five grand. I was like, well, what'd you buy? I mean, yeah. like, bro, you, you really only need like 10 bucks. So, I mean, you know, maybe you buy the $3,000 mattress, but you're not out frivolously spending on, you know, stupid business ideas or bad stocks or, you know, Make, you know, you have the money to spend because you've been disciplined in your business. You're not. You can blow a lot of money in business, and Lord knows people have um, all the time. There's a lot of businesses that are running at a net net I mean, uh, net uh, probably loss. Probably 99 percent of businesses are running at uh, you know damn near a net loss. Definitely. So it, when you're counting time spent, I mean, people don't value their time. That's another thing too that you need to think about a lot of people think oh i can make all this money but you're you know you're in front of a webcam all day you're packing sorting shipping you're managing you know who wants to do that i can get up any day i want to and travel anywhere i want to because i can turn off my ticket business i can turn off my beanie babies website i could turn off my other not literally turn off but i don't have to work on them um all the time i'm working on my next home run or I'm working on enjoying myself. Sometimes the enjoyment can be, you know, the enjoyment of watching minor league baseball can turn into, oh, I can make a couple thousand a year on checking my cards, flipping cards, because I know who Corey Seager is, because I know Carlos Correa is going to be good. And, oh, there's this big price drop in in Carlos Correa, but I know that they're going to come back up. So part of the, you know, the enjoyment 
you know, the vacations, the maybe, maybe I, you know, come up with something here. I see something here, you know, shit, a a website on these digital apps would be an an interesting, you know, thing to break into because you'd be one of the first guys doing it. And, uh, there's even, here's, here's something that I think you'd like. There's a Star Wars card trader. I hope they're still podcast already and i thought it was the funniest thing because i was like again i'm i don't care about star wars i really don't care about these if these apps weren't made by tops i really wouldn't care like i totally wouldn't care but i got word that one of the employees was on this star wars card trader podcast so i listened and it was a good podcast um and it was uh, informative, but I thought the funniest, this app launched in like January, right? So they're like on episode eight in March or something. And I thought it was the funniest thing. They, they bring the employee on and they'd be like, oh, we've been waiting so long to talk to you. And I'm like, fucking hey, the app just came out in January. The app's two months old and you're, and you're waiting so long to talk to this guy. And it was just kind of funny that like, they, it was like the podcast had already been on for like five years, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, we finally got, you know, Steve or whatever his name was on to, to come talk about it. So I just thought that, but if you're into the digital apps, I believe, and the funny thing is, is that there's a Reddit, Reddit, uh, R-E-D, D-D-I-T, um, is like a weird, like, almost like a universal forum. I mean, there's all kinds of things on Reddit, but there, there's a Reddit thread on, uh, on the Star Wars Quick Trader Card Trader app, and, uh, you know, I'm going through the threads, and I literally don't even understand what they're talking about, because they're talking about, well, there's this pack, and you get this, and what happened with that. I mean, there's all these discussions, um, you know about the Star Wars Trader app, so I thought it was funny that there's a there's an actual Star Wars card trader podcast that had at least the last time I checked like almost ten episodes where they're literally talking about Star Wars and they're talking about the app. So I, I mean, there's the you know there's uh there's things out there that are uh, that are going on that are pretty cool actually. Definitely, and I think if people, uh, you know, sports card podcasts come and go, but people, uh, you know, they should just start their own. If they've got opinions and they got things to say, I encourage anybody to, um, you know, start your own podcast. Start developing your own um, opinions and things like that and developing your own talking points, and I think... Uh, you know, you do that for long enough, and you don't even you have to... wouldn't have to do it that long. I mean, it wouldn't take much to get traction in the uh, in the sports card no. uh, industry. I mean, you could get traction pretty quick. I mean, um, you know, so yeah, if you're into cards or you're into whatever you're into, um, especially if, if it's something you, at least you think, you really understand, um, you know, you, you're... I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise, like, there are people who think, oh, wow, it'd be cool to make money selling tickets. Oh, it'd be cool to have, to have a Beanie Babies website. I wouldn't have been able to start my Beanie Baby website if I didn't, you know, work on the sports card website because I knew all about sports cards, right? So I kind of cut my teeth doing sports cards and then it was like, well, wait, I can go over here. I know nothing about Beanie Babies. Nothing. Zero. None. Obviously. Uh, and I learned. Same thing, guys. I'm probably, as 
you know, and people may snicker and laugh. You, you probably wouldn't want to know how much money I've made off this site. Um, or you, you, you wouldn't think it's stupid if you knew how much money I made on this site. I learned about Beanie Babies. I had no fucking clue about any of this shit. Uh, nothing. No, no clue. Didn't have no idea if it was even going to build traffic. But I could even get traffic, but I worked. Or, I, 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 I did, frankly, I didn't work that hard. I think I've got 100 posts and I've got, you know, 5 million hits on it or something like that. And, and 4,000 comments on 100 posts. So you can do the math per post what I'm getting. I'm getting like 400,000 hits per post, basically. So there are people in this industry that would, that'd be a wet dream for them if they were to, if they could get half a million hits on each post they did and, and, and be done with it and never have to really not have to crank out anything else. Cause when people, guess what? When people leave comments on their website, that's almost like fresh content for me. When people leave comments on my site, that has become, uh, how I, it almost creates a, a, you know, new content for me because the comments are searchable in Google. And again, these are all things that I understand. But I wouldn't advise, you know, again, sounds sexy to be able to sell Golden State Warriors tickets all year. It sounds sexy to be able to just start this website that I nothing, know nothing about and, you know, make 100, 150 a day on it. You, you know, you guys, if you, don't, if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to be able to do it. If you don't, you know, if you're not capable of doing it, it's just not going to happen. For you. Yeah, if it's you're not totally willing to work like Jerry Rice, you know, everybody right. I think is is, is probably um, at least marginally capable of doing it. But if you're not willing to put in the time, if you're not willing to put in the effort, then you're going to get out, you know, what you put in. And I see it all the time in the stock market. I see a lot of people make bad investments. I'll write an article saying this company is garbage and then I'll have a bunch of people – tweet me and leave comments on my article saying I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. And sure enough, you know, three to six months later, my, my idea is, is proving to be right. And the people that just bought it on a whim, bought it on a tip, bought it because it was on a message board, bought it because it was on CNBC, bought it because some guy that gets paid to talk about it, uh, you know, obviously wrote something positive about it. Uh, if you're not willing to put in the time, not willing to dig through through all the research and all the and form your own opinion, I think a lot of people, you know, make that mistake in sports cards is they don't form their own opinion. They they see a set that comes out from tops, and so they automatically write uh, that it's a great set, or they'll come out with a new app and they'll praise it, or they'll come out with. Uh, something and and it's automatically or some you know you were talking about prospect uh, rush or something and heroes of uh, heroes of legend heroes, heroes of, of sports and people will and collector crate and I think oh god the first time I saw collector crate I said this is gonna be gone and I think I even said it on the podcast that it had a high likelihood of failure within six to twelve months I remember months. actually I remember when. When I got wind that Collector Crate had shut down, I actually went and listened to your podcast because I was like, well, I better not make sure that I don't say anything if, if you said it was a good idea or so. <laughs> and I remember you did. You said what a bad idea it was, how much trouble he was going to have getting customers. He had to keep getting new customers. Like it, 
you know, it was going to be really hard to ramp up. Like he probably had a break even. Well, he probably didn't know this, but he 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 had a break even number. You know, when you run a subscription website, you got to know your break even. What number of subscribers you got to have to scale it up and to break even. And again, most people don't even think. I I don't have a subscription website. I I don't want to get into that. But guess what? I would have at least a slight clue about what I was doing if I were to start one. And I would have, you have to know, that's the key thing when you're talking to somebody about a subscription website is what is their break even? Well, how are they going to get subscribers? That's, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, the big thing. But what is their break even number? How, what are their metrics to say, well, when we reach 1,000 subscribers, you can kind of, uh, if we have a 3% churn and da 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 da, well, we're going to make, you know, X amount of dollars per month or however, break quarter or year or whatever it is. So, you know, if you don't even understand that, then, but yeah, I remember you talking about what about I, you know, it wasn't, and you and I think you were trying to, the guy had emailed us, so maybe he was listening to the show, so I don't think you were trying to like blow up the old guy's right. spot, but you're basically saying this really isn't a good idea. And lo and behold, ESPN Mint Condition wrote a whole Facebook page on it. Cardboard Connection wrote a big old long article about how you should buy it. A bunch of other bloggers did, at least another half dozen bloggers all got free boxes of the top level service, and they all said, oh, well, you should really try it out. Well, guess what? Two months later, the motherfucker stiffed everybody. And you can go to his Facebook page right now, which I'm sure none of these fucking shills did. You can go to that Facebook page right now, and it's like mother's uh, mom saying, I bought this for my son. Where is it? My credit card got stolen. One guy said he got his credit card stolen because of the website. Again, any of you fu- ESPN Mint Condition, uh, Cardboard Connection, and a bunch of you other fucking idiots got free boxes and wrote up shit. And when shit went to fan, I didn't hear from any of you. When it was, and I, I had the, he was literally only like a week late of sending it out, and I had the balls to get on Twitter and say, "Don't buy from this fucker." All you idiots who got free shit from him didn't say shit. I had to call you out in the article to say, "Look at what these idiots said," and then you guys, if I didn't do that, you guys wouldn't have fucking wrote shit. You wouldn't have took down your articles when you still search collector crate. Your shit comes up to say, "Go buy it." So if you really don't read hard and the little note you add at the bottom, well, it looks like you stopped fucking paying customers. Will you really think so? God, you guys will fucking, somebody will say jump and you'll be like, how high? Oh, you're coming right. out with a repot card? Oh, oh you're going to give away a Chris Bryant super factor? How are you going to pay taxes on that? If somebody gives you a $50,000 car in the United States, oh, it's mine. Oh, oh, here's a $50,000 card. Here, it's yours. You think in America they let you do that? This idiot's from Canada, so they let him. That he doesn't understand, and America works a little different than fucking Canada. This fucking idiot. God, and there's like a 300-page thread, on, literally, on Blowout, if you want to go read the whole saga of this guy pimping his shit, and all these, the thing was, all these Blowout guys sold him cards, so now they're kind of in on the deal, because they sold him cards for his repack product. He bought 250 cases of Bowman Draft. And busted it and repacked it. You fucking D-Gen gamblers are like flipping up. Oh, we repack. Wow. Hey, you guys are going to make any money. The idiot's got to make his money first. And he bought. All, I mean, it's the stupidest fucking thing. He bought this card for at the peak value, too. He bought the Bryant Super Factor at peak value. It's probably worth half as much as what he paid. 
guaranteed. Brian, Chris Bryant is not as good as everybody said. He strikes out a lot. Again, you can actually go to an article I wrote a year ago where I said the exact same thing, that Chris Bryant wasn't going to hit for a high average and he's going to strike out for a lot. Go look at his stats right now. He's like a two what, 280 hitter and he strikes out a ton. That's not even sniffing Barry Bonds' jockstrap. So again, this fucking idiot guy prospect, Rush, who, let's see, he was on ESPN Men's Condition Show. He was technically on ESPN. This guy, who's not even here, who didn't even put a terms, again, there's a 300-page blowout thread, which again, here's another thing that I've done research on. These idiots will just get contact and be like, can you promote me? Can you, Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, oh, yeah, buy, buy prospect right here, come on ESPN, come tour the Bristol. Oh my God, I've actually spent time and read this entire thread and been kind of, I still keep track of it. Cause, and now I'm here, I'm like, where is this guy? Because he's supposed to do the raffle here and he's nowhere to be found. And has the ESPN said anything? Has Cardboard Connection said anything? Has Beckett? Anybody? Anybody? On the taxes you're going to have, the 1099 you're going to have to pay? When Lee Brian Gray gave away like a Josh Gibson, he handed the guy 1099. The last time it was here, the guy had to pay ten ninety nine, and maybe pay taxes right there on whatever you win if you live in the United States over a certain amount, whatever the law is here. We got to figure out the law here again. The idiots from Canada in the ESPN interview did they tell him about the tax situation? Well, you're from Canada. What do you? What is the? Isn't that the thing to think about when you win a fifty thousand dollar card? He's value. What is he? That's the thing. You're not getting taxed on what you think it's worth. You're getting taxed on what he thinks it's worth. Oh. So he's got to say what it's worth because he's got to write it off on his business expense. But again, he lives in fucking cracked Canada. But again, the United States doesn't care. If you take possession of a $50,000 card, sell it, guess what? You're paying taxes on somewhere along the line there. Before you sell it, you actually need to pay before you sell it legally because you're taking possession on it. Similar when you buy a car, you got to pay taxes on it. They'll, they'll, pay, they'll tax you twice. They'll tax you when you yeah, get it. Yeah, when you transfer ownership on a used they're car. They'll tax you again. On a used car. That's the American way, guys. If you want to live in the United States, that's why I don't understand you idiots who live in these fucking bad weather fucking cities. I mean, fuck, at least I'm going to live in the United States. I'm going to live in fuck California and live in, a, you know, people talk about how Stockton's so ghetto. That's probably the top 10% of the climates in the entire fucking world. That's why probably all the fruits and vegetables that you eat is grown there. That's how good the weather is. Fucking morons. <laughs> If you're going to live in the United States, well, God, boy, I'm going to do some research and fucking pick the best fucking climate that I can at least afford. I mean, I'm not going to fucking live on the beach in fucking Santa Barbara or something for 5000 a month, but, I mean, I wish, but maybe I'll get there. So, again, this prospect rush shit that all you, that's why, I, so annoying. Well, Anybody a lot of that comes is, out with anything. A lot of those guys don't have a backbone because they're just being paid. $10 an hour or $10 an article or whatever it is to churn out content. And it really is just, they don't care if the, they don't care about their reputation because they, the, 
they'll just go work for somebody else after they get fired by Beckett. They'll go get they'll go or after they're done working for Beckett, they'll go work somewhere well, else. There's no accountability. There's no accountability. This guy's going to show up, and God knows if people are going to get. Again, this was a, like a this was it. This oh my. Again, I encourage everybody to go over to Blowout and just read the thread. It starts as him pimping his product. Again, you have to take into context that a lot of people in that thread sold him cards. So they were rooting for him. They were rooting for the product because they got money for him. So there were a lot of people shilling for this guy. And then the uh, Bryant, obviously, uh, his value declined a little bit. Nobody was buying this shit. It was like $3,000. The cases that were being opened, a few breakers got suckered into getting some or, or people bought into it, and it was, like, horrible. They were getting, like, $500 worth of value in $3,000. Like, it was epically bad. Again, you fucking idiots who went and shilled for this, why don't you go do research and check it out and read the thread and maybe comment on it or correct or correct your article. All week I've been saying how wrong I was about the attendance, and I got blasted for it. Well, and I kept saying, guys, I'm wrong. It's cool. I'm, I'm admitting it. Yet people can promote heroes of sport, promote uh, Prospect Russ, promote Collector's Crate, promote Press Pass, which cheated collectors. They said, oh, we're closed, and oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna honor redemptions. Oh God, I feel so sorry for Press Pass, the fucking two people that were working there. God, I feel so bad for them. You guys don't care about collectors. You care about a retweet. You care about, for some reason, these employees and these card companies more than than you do card collectors. And uh, those are the only people I want to meet here. I haven't talked to anybody at Panini. I've talked to one person, well, three people at Tops because of the apps and another person I know. I'm talking anybody. Leave. I'm talking anybody at Upper Deck. God knows. Boy, they're avoiding me like the plague. I love talking to, but the people I love talking to are the collectors. The Matt, Matt texted me and said, Hey, let's meet up. And I love hearing about his story and getting the autographs. He's going over to JSA. And there's whole, there's almost like when you're getting autographs at a show, there's almost like this whole schedule. And it's kind of complicated because this guy's signing at 930, but oh, he's 15 minutes late. And I, oh, there's those lines moving slow. He's signing slow, but uh, shit, I got a 1030 with, you know, uh, Pedro Martinez and oh my God, you know, so there's this whole dance. So I kind of like enjoy talking to collectors like him because he's telling me about what he's doing. He's telling me about his collection. He's telling me about the Sun Time show. He's telling me about how he goes and gets some stuff authenticated. Just, he doesn't even sell stuff, but just cause, you know what I mean? So that to me, is the person I want to go to bat for. That's the, the, Those are the type of people to me that matter. Not fucking Tracy Hackler, not anybody who worked at Press Pass who should never work in this industry ever again if you've cheated collectors, if you just walk out on your fucking responsibilities. It's fucking disgusting. I don't think we've had a pod, or maybe we did, had a podcast since the Press Pass. To me, that is the, the ultimate sin. Those people should never be, but instead, it's like, oh my God, I feel bad for you. I mean, it's, it's, and there's no getting through to the, well, you know, the, well, we're at a, like the eight hour mark, so I guess we can, you know, it's funny because the guy who used to do the Cardboard Connection podcast, you know, he comes up to me and he's, he's talking to me about how everybody in the industry's fake and, you know, and I'm like, where were you saying that on your podcast for two years? <laughs> you know, everybody comes up to me and talks shit and, oh, this is fake and this sucks. 
it's like, but on Twitter, it's like, I'm the devil, and, you know, Press Pass is great, and Prospect Russians is great, and, you know, so that's what I don't understand. You guys, you know, for some reason, feel like you have to always put on this great face and have to say the right thing, and, boy, you don't want to hurt my reputation when it's like, who do you guys really care about? Do you guys really care about card collectors at all? Is it all about money? Is it who, you know, when these people who are shilling, who, who do you care about? Who are you writing to? Who's your audience? Is it you're writing just to hope the manufacturer sees it or Google, it ranks high in Google, or do you really care about card collectors? Do you really want to service them? I really care about the collector and why they're here. That's why I'm interested in, you know, the whole white race kind of thing and, you know, the apps. And, again, I don't even play the apps, but I'm interested in it from a business perspective. I'm not going to make any money off them, but I'm inter- I'm interested in here. I, I listen to that podcast, the Star Wars. Again, I don't know any – I'm not going to go see the new movie. I don't give a fuck about Star Wars. But I listen to the podcast – because I was interested in it, and I wanted to hear the employee, and uh, I wanted to hear these guys kind of geek out about the app. Honestly, I wanted to hear, you know, what they thought. Because I was was interested. Because they're they're uh, you know collectors in their own in the digital way. They're collecting this stuff, so I wanted to hear their perspective. Because I obviously don't share it. I don't have it. I don't have that same you know intensity or feeling toward it. But they do. So I want to learn about it. So again, the same way you'd watch Yadier Molina catch. Well, shit, if I want to learn about this Star Wars, I better ask my buddies, and I better listen to the employees, and oh, shit, there's this podcast that's on it. So, cool, I'll listen to it. You know, I'll listen to the, the collectors and the, and the people, you know, with knowledge. So it just seems like in this industry, if you want to promote something, just email them, say you'll send them something free, and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll put you on the fucking front page, and we'll write a whole article. Again, collect Google Collector Crate. Google uh, Press Pass. It's just constant, constant, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy Matthew Della Vadova cards, buy uh, the, I can't even remember her name. She's Carly Lloyd. Carly Lloyd, great job, uh, you know, great job, USA, I watched the game, but her autograph is going to be worth 10 bucks by next week. So it's, I, and here's the thing, I, it goes back to, you're too dumb to realize that you're dumb. <laughs> and I think the same, I mean, if that makes sense, I think that these card people, they really don't, if you're willing to promote, and I, here's the funny thing, I already had known something, he had already come out with a shitty set, God, he was here the last time in Chicago, and he got all his money through a disability claim, again, I'm not knocking the guy, but that's how he got some money in his pocket, he didn't make it fucking, you know, Busting his ass, not to fucking disparage the guy, but it's not, I, I'm, I think somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. He got a good chunk of money through a disability that he has with his arm through either work or something, and he got a big check, and that's how he's been able to buy just D-Gens D off cards. He bought 250 cases. That's how he made up his money. That's how he recouped his money. He put it in these big, stupid Pelican boxes and sold it to you idiots. 
some of you idiots. And I think he ended up losing some, I think, well, he definitely ended up losing. There were people who suggested, oh, he made hell of a money off this. I'm like, you guys are, I even, that was the only time I ever commented on a blowout threat. I was like, first of all, if you guys think this guy made any money off this product, you guys are really stupid. Really stupid. He'd be, he'd he'd be, be there here. front and center at the he'd national be here if he was going. Well, and there's some other idiot here doing a repack, and he's putting gold and silver and bird cards. It's the stupidest fucking thing. And if he emailed ESPN, if he emailed Beckett, if he well, maybe not. Beckett doesn't do. Beckett just shills for the Panini and Tops. Whoever's paying them advertising in the magazine and on the website, that's who they'll shill for. Uh, the ESPN Men Condition, who does these stupid Facebook reviews of these products they get for free. And then the Cardboard Connection. Well, if you just send them something, they'll, oh, buy Collector's Grade, buy Press Pass, buy Prospect Rush. Oh, my God, the Chris Bryant's going to be in Prospect. It wasn't even in Prospect Rush. It was a raffle. The car, the Chris Bryant card wasn't even in the product. I don't even think they, that got discussed on these on the ESPN show and the, and the, article, the our quote articles that were just cut and paste of whatever the guy sent you. Just cut and paste, sell sheet, cut and paste. Some of that's going to change because actually Tops is going to take, Tops is going to pull the Panini route and they're going to break all their own news. They're going to break the blog. They're going to break checklists. They're going to break it on their own website. That's going to actually really. Five years revamp. too late. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, I don't well, know if it's ever years too late. Too late. I don't know if it's ever too late, but, uh, you know, that is actually going to, that is going to be something that is, that's actually going to hurt, you know, some of these websites a little bit because they, you know, when, a, when a new set comes out, sometimes they are the first to have that information. Well, now that information will be on Tops' website. And so they'll have to actually go and copy Tops before, or that information will be on Tops' website before anybody else will have it. So that'll happen probably, I'm actually pretty, pretty soon. So that'll actually be another rude awakening. Beckett's losing money, by the way. I, I we should actually point this out. The, the, this again, something. All this other P- prospect rush and collector's crate gets covered more than the fact that when Eli Equity, who currently owns Beckett, bought eighty-eight percent of it, they thought it was fucking one point seven million cash flow positive. Turns out the books were cooked. Supposedly, according to people who currently own it, the books were cooked. It was negative three point five million. They wouldn't have bought it otherwise, or they would have tried to get a better deal. They had to put a two million dollar line of credit into the thing just to keep it afloat. So they don't even fucking make money. This lawsuit was actually like two or three years ago. I never heard about it. Thanks, Becky. Thanks. Well, I guess they wouldn't report on their own thing, but thanks, Cardboard Connection. Thanks, ESPN. Thanks, you motherfuckers who claim to be like the best unbiased shit. And da, 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 da. Thanks, guys. Thanks, fucking idiots. People aren't sending you a free box and telling you to cut and paste this and put it on your site. You're fucking pretty much useless. Jesus Christ, Beckett doesn't even make money. Beckett's damn near broke. They're fucking starting fantasy sports. I mean, what a joke. You go to their website and you can't even get the pop-up to close on their fantasy sport. They're competing with FanDuel and DraftKings who are licensed with the fucking NBA. Or licensed with the league, so the, the fucking official MLB is FanDuel. The NBA or owns a piece of DraftKings, or oh yeah, Dra- and Beckett. Oh, so the DraftKings or FanDuel, one of those. Yeah, exactly. But someday Beckett will, will, will top them <laughs> because they have their fantasy sports. What a fucking bunch of idiots over there! <sighs> wow. So I mean, again, these are things that nobody knows. No, you know it. Doesn't get 
it doesn't get published. If it's not a copy and paste, you know, blowjob kind of fucking, hey, let's let's promote this new set, new product. I love these products. These guys open, two, you know, he opens 250 cases of Bowman Draft, and it's called a product because he stuffs it in some fucking box. Literally, so here's the thing. So, you know, so in group breaks, they'll do like a draft. So they'll open it, and then they'll do like a rant. So you draft like one, you know. Literally, so this is a $3,000 product, and you get 10 main hits and then some other crap. But literally, the box it came in, which is only worth like 30 bucks on eBay, was going like third or fourth in these hit drafts, where the people were paying like three, 400 a spot on this prospect. This prospect rust was literally one of like the biggest disaster. And he already had, had a disaster, but he bought the Chris Bryant. There was a lot of hype around it. Again, he was on ESPN. He was on this. He was doing, you know, people were saying, oh, it's in the... Chris Bryant's in the product, or that's when Chris, you know, he bought the card at the, like, the worst time, but technically the best time, because he got all this hype for it. People promoted this idiot, and didn't do any type of fucking accountability or research on it. Again, people make fun of me all the time. Oh, do your research, or oh, you're a jerk, and all that. And I spent fucking weeks reading a book about Michael Eisner. Weeks that I didn't even want to read. So that's why it is a little, some people, they wonder why we kind of get a little hostile because it's offensive. It's offensive when I see prospect rush articles, collector crate articles, press pass sucking up. These guys promote these like crooked companies. Beckett's, the ownership of Beckett before cook the books, trick the people to buy it. Oh, but... Oh, it's okay. Can make fun of these fucking twins over here who I'm actually doing fucking research. I'm actually fucking trying to educate myself. I read that whole prospect rush thread. You could Google prospect rush and none of my websites will show up. None I've never I've never tried to monetize it. But I still did the research and there's these idiots who spent actually some time cutting copy and pasting a sell sheet, or in terms of ESPN, they actually brought the motherfucker to Bristol. You can actually go to ESPN website and find this, find this thing. And I think for a while it was on the homepage because Chris Bryant was so hot that the fact that he had this fifty thousand dollar card kind of made a little bit of news. This guy actually got some play from ESPN on this product. And again, there's a 200-page blowout thread that that starts as a as a pimp because he's buying cards from people. So people like that. They're like, "Oh wow, this guy's buying cards from me." So everybody's blowing this guy, and then all of a sudden, once the product comes out, he disappears. He's in the thread every day. That's the thing. You could go to that thread. He's in the thread posting every day. Hey, I just got this card. Hey, this is happening. Da, 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 da. All this stuff. Product comes out. He gets a couple, you know, some of the breakers are like, wow, this is bullshit. And he disappears. People are being negative in the in the thread and he disappears. And you just keep watching page after page. Hey, is he coming back? Again? Hey, is he, hey, is he going to answer this question? Hey, what about the tax situation? Hey, do these things ever expire? Hey, what about this? And he never comes back. He disappears, he vanishes, gone, poof. Where is he? Who is he? Gone. I emailed him twice, didn't get a response. Crickets. 
No, I actually took the time and emailed them, guys. Believe it or not. And we didn't we we didn't have this schedule to talk about. I mean, we talked for five hours, so we pretty much talk about everything. But we didn't we didn't say, oh, we'll talk about prospect rush. I've probably tweeted about it what three times total, once, twice. But I've done all this research for three tweets, and I, and I maybe talking about it on a podcast. So it's insulting when you fuckers kind of, you know, say, oh, you should do your research, or oh, you're so negative. It's because I've put in the time. I've been Jerry Rice. I'm out there fucking sweating my ass off, (laughs) reading books I don't want to read, reading threads I don't want to read. I could put up one Beanie Babies article and get 400,000 people to look at it. Think about that. I could spend 30 minutes and and put up one Beanie Babies article and get 400,000 people to look at it. Instead, I'm reading threads about cards because it interests me. And it's unbelievable that you people who put in day after day and you've got like 50, I've got like 7,000 tweets. Most of you have about 70,000 and you've written 10,000 articles on cards and day after day after day you're grinding and you're copy and pasting, copy and pasting, but you're not ever putting your own thoughts into paper and you're always filtering everything because you don't want to offend anybody. And you don't, you don't, don't fucking want to upset the apple cart. Or any of the white people here. You don't want to upset this white cultural event. Just all stay in line. Don't say shit. So it's it's actually offensive when people say, oh, you're so negative. Oh, you're so bad for the fucking hobby. With how much, when I fucking Jerry Rice my ass. <laughs> Not to his level, not even close, but I actually have, I can honestly say I've put in more time. I know more about Prospect Rush than damn near, you know, anybody who didn't buy into a spot or anybody in that thread. You know, some of these blowout guys, they're really, you know, active and they're keeping track of shit. But I actually could tell you step by step what happened there in that situation. And yet motherfuckers will just put them on ESPN. ES-fucking-PN. So, speaking of ESPN, Bill Simmons is fucking here. and He did not like when I took his picture yesterday. And I kind of felt bad. But then today, uh, he was in a little better mood. And he has three fucking, it makes me kind of sick. These guys who like, they're like literally like his handlers. And Simmons is on the phone talking the whole time about something about business. And these idiots are literally just kind of like trailing them and holding stuff for them. And be thankful you're not one of those idiots. I mean, it ain't like you're following around fucking that Derek Jeter's, that girl who's always in those little fucking uh, horse commercials. I think it's Derek Jeter's girlfriend or something. She's hot as fuck. But, I mean, it ain't like you're following around her. You're following around a dude sucking his dick all day. So that's fucking pretty disgraceful. And you fucking people who write for Beckett or, you know, chill for fucking Prospect Rush, you're about on the same level. You're fucking basically a fucking piece of shit, to be honest. So you guys better fucking start tightening up your game because I'll continuously rip you. If you continuously promote these fucking things, I, I will keep ripping you year after year after year after year. And I'll get more aggressive at it. And I can say whatever I want. There's nothing you can do about it. I can give my opinion on your work. Because it's clear you guys aren't doing a lot of research. 
when you're promoting these, just freely promoting these guys. Or at least, okay, bring Prospect Rush on, but ask them about the taxes. Ask them about the product. Don't just say, hey, this is what, you know, what do you want us to ask you? <sighs> or, hey, this is what the sell sheet said. I think I just guys, they it. almost look at, like, somebody that works at one of these companies almost like one of the athletes. Like, yeah. I know if I had an athlete on the program or if I were to talk to him, I probably wouldn't say, well, why'd you strike out three times in the playoff game? Or why did you uh, do this? Or why didn't – I probably would avoid any kind of tough questions because I'd be, you know, maybe talking to somebody that I actually looked up to and respected a little bit. These guys almost automatically, if you work for anybody from top – tops to prospect rush they're almost looked upon and spoken to like they're a freaking athlete and a lot of these times like you said these guys are uh you know disability fund kind of babies that you know have no business sense but run into you know some money some money and they decide they decide or it's someone that you know gets hired for a you know thirty five thousand dollar job in manhattan which is like you know, you make more being a bum in San Francisco than you would working in Manhattan for forty grand. So, I mean, I guess I don't have a whole lot of respect. I don't have a whole. I don't. You know, that doesn't just all automatically give you a bunch of respect. And just like when I'm researching companies, and I'll freely talk about how the CEO's an idiot, or he has this track record, so he's he's probably not a very intelligent guy. I don't care that he's the CEO and he makes five hundred thousand dollars. You know that doesn't matter to me. And but I think a lot of people they kind of look at people in a position of some kind of power, and they all of a sudden give them some respect uh, when it hasn't been earned or deserved. So, exactly. I think in the hobby, if you really, you know, and there's a reason why I'm still here doing this podcast. There's a reason why my brother's able to fly to the national and uh, not work, uh, you know, go to the industry summit and things like that. You know, there's a reason for it, and it's because we've put we've Jerry Riced it, but at the same time. Uh, we've we've put ourselves out there. Bill Simmons is I don't I don't like the guy because he hates on the Lakers all the time. But the guy will put out his opinion. I think he's gone through three or four different networks because he's he's willing to put uh, you know is willing to uh, sometimes say controversial things. So you know I think if you want to learn something, it's like if you want to make twelve dollars an hour and be broke. I see the guys that work at Beckett and they tweet how they're broke and how they're they don't have any money and how they're you know barely eating. If you want to do that, that's fine. If well, you, you have to work at the show. I mean, it's not like me who can just walk around and do whatever. And when I want to go eat flaming yawn like I did today, I mean, <laughs> I just walk across the street and eat flaming yawn. Yeah, when I go to Gibson's, I'm not ordering. Like, I got there, and, you know, I look like a scrub. I look like almost like – I dress like almost sometimes I get out of jail or something. So I'm in Gibson's or whatever, and the, and the, guy, and the waiter – great waiter. I mean, they have good, great service there. But I could – you know, I'm definitely not the typical clientele that's walking in there. And he's kind of showing to me – he's kind of showing me, well, here are all the options. Here's some lunch. And I look at him like, dude, I'm getting a flaming y'all. I'm like, I don't know what you're fucking – trying to sell me on a fucking $12 tri-tip sandwich. I'm getting the fucking $50 flaming y'all. I'm like, fucking – and give me – some extra sides like i mean i mean we're doing this now so actually gibson's is literally like right across the street so it's you know you're kind of looking at your watch you're like oh it's 11 o'clock time to go eat the flaming y'all was really good the mashed potatoes mm, 
fed way better. The broccoli, I thought, was – it wasn't California broccoli. Um, I, I like broccoli a lot. Bro- broccoli is probably my favorite vegetable, like, by far, well, by far. Um, but the flint mignon was cooked really well. It was, like, just buttery, just – I mean, and they have these, oh my God, they have these, like, they bring out these like homemade barbecue chips. Um, wow. That are like shockingly amazing. But I got out of there for, I, I tipped, I tip well. I got out of there for like 65. Um, Not bad. you know, flaming on, you know, a soda and, uh, and two sides. So it wasn't, I think it was like, I think it was like 40 and then i tip like 20 i always tip well usually um especially if i'm gonna come back <laughs> when right. you're in the week um you know you gotta you got well something like that 40 dollars meal you're tipping at least what uh 10 i tip big like most people they're like i hate when i go to a restaurant with somebody and they pay and then they're looking at they're like trying to like nickel down on the penny i'm like really dude if they were like good i'm well if they're good i'm paying like if they're bad, then I'm yeah I'm gonna nickel them down. But if if they're good to great, I'm giving way more than twenty percent usually. So I don't know. Maybe that's just my I can I can uh, I don't have a family, so I can afford to just blow money sometimes. Um, but you know, like I said, I'm I how many just walk across the street and. Anytime they want, not tell your boss and just go eat flaming yawn and pay for it all week. And then also be here at the show. Again, I, I'm not working. I don't have a boss calling me and emailing this. I'm not selling tickets right now. I'm not looking for tickets. I'm not selling tickets. I have a few for sale, but I think they're for, you know, stuff, football, NFL games or something that I pre-bought. Um, so I've got, I got nothing. You know, I don't, I don't work. I haven't put an article on my Beanie Baby site and, three two three months i think um let's see i mean i've, I've done nothing I've done, i can just come here and then i'm going to vegas on sunday i'm going to spend another night in vegas going to chill and just hang out and you know people you know but again i'll i'll put in time i'll read a book i'll learn something new uh, i have some other things i'm working with like i said i partner with this guy um you know opportunities come when you when you start to have at least a little excess or when you know what you're doing, you know, things become at least a little easier because one, you know what you're doing. And sometimes other people know, uh, figure out that you know what you're doing. Um, and you can make some money that way. So, I mean, yeah, these guys who, it really, it, I don't know why it really, bo- it, it, it bothers me because this industry is so small. You hear about all this fake stuff, all the fake autographs and the fake stuff, you know, authentication and this is fake and the flawless cards were fake. And, and yet people are so quick and so easily able to just promote somebody like just snap, just, Oh yeah. Oh, you're coming out with this weird read. Oh, sure. I'll put an article. Yeah. Let's send me a box or don't even, sometimes you don't have to send them a box. These guys are literally just need to crank out an article. They need to get an article in today. To make that ten bucks, and they'll just cr- shit the crank, and then and then never, never have any accountability. Never come back and say, "Well, hey guys, sorry," unless you're called out. None of these motherfuckers would have said anything about collector's crate. You could go to the article that I wrote. I called the guys out at the bottom because I knew they would see it, knew it. 
I'm like, dude, these guys wouldn't do shit unless I call them out. And people will there again, go to Collector's Crate Facebook. There's a mom who bought a fucking collector crate for her son thinking she was going to get it. What if she found out about that through your website? Doesn't that make you feel a little something? Guys out there, anybody? When you're kind of pointing somebody in the wrong direction, when you point them to a bad business or they get cheated or they get their credit card stolen. When the, do you have any, do any of you guys have any integrity? Any self-respect, any care for the fucking collector, the, who you're writing, who you're supposed to be writing to, who comes to your website, clicks on your links, who technically gets you money? Have any fucking respect at all? Any accountability? Am I the only one who can hold somebody accountable? Am I the only one who's going to hold Prospect Rush accountable if he doesn't show up, a, show up and give away that card? Is anybody else going to tweet about it? Here? He'll, he'll probably show up on Sunday, magically give it away, and there'll be a bunch, oh, wow, he gave it away, he gave it away, look at this guy, he won. Meanwhile, they don't show the 1099 or the tax situation this guy's going to be in. This guy's, because again, you're too dumb, what was the statement? You're too dumb to know you're dumb. <laughs> you're too, a lot of you guys are too dumb to know you're dumb. All you know is, well, you kind of know the 56 top set really well. You kind of know cards really well. You don't understand business. If you're willing to promote these fucking idiots, fly by night, prospect rush, collector's crate. You're just snap. Oh, say, oh you're going to send me something cool? Oh, wow, this is great. You guys should go and buy this. Meanwhile, a mom who it, the money probably meant something to her because she came on and complained. What if the money meant something to her? Think about think about your sister, your mom, or your wife, or anybody. How would you feel if your sister, wife, or or friend got the, got her credit card stolen, bought something for her son, and never got it? Wouldn't that make you mad? The fuck you guys doing? You guys fucking wonder why I blast off sometimes and tee off. Because there's these motherfuckers who spend all year, 365 days a year, cranking out content about cards, will freely talk shit about me behind their back, behind my back. What did the card, the guy who runs, runs Cardboard Connection, didn't he say he was going to loan us gas money to come to the next event? That's <laughs> word for word what he said. I Trust me, I'm, I hope after five hours you realize I'm pretty sharp. I can talk about baseball, I can talk about basketball, I can talk about cards, I can talk about Michael Eisler, I can talk about a Star Wars app I have no interest in. The guy who runs Cardboard Connection, who's one of the most arrogant people in this entire industry, said, he, oh, he was going to ship us gas money next next event. So we can afford it. Somehow I'm broke, yet I've been in Vegas twice. I'll be in Vegas actually three times in the last three weeks, uh, staying a suite each time. I'm here for, uh, I got here, I can't even, uh, I got here Monday, and I'm going to be here through Sunday. I mean, these hotels aren't cheap. They're not expensive, but they're not cheap. I spent some money at the show. I'm not doing any work. You guys have any integrity? You guys ever do any research? You guys do any research on me? You think I need gas money? Well, 
my uh, my Mercedes E350 takes premium, so uh, so does my, so does my Volvo S40. I've got so, a fucking Volvo S40 that's fucking badass. That's okay. leather, fucking sunroof, everything. Everybody who steps in that car is like, wow, it's fucking pretty nice. I'm like, yeah, it's the fucking shit. Watch when I step on the gas, and it's turbo. I got a so 20... Google what a Volvo S40 costs. I mean, I'm not driving an S600, but Google what a fucking Volvo S40 costs. I got a 21-gallon tank, so, you know, it's... Uh, I will admit, it is somewhat... Uh, I wouldn't say painful, but it, it does make me cringe when I look at the four dollars uh, a premium times twenty one gallons. Is, uh, well, there you go. Maybe what's his name will fucking ship us some dough. Because I mean, maybe. I mean, th- again, that's why it's kind of offensive when, when again, this is a guy who said, you know, made fun of us and said, oh well, I'll ship you some gas money for the next sports car event, and he's not here. So well, maybe he needs some gas money. And I, I know he lost his editor or something. And if you read the first, actually, if you funny, if you read the first article he wrote after he lost his ed- editor, he, he wrote like a sixty-word uh, second sentence. Like it's ridiculous. So again, I'm keeping up. If you guys knock, knock, knocking on the door, I'm keeping up with you. And the biggest moments of the year for cards, which actually is this, we're in it right now. This is why I'm doing a pod. This is why I do one podcast a year usually. This is why I come here and I tweet 300 times. It's like literally like 30% of all my tweets ever are from these these days. Is because I'll research all year, four days, and not make any money. Because I'm Jerry Rice. I'll go out and fucking sweat my ass off because I'm Jerry Rice. So that's why it You're is the a Jerry little Rice offensive. of this business. <laughs> I'm the Jerry Rice of this fucking business. So it's a little offensive when you motherfuckers come and try to talk shit when it's clear you haven't done your research. When you suggest that I need gas money when uh I can't I can't even remember the last time I I can't even remember the last time I worked. I can't even remember the last time I was worried about money. Like these guys assume that, you know, because they don't hear from you or you stop working on your website that, oh, you must have went broke or, oh, you must be working at McDonald's. It's no, I've, I keep my head down and I don't really tell people what I'm doing. Only until after I'm fully aware that, wow, it's actually really hard to sell tickets. Wow, it'd be really hard for somebody to copy my, even my 100 post Beanie Babies website. Because trust me. I said I already said it before. If you think cards are complicated, try to figure out thirteen generations of Beanie Babies tags. You wouldn't be able to do it. You're not smart enough. You're too dumb to realize that you're dumb. <laughs> you're not Jerry Rice. <laughs> you ain't fucking Jerry Rice. So that's why for the last four years I've been able to come on here and spill my guts about cards because I put in the time and effort. fucking joke so that's why when it, it does get a little offensive when fucking people say shit because it's like you guys have been shilling all year you've had all year to tweet and to fucking promote and to do all you've had all year all year the stage is yours all year well guess what in the biggest fucking moments i'm gonna fucking grab the microphone and be like well let me tell you how it really is because i've actually done 
the research. I don't let, I just don't copy and paste shit. I don't just believe shit. I just don't believe, oh, Arenado sucks at third. Baseball America says Nolan Arenado ain't that good at third base. He sucks. And I can watch two plays of him and be like, no, he doesn't suck. Whoever wrote this sucks. Because I know what it would take to be a good third base. I know what it looks like to be a good third baseman in the major leagues. Most of you guys don't even know what a successful business looks like. Doesn't even know what a successful card business looks like. Wouldn't have a clue. Probably don't even have a clue about the potential for these apps. You guys wouldn't even have a clue about that. You think probably Panini's raking in money that the only way they make money is from these American cards. You have no idea about the soccer business. You have no idea. You just assume, 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 assume. Do minimal research. Prospect Rush calls you and you put them on ESPN. I mean, what a joke. What a disgrace to ESPN, to be honest. And I don't feel bad about making fun of them because they've been letting a lot of people go uh, for various reasons. So I don't feel bad about making fun of ESPN because... I mean, again, and if you, again, it's a, such a small fraction of sliver. Eventually, they'll cancel that, and the, the the literally the account will go poof, and all the videos will go poof one day. You won't even notice it. Like the guy will be just fired or or put into another position, and ESPN will just stop it altogether. They do that a lot. Like they change talent, and like a podcast I've been listening to will just stop, and I'm like, well, what happened? And there'll be no announcement, no nothing. It'll be just gone. That'll happen one day with this little cards account that they have, and and uh, they've, they've, again they put the prospect guy Rush go Google it. <laughs> he's on he's on ESPN, and he's supposed to give away Chris Bryant Super Factor here, and he's nowhere to be found, and nobody's saying anything about it. And there's a 300. It's the longest thread on Blowout in the last like three years, and nobody is talking about it. All these guys care about is, well, what's Panini doing? What's Tops doing? Oh, my God. When can I jerk them off next? Who can I just jerk off next? Let's forget about the result of what happened. Let's forget about, you know, any problems that have happened. Let's stay away from the negativity. So it's a joke. You guys are a fucking joke. I'm the Jerry Rice. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even say that with a straight face because Jerry Rice is a fucking stud. So, I mean, you know, it just, it, you know, I hope we're hammering it home. Again, we're not going to come on here every week and talk about it. I I obviously have better things to do. I hope, you know, hope that I've proven that at least a little bit or I have a lot better things to do. Uh, read a you know read a book that I don't even read so I, I don't even want to read so again a lot of you guys are too dumb to realize you're dumb so I don't know how to <laughs> I don't know how to fix you I'm gonna make I'm gonna trademark that too dumb to know you're dumb dot com go to it <laughs> I mean because some of you guys are could be the fucking poster child for that I mean, anybody who promoted collector's grade prospect rush again the guy offered. You a free box, a $300 box, you turned it down and then talked shit on him. And you turned out to be right. Does anybody get to go stroke you on the back and say, hey, great job, Con, you did a great job. Nobody does that. But I think it does have some, you know, residual effect. I mean, that's why I'm still here. 
that's why I can, you know, I can put up these podcasts. I don't hardly ever tweet them or Facebook them or I don't, you know, tell people to go listen. We don't have contests to encourage you to listen. Yet I get emails every week from people that are listening. And I think in, it's in part because people eventually do, especially with podcasts, you're not tuning in a podcast to hear a jerk off session. You know what I mean? You, you can just, oh God. you can just go on Twitter or you can, you know, form that you can just have that in your own mind. Uh, you don't need me to be on here telling you how great Panini and Tops are and how great this industry is and how it's a wonderful hobby. I think people do respect that, uh, you know, and I think this is a tip for, for people out there. Hey, if you want to be successful, uh, if you, especially in the website and the opinion game, you, come with it. Come with the truth. Come with what you believe, uh, not what other people are trying to get you to believe. And I think people respect that. And not to mention, I've watched pretty much every episode of Shark Tank at least once. And I can't tell you how many subscription business came through. So I've heard a lot of very – from Kevin O'Leary, from Mark Cuban and Robert Hershevec and all the other people on the show. I've heard their opinion. I didn't develop my opinion on the subscription model on my own. I heard what they had to say about it and how they said if you oh. didn't get the product for free. If you weren't getting the product for free – you, it was 100% going to fail. And I know in this business, you're not going to be able to get, there's just not enough companies. It's not like the cosmetics business where there's a million different brands. It's not like the wine or coffee business where there's millions of different brands competing for shelf space. The sports car business contains less than five companies uh, and less than really two that are worth anything. So, no, you're not going to get anything for free because they have no reason to market to you unless you came in. If you had a million members from day one, yeah, maybe they'd be able to do it. But likely they're going to try you for a season or try you a few times a year. They're not going to continually place product in your collector crate. So there was absolute zero. I probably should have been more clear that there was an absolute zero percent chance the guy was going to be around in six months to a year. It just so that was pretty clear because, I, I, like I said, I lit, when this all went down, and I was actually suffering from my vertical at the time, so I was pissed off. I was like, and so I listened to the show because I wanted to make. I was going to blast the guy, but I was like, ah, oh, well, I, I better make sure that the message is consistent because I didn't want you to say it was a good idea and me say it was a bad idea. So, but I listened. And you like basically said it was a shitty idea. You basically foretold exactly what was going to happen to the guy. You literally pinpointed exactly what was going to happen to the guy, predicted it, fucking, and it happened. And it, and it, it literally happened. And nobody would have fucking retracted their article or done anything about it. And again, a, a, a mom with, with, a, with, a, with a young son ordered a box and never got it, never got a refund. And another person got their credit card stolen. A lot of people maybe are still getting charged and they don't even oh, know man. it. Don't even know it. Last time the guy tweeted was the fucking Star Wars premiere or whatever. That was it. And he vanished. Gone. Poof. Gone. Nobody knows his name. I tried to get all these people to tell me, well, what's his address? What's his name? And people didn't even want to give him up then. I'm like, well, wait a second. He sent you a free box. So don't you have a, don't you have the return address? Or he sent you a box. Where, where is it? Nobody wanted to give the guy up. Like he just scammed you. And But now you don't want to send me his contact information? it's unbelievable and I waited I actually emailed the guy I gave him a chance 
I didn't just go, oh, I got this big story. I'm going to go fucking call out Collector Crate. No, I gave the guy a chance. I emailed him like three times. Hey, let me know what's going on. I got some, you know, just trying to see what's going on here. Are you still in business? Gave the guy a chance. Didn't just go rush to judgment and kill the guy. I read all the prospect rush thread. I didn't just go fucking start killing the guy from day one. I waited for it all to transpire. Found out about it. Started reading it. Why don't you guys who your job is cards and you don't even understand the industry that well? Your job, again, you're too dumb to know you're dumb. You think you're smart. You're not. You think you're Jerry Rice, but you're... You think you're Jerry Rice. Kobe Hamilton. You're not. You're high school. You're making $10 an hour while I'm fucking staying in a suite in Vegas. We made what? We made one year, we made like almost 100000 or over 100000 on sports card. Over $100,000 on sports card radio. And what? We spent probably what? Uh, maybe a hundred a month. So we're talking about probably less than 2000 a year. We made a hundred thousand. So we, we each netted out like 40, 50,000 each off that website. And we're willing to dead stop. And, and what does it make now? A uh, thousand a month? Probably. Yeah, barely. So it's literally like 90, it's a 90% haircut and neither me or you bl- either blink, blink an eye. It didn't even blink an eye. I actually like it because I was able to move on uh, for the last uh, almost three years now. I've been doing daily fantasy. And quite honestly, that's been, I mean, that's been a gold rush. I think it's going to tail off here as, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings and now Yahoo kind of are the players and that everybody's aware of their brand. But for a while there, nobody knew who they were. So, you know. referring players to them for a lifetime commission was extremely lucrative and um you know now i have other ways that's blown up as well that's gotten you know big yeah and there i mean now i've you know through content locking i've done a lot of research on content locking and stuff like that so i'm going to do a lot of that this year but you know there's a lot of like you know, I kind of look at it as, yeah, hey, you can you you can have a successful website, but it's also fun to. I mean, I'll work on ones that don't ever make money. Or and same thing with stocks. I'll research and listen to calls and read all these documents, and I'll never buy a share. I'll never write an article about it or whatever. You know, but going through the process is oftentimes. Um, you know, like you said, this is people's jobs, and they don't even they're not even willing to do research on collector crate when collector crate sends you an email asking you for a free box you don't even do a research on hey what's this business model like and does this guy have a chance to be successful you just automatically assume oh this guy sends me a box he's so nice uh, god i wish i wish other industries were like that that i have i have websites on coins and comic books i sure wish i could just uh you know contact the more the more popular blogs and say hey let me send you a four dollar item <laughs> and you write glowing things about me god it doesn't work like that trust me yeah you can send them a thousand dollars and they're not gonna write glowing don't tell you're your piece of shit yeah, exactly. Or look at the restaurant review. I mean, you could come give the guy the fucking best, you know, the, the fucking five star treatment, and he, and he tells you your food tastes like shit, and your, right. you know your presentation sucked. Right. But oh yeah, hey, thanks for the comp meal and yeah. shit, and the bottle, a thousand dollar bottle of wine you cracked open. 
and he'll tell you you're a piece of shit. You know, those are the guys who, you know, at the end of the day have integrity. At the end of the day, make money. You know, people right are gonna, right. Well, make money. Yeah, exactly. Make money. I mean, I guarantee you, nobody would think, and literally, I think it was, we made at least 80000 There was one year we had an $80,000 year on eBay. And then you throw in some other stuff, you know, you're getting close to a hundred thousand. Nobody would, in their wildest dreams, guess we made that kind of money on that website in one year, not total, one year. We each probably split about almost fifty thousand each on it. One year, we went out promoting ourselves, we weren't out jerking ourselves off, and fucking thought it was this, you know, greatest thing ever. We we just hit the jackpot. Our life, you know. We're, it's over. We can just work on cards the rest of our life. We're working on our next album. Okay, well, that album's done. We're going to fucking go do something else. Let's start Beanie Babies. You're doing stocks and coins and all this other stuff. The Daily Fantasy. I got into selling uh, um, sports tickets. Um, just by happen chance, almost. It wasn't something I even really planned. It was more just uh, I had Niner tickets, and then it progressed into well if i can sell niner tickets why couldn't i sell this team's tickets or warriors tickets or san francisco giants tickets or um you know we're willing to put in the work and do it and i guarantee we've made way more i know i've i've made way more money than any of these idiots at, at beckett or any of these places way more money I've killed you guys, and I've, I've, I've only had to work half as much. The only work I've had to put in is, is sometimes these books I have to read or some research. I've gone to like 300. How many of you have been to like two, 300 minor league games? How many of you go to the, uh, the, the uh, National each year, go to the Arizona Fall League each year, go on tour with Pearl Jam? And it's year after year after year these things keep happening because – I'm the Jerry Rice of this fucking business. I put in the work. I try to wake up and be like Jerry Rice. It's maybe not a grind. I mean, I'm definitely not grinding. But maybe my my idea of grinding is different than others. Maybe it's easy. Again, you're too dumb to know you're dumb. You don't know that you're not working hard. You don't know that you're not working efficiently. You don't know what you, you're, you really need to figure out. Why would you ever write for a website when you could just start your own? Just download a WordPress and start it and upload a template. <laughs> and it'll look exactly like the same website true. you just worked on. That is true in, I would say, almost 99% of all industries. You should, you're better off writing for your own website than writing the 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 few exceptions that I found out myself as I started a finance blog and I think I made five dollars in a year on it literally and then I started writing for another website and they started paying me one hundred fifty dollars an article so yeah. the you know in something like finance where there's this huge reputation barrier and there's already some massive Bloomberg CNBC type uh, coverage on it then yeah. But maybe in the fashion world, um, maybe in the restaurant blogging world, I could see. Um, but in like baseball cards and even like fantasy sports and beanie, certainly something as small as beanie oh, babies. Well, smallest coverage, again, it was 
you know, Beanie Babies kind of get made fun of. One, I want to point out that Ty Warner is still a billionaire and still has a shitload of money and has a bunch of some of the United States' best hotels. And the Beanie Babies industry was bigger than the entire sports card industry at its peak in the 90s. So there are actually maybe more Beanie Babies floating around, not theoretically, but than, than sports cards. And, uh, again, but the thing about the Beanie Baby site, a lot of people, they think, oh, well, I'll just go copy this guy, Ryan. I'll start my own Beanie Baby sites. You wouldn't know what to write about because I know why they're coming to my site. I know why they're coming. I know what they're thinking about when they're coming to my site and why they're going to me, why they get to me. What are they trying to find out? You guys are too dumb to realize that you're dumb. You wouldn't be able to figure out. You you think you would write about the wrong thing. You would do the wrong content. You would just copy me when you don't understand the tags. You think a first-generation patty is worth the same as a fifth-generation patty because they look exactly the same when you didn't take the time to put the work in like Jerry Rice would and figure it out. And the months that it took, and I had to, I actually literally had to go back into the web archives for websites that don't even exist anymore. You can't go to them unless you go to the web archive and go back to 1995 and read about Beanie Babies and get a better explanation of when it was really happening. Again, I probably get more traffic to my Beanie Baby sites than these fucking stupid Beckett's and Cardboard Connections. I'll tweet my fucking stats. And I bet they've got fucking a hundred times, or maybe more. They probably got five hundred times more articles than I do on my site, and I get more traffic than they do. So who's who's the one that needs gas money? Who's the fucking one who's really doing things right? Who's the who created a job for themselves, and who's a real fucking entrepreneur, businessman who could fucking anytime I want to go to? Oh shit, my buddy in Tahoe. Oh, before I went to the summer league, my buddy, I go fucking visit my buddy and his girlfriend in in Tahoe for three days. Then I go to Vegas. It was before I came here. I coach youth basketball twice a week. Think I make any money doing that? That takes a lot of time because it's practice and then it's after the game, joking around with the kids. Sometimes I drive some kids home. We go get Slurpees or something. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, that's something that I'm doing. I'm spending time with my family. I'm spending a lot of time doing nothing. And obviously I'm spending a lot of time watching NBA basketball and this prospect stuff. Keeping track of that. You motherfuckers are too dumb to realize that you're dumb. <laughs> I think that might have to be the either the Jerry Rice. We speak with the Jerry Rice of the business. Uh, might have to be the the title of the show, or you're too dumb. I, 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 you're I think. Uh, well, let's see. I think I'm the. I'm, <laughs> I'm, the I'm the Jerry Rice of this business. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, every year I come here and I'm always a little surprised that like, you know, some of the backlash, like, ah, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I'm very negative. But at the same time, people will come up to me and they're very negative. And it's like, 
why did, why don't you express that or why why did you make fun of me and then now you're coming up and telling me you know maybe what I want to hear so I'm very in tune to what's going on I'm very in tune to what's being said I'm obviously very in tune to you know who can tell you about prospect rush besides the people in that blowout thread or people who have been following it obviously nobody you know who wrote an article about him or put him on ESPN put him on fucking ESPN and I respect some of the ESPN stuff that they outside the lines. Uh, when Bill, actually, Bill, Bill Simmons is an idiot for being a Celtics fan, but his podcast was pretty fucking good. Um, the Jalen Rose podcast isn't bad. Um, some of the NBA stuff has gotten way better. I think they had some idiots doing the podcast last year. I think the, they've gotten some better people, slightly better people now doing it. Um, but to put a guy like, prospect rush who had come out with a product i'm sure they didn't know of that or ask him about that that was dog crap you could ask any group breaker and these group breakers are you know they're on the show category too these guys you know you say jump these guys will say how high do and these guys are just like you know but you know these guys on that you know, most i mean get a group breaker to say something negative in public or or even private about some of these card companies is kind of difficult these guys talk shit on prospect rush they're like, oh, that guy's a joke. I'm not, you know, I don't fuck with his shit. And yet he buys a Chris Bryant card and everybody's flipping out. <laughs> nobody, nobody stopped to check because, well, what's really going to happen with this card? How many, you know. It's amazing. I mean, it's, to me, it blows my mind that you could spend, this is your life. This is what you work at. This is your job. This is your job. At Beckett, it's your job. I, I don't, it doesn't surprise me. They're, they're low-talent, low-paid type people, quite honestly. They're a dime a dozen. You can find that kind of person either coming out of high school or coming out of college and wave, you know, low, well, yeah, I guess, I low mean, to mid-five-figures in their face. If you think of what does a sports writer make, it, unless you're, you know, I mean, I wouldn't even call Skip Bayless a sports writer, or, you know. But if you're not one of these top TV personnel, you ain't making shit. If you're right. the if you're the Orlando Magic beat writer at the Orlando Sun Sentinel, you might be making twenty eight thousand, maybe. Right. You know, pre I mean, that's before taxes. You might be making fucking eighteen grand if you get taxed. So I, I mean, we're yeah, we're really not talking about a whole, whole but it's just where's the integrity. Where is the accountability? Where is the integrity? Where is the, hey, I messed up? When I saw there was a shitload of people filing into the national, I was, I think I tweeted three times, my bad, there's hella people here. I was wrong. Hey, never mind. There's a shitload of, I think three different times, I said, my bad, let me correct this. There's a lot of people here. Where is that with Collector Crate? Where is that with Prospect Rust? Where is that with Press Pass? Where is that with all these products you guys shill, and then you can go watch my DA Carpro video, and all the prices have tanked fucking 70% from the pre-sale price? Where are all you guys shilling all the Panini stuff that tanks? Hey, buy it now. It's out today. Here's the checklist. Here's the first look. Hey, look great. Oh, my God. Three boxes per hit. Oh, my God. Never a negative comment. Never a negative word. In your little whatever, copy and paste. All it is is copy and paste, copy and paste. Trust me, we made 80,000 copies. Hey, here, 
light bulb, where do you think they got, some people got the idea to copy and paste checklists? Where do you think they got the idea? Who do you think did the research and actually put in the time to come up with that idea? You know, what did Mark Cuban say? There's the innovators, the imitators, and the idiots. Who do you think the innovators were in the checklist game? Take take a wild guess, guys. And who was able able to make over six figure? Me and me and this guy who never hardly ever promote the website have made over six figures. Maybe each. Yeah. Well. I, yeah. We definitely have. Each have made over six figure. I think I tell people sometimes like, yeah, we've probably made a quarter million on the on the sports card radio. And people look at me like they don't believe me. I'm like, oh, I'm telling you the truth. Again, you're too dumb to realize that you're dumb. Somebody tells you that they make a quarter million on a site that nobody's ever heard of. You're too dumb to realize you're dumb. Well, I'll go, I'll go make $8 an hour at Beckett. I've made, you know, I'm going to make six figures on a Beanie, ba- Beanie Babies website. It's all said and done, I'll have cashed over six figures in Beanie Babies. I'll be one of the few people, I'm probably the only person in the world making money on those things. Literally. So it's insulting when people say, oh, we'll give you gas money than the next card show, or oh, your fucking podcast sucks, or oh, you're so negative, or oh, you're bad for the hobby. It's like, I'm bad for the hobby. What about all these other idiots? I'm actually putting in time, and not tweeting about it, not fucking... Look at me, look at me, here's a selfie of me. No, I'm reading a fucking 200-page thread on Prospect Rush when all anybody cares about is Panini and Tops. Like, nobody cares about Prospect Rush, but I do. About the integrity of the whole thing. How many people are just going to keep this repack thing going? It's the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. Repack. Like, who? You know, people always talk about getting value. How the hell are you going to get, quote, value out of a guy repacking cards that he bought that he's got to make a margin on? You guys fucking morons. You degenerate fucking morons sometimes. You're too dumb to realize you're dumb. Become a little more like Jerry Rice and put in the time and effort and get out to practice early. Put on a sweatsuit when it's 100 degrees and go start running. And don't tweet about it. Don't say, hey, I'm going to go out to run and go work. That's what fucking idiots do. You go do the work because you want to, because it's important. Not because you want attention for it. Not so you can somehow be glorified from it, but it's going to help you. At the end of the day, hopefully it makes you some money. But hopefully you have some fucking self-respect. <laughs> fucking A. Uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, what hour mark? We probably should stop. It's 2.30. It's 2.30 here. Plan. I might have to go to the pro plan. Well, I would just do like part one, part two. Can you, can you also cut the part where I got a little... Uh, I got a little uh, can, smoked out. You know, can yeah. you cut that part? I can, yeah, yeah. Not the whole thing, but I'll, you know, I'll I'll do some light editing. We don't do, do we don't do full editing on this show. Okay, do, That's do not some my serious doctoring. Now, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't need people to know that I was like 
you know, high for a second there and got a little, got a little emotional there. <laughs> Jerry so, Rice don't, Jerry Rice don't cry. It'll kind of make, yeah, it'll make Jerry Rice look weak, so, you know. No, okay, I'll do, so. I'll, you know, my pay grade isn't, isn't super high for these things, so okay. I'll, I'll do my best. Well, we might have I'm to bump you up here. a little bit. I'm not going to sit here and do a full, you know, my Dr. Dre editing. No, well, well, all you got Dr. Dre will just cut, he'll just, and be like, oh, we had technical problems here in the beginning here, so that's all you have to do. Okay. Well, okay. And you probably should cut this part too, so. But why don't we, why don't we much. just wrap it? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll look forward to, if people want to see more of what you're doing, they can follow you at Sports Guard News. They can check you out on YouTube, but like you explained, uh, we don't need you to do either of that. Uh, neither no. of us. Uh, I don't give a fuck. I'll probably uninstall Twitter when I get home. I'll literally won't tweet. I I think if you count it, I I sent a picture of Jordan uh, Jordan Clarkson. I the when I was at the Lakers game, and I literally had like three tweets from this month before this happened. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go home and do my thing. Yeah, I'm going to keep up with it, but I'm not going to draw attention to myself. I know better than that. I got other shit to do. I got my next album to work on, you know, theoretically. So, again, key buzzwords today. You're too dumb to know you're dumb. And I'm the Jerry Rice of this business. Maybe you should start being the Jerry Rice of your business. So, wow. this is it. This, this might be it for the net. The, 365, and then, you know, we literally won't be doing this till next year. Cause well, the, you might the go to the Industry boys, Summit again, I mean. Well, no, that's in Hawaii. I'm not going to that. Oh, yeah, I'm not in invited. Hawaii, so why the fuck? I mean, I'd love to go chill in Hawaii. That wouldn't be the worst thing, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, why do that? So. Yeah. So, yeah, it will be 365. This so. is it. This is it. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll, unless we do, I think we could just do talk about the NBA at some point. If you want to do that, would well, be some fun. I'm a, a three-time champion of the the fantasy league so i can you know you're gonna have to bring something to the table i'm the jerry rice of fantasy basketball so i've invented and created more play i mean i had two guys left on my team through the whole year Uh, i had drummond and aldridge were the only two guys left whatever like i said i invented seth curry so he won mvp so last i looked and I'm, I won twice, and I really – last this was the first year where I hadn't been in the lead in like three years because I had cruise control for the two straight years. So, it's fuck, it about, it's about time. I mean, fuck, what, I got to loan you gas money to fucking win a title? I mean, <laughs> fucking A. I mean, you know. Well, we'll see this year. I'm gonna I really ready. was looking like the Jerry Rice of fucking fantasy sports there for a couple of years. I mean, you guys weren't even close to me. I mean, it was like cruise control. And then finally, I mean, you guys got out of the start. I don't know what happened to me this year. I just think my team sucks. Kinda. I don't even think I got guys hurt. I think my team just sucked. So. Hey, got to be the Jerry, Jerry Rice still make it work. That's what I did. Well, so. I, maybe I was too dumb to know I was dumb and I didn't have so. the right players. I think so, so. You were slow to pick up too. There were Hassan Whitesides. There was guys out yeah. here that were that were. Slow I was out of it. That's the problem with that. Once you know you're out of it, you're you're done. I mean, there's yeah. no coming back. Even unless Jeremy Lin comes back or something. So, well, Jerry, right at the five hour mark, we might as well call it quits. So yeah, hope, okay. enjoy the rest of your time in Chicago and Las Vegas, and uh, we'll catch up with you in uh, probably about 365 days. Okay, we'll do that.